Oh my god. Hi everyone. Welcome to Artifact number 23. Today I'm joined by Dan Schneider of cosmoetica.com. And the show's topic is silism and internet silists. This is a topic that is a near and dear to Dan's heart because he actually has a pretty long history of uh, discussing internet style silism on his website. If you go look at the site, he has essays dating back to the early 2000s covering the kinds of personalities that in the last few years have really sort of gone mainstream. Perhaps they weren't so mainstream before, right? Lots of, uh, you know, uh, fakers to, to knowledge and, and fake experts had all their kind of niches and small internet communities, right? And message boards and stuff like that, places that I used to hang out at uh, years and years ago. But now you have stuff like the intellectual dark web. We're going to touch on Jordan Peterson as an example of a premier stylist. We're going to talk about Christopher Langan, the so-called smartest man in America. And we're going to talk about uh, Quora style stylists uh, on that kind of question and answer website, um, among other things. So maybe uh, before I sort of give my experiences with all this, uh, since Dan uh, uh, has had experiences like this in his past, whether it's like you know, visiting uh, the Mensa Society and stuff like that. Uh, maybe, Dan, you could share some insight relating to all this, uh, your early essays on, on these subjects and whatnot. Well, I, I, I know the ones you're talking about, uh, five or six long, almost novella-length essays. Uh, I know uh, I wrote them because I would get, and I still do get quite a few people who will email me for stuff, but... Uh, it was the Jordan Peterson thing, and you and Keith Jackwitz four or five years ago, when he first, I guess, blew up as a name to rival, you know, uh, uh, the pundits of the past, be it, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Pinker's hero, the, uh, what's his name, the, the, the anti-communist, uh, the, the pro-communist, uh, Chomsky, you know, oh. within a, the course of just six months or so, Peterson achieved Chomsky-level prominence, if not you know, more so. Uh, and I remember just seeing him and seeing him whining and crying. And to me, whether we talk about virtually anonymous people uh, who are on little websites or the Langan guy, Peterson is without a doubt probably the premier stylist, uh, even more so than uh, someone like Sam Harris or uh, uh those sorts of people. Joe Rogan is a Silas, but he's such a dummy. No one takes him seriously except his own people. But the idea of Silism, pre-internet, probably the best example you can think of of a Silist was actually a fictional character on the old show Cheers. It was the mailman character called Cliff Clavin. I think it was played by John Ratzenberger. And you know the type of guy. Every guy at a bar, they're going to, you know, three or four people will be arguing amongst themselves and a guy in the corner will hear them come over and say, well, you know, actually, this is not true. That's not true. And they would make a fact. Now, Cheers, it was played for a joke. Just before we uh, just before we started this, I was looking online on Quora because I'd been arguing with people about Will Chamberlain. Uh, I say he's the best uh, basketball player of, of all time and probably the best uh, athlete of all time that we know of. Uh, and, and, you know, just arguing with that and people would argue against it with the same bullshit stuff that for 50 years they've thrown up and I'd say, well, 
here's some independent links to things that show that you were wrong. But, you know, that, that's just the way it is. And uh, the thing, though, is the Internet has exploded that. The old myth about the wisdom of the common man. There's no wisdom of the common man. The common man usually is a stylist, or even worse, listens to stylists and then starts repeating them. Joe Rogan, in a sense, would be a secondary level stylist because he will listen to a Jordan Peterson or a Sam Harris or any of these other people, pseudo intellectuals that he'll have on the show and he'll spout their stuff then to other people. So he himself, yeah. he himself doesn't know about psychology like Peterson or about uh, the way the brain works like Chomsky would or, or these, but he will then spout that same nonsense most obviously with uh, what is the ivermectin crap that he he wants to mm-hmm. spouting about uh, COVID. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, uh, it's interesting to compare someone like a Jordan B. Peterson to uh, you know, people like Chomsky uh, in the sense that uh, yes, like Peterson has uh, received a similar level, level of stature, but in a different way, right? Because uh, Chomsky, at least like in the past, right, he would have to go through academia in a way where he would have to, you know, submit uh, things at least to peer review, right? We don't have to necessarily make a big deal of it, but, you know, on some level, right, it's going to weed out, um, uh, you know, t- total like uh, mistruths in some ways, right? Um, he, had to write, you know, books on serious topics, and many of them were good books. He actually did uh, have a valuable contribution to linguistics, right? He did, uh, in some ways, change the field of linguistics before going off on, on other topics uh, of interest. So he was sort of like, it, although, like, I guess he was like uh, ignored or maligned by like some elements of like the power establishment, right? Some elements of like the foreign policy blob, right? That didn't want to hear what he had to say, but he was still ensconced in these institutions. He definitely had platforms with, you know, like the New York Times and similar, but Peterson, he really uh, became popular on the heels of a cultural backlash. He became popular on the heels of, you know, these like small internet communities. He became popular uh, on the heels of the common man, right? In, in the way that Chomsky sort of couldn't, right? You you sort of uh, yeah, had and, to and at he, least have so, some like familiarity with, with the topics that he would discuss. And Chomsky has been around for 60 years, whether you agree yeah. with him. Like I, I, I admire Chomsky's scientific chops. I think he's far more dicey when it comes to history and when it comes to politics, uh, even though I agree probably, again, with maybe 80 to 85% of his political leanings, we have no idea if in 10 years, even if he's alive, Jordan Peterson will still be there. Or is there going to be some scandal where, you know, he mm-hmm. was harassing women in, when he went to Vegas or something? You never know. And that could- he, he does have a, he does have a harassment scandal. He said something oh, he like, during some kind of speech, he said something like, there were like four separate occasions or something. Maybe it wasn't four, maybe it was fewer, but four separate occasions where he was um, uh, being under investigation for harassment, which is like, you know, um, you know, I, I understand there are false accusations, but couple some of his like very amateurish, sloppy evolutionary psychology. Like, like he's one of these people that says like sometimes in interviews, I'm an evolutionary biologist. Obviously, he's not right. He's a psychologist, but he often says that to aggrandize himself, and therefore he has like very, very sloppy takes on evolutionary psychology. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me that you know he has this like history uh, with women in such a way, and now he's using like the the worst like pop you know evolutionary psych to sort of justify that yeah and the thing is he 
after we decided to do this show, there are very few pre-2017 clips of him that are online. Or if they're online, they're on page 42 of, of Google search. You know, mm-hmm. But I did see he wrote a couple of academic books in the 90s. I think one might have been on language. Uh, and I, there was something in like 02 or 04 where he was being interviewed by some like, Canadian cable uh, access channel or something. And his persona was quite different yes. than it is now. And the yes. thing is, yes, we all, you know, Dan Schneider, I'm going to be 57 in less than a week. If you looked at, at me, uh, I have online uh, in 98 when I was uh, writing a poem on camera, you know, uh, and a fellow named Dylan Wall filmed me. You can see my voice is different. I, I've got growing long hair again, but a little less on top. So there are going to be differences. But he wasn't mugging for the camera. He was... When once he became famous, you'll see he's famous for the pouty, the pouty sneer at someone where the camera will go when someone else is talking. He gets that look of a child who's just been scolded by his mother. He'll he'll do some kind of attack. He'll usually go circuitously in some way. And then then uh, whether he thinks he's winning or not, he'll sit back and sort of gloat. If you look at some of the early stuff and I could only find two or three of them and he. There was, he had become a performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't a performer then. Like, you know, I'm not a performer. Uh, sometimes, like to Jessica, for example, told me, put on a shirt that doesn't have stains on it just to do this mm-hmm. show. You know, I don't give a shit. But there is absolutely down. He has become Jordan Peterson is now, or Jordan Peterson pundit is now the persona. You, I don't know know if there's even a Jordan Peterson the person left. You know. Yeah. So, so a couple things. Uh, uh, let, let's move on to the Mensa stuff before, like, okay. uh, like right before we get to uh, Chris Lang, and let's actually stay with Jordan Peterson since you know we've already introduced the topic, and let's go through the Jordan okay. Peterson stuff that we have prepared. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I remember uh, when he first came to prominence, right? It was on, on the heels of like you know the, the trans like cultural backlash and, and so on. Uh, so he he becomes famous off of that. And out at, of at curiosity, I checked his um, his YouTube page, and I and I sent his his stuff to you right and um you pointed out that you know this guy is just getting more and more right wing with every video right before he became famous like all right so he had like lectures on Nietzsche you know like it's it's stuff that I would be you know more interested in compared to like what he does now and he was definitely he was less performative this is true and it's very obvious that he has over time because he under like he understands where he fits right he's smart enough at least to understand where he fits in terms of an audience right there is a, a right left divide even if it's like superficial and it's based on uh, the wrong kind of things there is this kind of divide he knows that based on what he says he cannot get any kind of like you know like liberal audience so he does you know crazy shit like first of all he gets vaccinated right because he may he may be kind of dumb but he's not dumb enough to think that vaccination wouldn't work right so he gets vaccinated because he doesn't want to fucking die he's accumulated i'm sure all kinds of uh secondary comorbidities over the past few years um but now you know he has like videos where he's doubting like maybe i shouldn't have gotten vax and the only reason he's doing that is because there is a backlash from his audience like what you got vax but all these other celebrities that we follow didn't get vax what's wrong with you so he has to like make nice with them right so um let, let me let me give you this one counter example the sort of left-wing version of him and uh, then we can move on if you look back in the 1990s on show shows that uh, from PBS or science-based, 
where Richard Dawkins appeared. Dawkins was very scientific. He, he didn't stray into this. Now, if you look from once he became one of the four horsemen, once, I guess, 20 years ago, 02, 03 is when Sam Harris got big. Bennett was already a name. And then uh, what's the journalist uh, that died? The Mother Teresa guy. Um, uh, uh, Hitchens. Hitchens. And then when Hitchens, they, you know, they took a rest, pro wrestling name, the mm. four horsemen, you know, yeah. from, from which was original, originally four linemen from football became wrestling. And now it's intellectual. And he changed. You can't, you can barely find, I'd say 5% or less of Dawkins' videos from this century on are about science. The rest is all this stuff about atheism. And I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, but Dawkins knows where the money is. That's why mm -hmm. Dawkins gets in the money. And in the same way, you've seen, you've seen, like you just said, Peterson knows where the money is. He, he knows he wants to monetize his videos and whatnot. And, and both of them are good examples of people scrapping their intellectual bona fides to go for the cheap public thrill. Yeah. And, um, you know, like the thing that bothers me about people like Dawkins is, you know, if, if you want, if you, if the only contribution that you could make to society is I'm going to like memorize all the like anti-theist arguments that I could possibly memorize go on TV and, you know, like fight back uh, against like every like Muslim or Christian or whatever that wants to argue with me. Fine. Right. You know, like, it, it, you know, all else being equal, we're probably better off in the long term uh, without, you know, a, a mass like God or religious delusion versus uh, not. Right. But he's actually made, you know, actual like contributions to science in the past. Right. When he wrote The Selfish Gene, I believe in the 80s, that was a scientific contribution. Um, and the fact that he's sort of like, you know, put that away in favor of this other, uh, this other stuff. Like it, it's, it's someone that again, is going for the money. And also maybe he just, you know, completely ran out of ideas with Jordan Peterson though. Um, his, his first like academic book was uh, maps of meaning. And it, it's ironic because I remember like in the early, uh, two thousands when I was first like getting interested in like stuff, right. In, in ideas or whatever, I, I found your site, uh, shortly after that, um, I I was pretty suspicious of academic academic style writing. I was pretty suspicious of people in academia. And when you look back on this book, right? Right now he's making his reputation based on attacking academics, based on saying there's this kind of Marxist takeover in academia. And yet when you read this early book, it's full of the same kind of language and the same kind of non-ideas that I was suspicious of as a kid. He has never moved past the stage where he's able to make some sort of long-term contribution. He's exactly what I hated in academia, but ironically, he's making his reputation as this kind of like anti-academic rebel, right? And, and people just don't know any better. People in his audience, they assume that the real issue with academia is, you know, there are too many liberals within it. And while, you know, I'm sure that that's a problem in some ways in terms of like having a diversity of opinion and whatnot. That's not really what the problem is. I, I think the, the, the biggest problem is when you look at all this academic writing and all these ideas, how indistinguishable they are from one another, how the writing just kind of like melds, you know, into itself. I remember like being in my uh, old college, right? I, I would have like bing log breaks between classes. I would go into the library and out of curiosity, I would like flip through like the old academic journals they would have from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And everybody exactly sounded the same. Nobody was really saying anything that seemed at all worthwhile. And Peterson 
is in the same exact category, right? So, you know, it, it is very ir ironic that although I kind of begin, you know, like someone that could be sympathetic to his perspective, um, it's clear that he's part of the same exact problem that he's critiquing in ways that his audience is made to never, ever understand. And all of that has to do with the internet. The internet is fueling this. And uh, another perfect example, not individual, but a, 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 a company, if you will, or a, I don't know if it is company, the TED Talks. If you look at the TED Talks from the late 90s to the early O's, 98% science, hard science. Mm -hmm. After yeah. that, after that, once the internet, once you get to about 05 or whatnot, you get a lot of these pseudoscientific people. Uh, uh, you know, talk, I mean, I've seen TED Talks with... Uh, the India, Indian Indian uh, people who would talk about you know of, you know the different parts of the body uh, you know pressure points and this kind of, all this kind of stuff that, that that isn't scientific and and you and most of the things that has crept in I think has been a lot of right wing stuff you would get people who would who would be suspicious of you know the ba most basic kind of scientific things uh, because that'll draw that'll draw crowds you won't get a TED talk however. Where you will have someone, uh, for example, taking on uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, a never-ending universe that the, uh, that or that the universe that dark matter. Uh, we still haven't discovered dark matter, and there are uh, a half a dozen to a dozen other theories that are out there. Now that's something with that with in narrow academia, but they won't take that on. But you will get someone on TED Talks who will talk about, say. Uh, you know, why is, is the flat earth, why have flat earth become a topic again? These mm -hmm. things that are basically, when I was a kid, would have been on a show like called the, uh, well, uh, the Leonard Nimoy show, uh, In Search Of, you know, In Search Of, In Search Of the Bermuda Triangle. They, they are taking on these truly non-intelligent, non-academic ideas, and they are trying to make them mainstream and real scientific debate, like as whether dark matter really exists, is there you know, will it survive for 50 some years? That is pushed off to the side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let, let, let's uh, jump back into uh, uh, Peterson, right? So um, anyway, so uh, people I consider this guy like a benign stylist in some ways. And uh, uh, you originally, when you want to do the show, you're like, you know, this guy is like really malignant. So um, uh, we're going to get into like what, why this is, right? What, why exactly his influence has been so malignant on society. And we actually have a few videos here that would illustrate kind of, you know, what he talks about, the kind of slates of hands that he's uh, responsible for. Um, and yeah, so let's do this a uh, screen share. Peterson, he has this video, right? And this is a, a part of a channel called Motivation Thrive, right? And um, uh, it's titled The Truth, one of the greatest speeches ever, right? So it, before we even get to anything, right, uh, to the extent that people could just kind of an over top the top fashion sees you know some random person speaking that's going to have no kind of you know historical longevity immediately assume one of the greatest speeches ever that already is a problem but let's just go through this bit by bit and um uh see uh, what, what he's David like Foster wallace isn't alive because there's there's another video he gave a commencement speech at a college a year or two before he died and it says the greatest speech ever oh maybe Foster yeah wallace. yeah something like a speech on water or something maybe <laughs> maybe we should cover that sometime as well but anyway so this is a jordan uh, b peterson um you know delivering what is supposed to be the greatest speech ever in order to find your way through 
all of that, you need to develop a relationship with something that's profound. And you can. You have that capacity. And what could be more profound than the truth? And what would you rather have on your side? And to do more than your best, because your best isn't enough. I mean, like even so all the way through. Yeah, like I, I mean, even so far, right? He's saying that you know, to have a purpose in life, you need to you know cultivate this relationship with the profound. I mean, look, I I, I agree with that, right? And I'm sure that you agree with that uh, yourself. But the fact is, most people will never be in that scenario, right? They're not going to be able to have you know, a, a deep and abiding relationship with art, a deep and abiding relationship with Nietzsche, a deep and abiding relationship with like, you know, any, you know, highfalutin thing that we could come up with. Only a few people do that. The rest, they need to find meaning elsewhere. It's not necessarily worse in the sense that, you know, their lives are going to be like, you know, less satisfying or whatever. But, um, uh, you know, it's a different kind of profundity that, he doesn't give uh, much attention to. And instead, he's, he he's kind of starts in this kind of like cultish fashion. He says, you need to cultivate a relationship with the truth because what could be more profound than the truth? And the reason why it's such a silly cliche is, well, yes, I guess in some ways the truth could be profound, but the problem is uh, everyone will be fighting about what is true and what isn't. The whole point of us taking on Peterson here is because we think that his spin on the truth is just that. It's spin. It's not but, actually but let me, let me, true. Before you start, let me, let me, let me just give you an example. Uh, on, on Facebook, I have uh, one of my Facebook friends is an old manager of mine, an old boss. And I've been posting recently or sharing uh, videos of cops. There's, there's what's called First Amendment audit videos. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Where, where, yeah. When people are stopped, they have dash cams and they, they record all the bad shit cops do. And so this this guy was ha, has been uh, basically trolling uh, my my uh, Facebook page for a while. And I, I after Jessica and Ethan and a few other people were upset about something, so I said, "Let me take care of him." And so I, I said to him, "Listen, because because this this old boss of mine says, why don't you put videos where cops do good things?" I said, "That's not the point." And then we got it. We, we sort of talked about things there. And I, and I said, and, and he's like, you know, you, uh, he says, uh, you know, all of these people at the cops stop, basically, you know, uh, they, they, they need to, to, to buck, buck up and work hard and do this. And he said, you know, I've worked for everything I got. And I said, when you say I work for everything you've got, implicit in that is that other people don't. These people on the videos, black or white or, or, or Hispanic or what, don't. In the same way, and this, and Jordan Peterson, I'll give him, is a lot smarter than my ex-boss in many things, I'm, I'm certain. But he is using the same low-born tactics that this non-academic ex-boss of mine is using. Implicit in what he's saying here is that, you know, I have the way. I found the way. You've got to do it my way. Instead of there being myriad roads to nirvana, you have to cultivate you know, a relationship with truth. Fuck truth. I'll, I'll stick with reality because, as I've said, truth is just a comment on reality. But someone like Peterson probably knows that. But again, he's selling snake oil deliberately because if you go there, how many how many views did that have? I'll bet you'd have had probably five million views minimum. Yes, maybe yes it's probably close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's acting yeah, like almost he, a million. Yeah. Oh, OK. So it's, it's less than I thought. But 
but I'm sure there's probably over a billion views for, for Jordan Peterson, maybe 10 billion or whatnot. But my yeah. point is, he is clearly acting right here when he's talking. You, you see the movie. It remind, reminds me, I, I mentioned this before. When I went to see Donald Hall read poetry after his wife, Jane Kenyon, died in the late 80s, I went with a, a female friend of mine. And after about 10 minutes of Donald Hall reading the poems and then, you know, choking up whatnot, I, I said to her, I, I whispered, I said, he's acting. I said, watch. And I, and I said, I'll squeeze your arm. And within five seconds, he's going to tear up again. Every time he does, I squeeze her arm about 20 times because I, I knew a bump, a bump, a bump that Hall was using his dead wife to sell this book of his. He's acting in much the same way. And if I was there and you and I were in the audience and I was squeezing your wrist, you'd probably have to, you probably have a black and blue mark for all the times he's hitting these same notes. This is very studied. This is very deliberate. This is acting. He is acting. He's a good actor. You yeah. Know, he's obviously a better actor than you or I could be because, you know, I don't have that many, you know, I couldn't get gone to that many hits and I'd say a lot wiser things than he's saying. Yeah, I remember the video of him, um, uh, like, like he does a lot of crying, right? A, a video literally crying about the idea of Western civilization. It's so, uh, anyway, let's just continue with this video. Because your best isn't as good as you could be. You have to push yourself past that. And, and that's, as far as I can tell, where you find what you need in life. You find the meaning that sustains you in life. It's it's Oprah for white guys, right? It, this is like Oprah for lonely white guys, right? Um, Action that and what and work. what do we need? We need a we need an attractive young blonde woman. Yeah. Well, th this this is the guy that's like putting together a video. Oh, yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. It, it gets to the yeah. But like yeah, but that's the idea, this is, right? That's this is idea, what yeah. the people who think he's smart and a genius. This is what they want. They want to be able to regurge what he's saying to impress this white girl to get her in the sack with them. World. Go ahead. Nietzsche said that you could tell much about a man's character by how much truth he could tolerate, which is very interesting. You know, there's an, uh, an And they want to be this guy, right? They're like, they want to be and, thoughtful and, and philosophical. And remind, and this guy reminds me of that old Janiya Tween video of, life. of the guy taking the a shower. And she's listening to yeah. the truth. <laughs> and I believe that to be the case because I don't think that you can manifest who you are without the truth. And so I think it's, it's, it's literally and metaphorically true that the pathway to who you could be if you were completely who There's you the were is Come through into the, light. the truth. And so the truth does set you free. But the problem is, is that it destroys everything that isn't worthy in you as it sets you free. Isn't it just kind of ironic how like he, he's doing this video on truth and authenticity. And yet we prefaced everything by talking in detail about his like years and years of audience capture and acting. Mm -hmm. Right. That's literally like what he's doing. And yet this is a video about and authenticity. It's just it's just insane. And, 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 and I know Peterson himself to make the video. But this goes to the mindset of his audience. Again, a beautiful young blonde, a brunette. First we had a blonde, now we have a brunette. This, 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 because all of these kinds of things are going to help you get, get. The, I mean, this is this is Madison Avenue, and mm -hmm. he's speaking in, in in Madman speak. Yeah. And, and, you know, another reason why probably you have, um, you know, at this point, like 50-50 collection of like men and women is realistically, I, I would... Uh, I would be shocked if more than, you know, if his audience is not, you know, any less than something like 98% men, right? So yeah. women aren't interested in this kind of shit. And that's, that's a process of burning. 
and it's it's painful because you cling to what you shouldn't be. Um, I will give him props. Pride, he did pronounce Nietzsche correctly. Partly out of well, laziness. Nietzsche, but it's Nietzsche. And so, so then you that. encounter something <laughs> true. And you all know this. You all know this perfectly well. Because when was the last time that you learned something important that wasn't a, a blow of, of some sort? You know, and, and it's often you look back at your life and you think, oh, God, I really learned something there. I wouldn't want to do that again. But it really changed my life. I mean, sometimes it can really destroy you, you know, an encounter with the truth. And you never really recover. But... Now and then something comes along and straightens you out and a lot of you has to go. Another irony, like going into his personal life, right? Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be like, you know, insensitive here, but he did develop a drug habit. And uh, the reason why I think it's perfectly okay to go there is he developed a drug habit. And after this became clear to everyone that this was in fact the case, you would have his daughter who runs her own podcast and, uh, and you know, like uh, people that, you know, sort of a, a sp uh, were like spokesmen for him. Um, they would say like, by the way, this is not a drug addiction. This is like something else entirely. He's not even able to concede. Like he, he has been so dishonest with his audience for years and years that when actually something profound, let's call it profound, does happen to him, which is like almost dying in a Russian hospital somewhere uh, due to all of this, he's not even able to accurately and honestly relay the information and how this like affects him in a way that would be useful to his audience, actually useful to his audience. He's not able to talk about the fact that he has an addiction. Guess what? Lots of people have addictions. They have addictions, even if they're not necessarily chemical addictions, there's certain behaviors that certain people just cannot stop. He's not able to talk about that because he spent such a long time building this uh, uh, facade for himself that you know, now that this video, like, uh, I'm not sure exactly when it was made, but, you know, it, it's just so ironic given everything that has transpired since. Yeah, I, I know next to nothing about his personal life. Is he married? Uh, he's married and the, the, the addiction had to do with like uh, some drugs he was taking uh, because uh, his wife uh, had cancer and he couldn't cope with it. I'm not sure if she's still uh, living or, or, or she died, but, you know, so like, I mean, it's perfectly understandable. Like there, there should not be any kind of shame in that. And yet, because he has spent such a long time talking about pick yourself up by the bootstraps, like using this term, which started, of course, as a sarcastic phrase for Mark Twain, uh, you know, using terminology like that, always try your best, your, like, like in this video, your best is not good enough. He's not able to honestly deal with these problems in a way that truly would be useful to his audience that he claims to, you know, I want to protect young men. I want to give them a purpose. I want to give them a direction. Well, how about you share, you know, actual experiences in a way where you're not just faking your way through it? A lot of you have how to about, burn How away. about non-white you know, young men? And, and I suppose yeah, in some sense... That's not going to happen. ...is that everything about you that isn't worthy is to be put into the flames. And that's, that's another reason to be not so casual about claiming what you believe. Because it isn't... My cliche meter here is out of... About two, two and a half dozen, maybe 25, you know, 30. Cliched and hypocritical. It's crazy. Old. Older and we're only we're less than three minutes in, so yeah. everything that I about said seven was one form of lie or another. And I wasn't any worse, I would say, than the people that I was associating with. That's the young better. Peterson. And, that's, and that, that's the lies were manifold. You know, yeah. they were attempts to win arguments for the sake of winning the argument. That might be one. Um, attempts to indicate my intellectual prowess when there were 
competitions of that sort. Maybe just the um, the sheer pleasure of engaging in an intellectual up. argument and winning. And the the crazy thing about this part is like, I mean, think about what he's doing. Like, like put yourself into like the mind of a cult leader or a guru of some sort. He's saying, you know what, guys. I used to have all these flaws within myself when I was a child, right? He creates all this like artificial distance between himself today and himself as a child. And he's basically saying that, you know, I don't have all these problems any longer. I put away these things when I was a teenager or maybe like by the time I finished college or whatever it was. And now I am here to give you the way, right? This of course. This, this this reminds me of some of the early videos you'll watch from the fifties or sixties from Ayn Rand. She's another one. Yeah. I, I purge myself. Uh, we could we could have done that, that too. Before. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. Again, like all this kind of, you know, this is this is such guru speak, and he's doing such a disservice to the people that he claims to want to help, right? Creating all this artificial distance. And we know, we know for a fact that all these things that he's talking about as if it's in his past, they they apply, I would bet, much more so to the present Jordan Peterson than to the Peterson of 30 years ago. And that's just a fact. It actually my inability to distinguish between ideas that I had read and, and incorporated because I had read but hadn't realized that I hadn't yet earned the right to use all of that. And, you know, I had this experience that lasted a long time. Well, I would say it's really never gone away. That, And I think this was the awakening of my conscience, essentially. This voice, for lack of a better word, He's sticking he pretty well to this seven or eight cliches a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's really incredible. Again, again, all the people I mean, like I can't the, do that. I can't yeah. do that because I I actually speak what comes to my mind. I I, I give yeah. me a script. I'll be off script within twenty seconds. Uh, I, like like and that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm he's positive. got a great memory. I'll give him that. He, he, I, know, I, he knows. I, I'm positive that there's tons of people in his audience that wouldn't give the time of day to an Oprah. And despite yeah. like substantively getting someone exactly like Oprah, just as, you know, uh, j just as like callous, right? Just as manipulative, just as money hungry, right? A as Oprah and put like a different skin color, put a different gender, a different country on him, a different set of cliches, right? And they're not able to tell the difference. Like it really is incredible. Well, it's a different set of cliches to a degree. A to a degree, yeah. Uh, like co cosmetically, cosmetically, you know, cosmetically, it's a different set of cliche. Yeah. That's Oprah speak right there. What's yeah. on the screen right now? Yeah. Inside me. And it said every time I said something that wasn't true. And that's usually Oprah. what it said. That's not true. You don't believe that. Or, or there was a sensation that was associated with it. I don't think this is that uncommon. You know, I asked my psychology classes for many years in a row if, um, they had an experience, this experience, that they had a voice in their head, let's say, it's a metaphor, or a feeling that communicated to them when they were uh, about uh, to do something wrong. Uh, and yeah. it was universally uh, the case that people agreed with one of those Marianne statements Willis or another. And the other thing I would ask is, well, do you always listen to it? And of course, the answer to that was definitely no. Well... You know, I learned that so much of what I was doing was false. And I think I learned this. See, I, there was a reason that this came to me so clearly. I was trying to understand why people did terrible things. And I was really concentrating on the 
terrible, terrible things that people do. And uh, I was interested in... We're all against murder. Auschwitz, We're all against genocide. For example. And, and not, in, not as a political phenomenon, but as a, as a psychological phenomenon. Exactly. I was video curious about how... Goes, Jordan Peterson tells why Hitler was worse than you thought. Yeah. Who the fuck who the, <laughs> titled that? It's like, it's like really? Really? <laughs> uh, this reminds me of a Norman Finkel scene when he said uh, he quoted uh, 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 Eli Weisel when, when Weisel was like, you know what? Uh, I, I thought the Nazis were bad, but I didn't think they were this bad. They even tried to take money from Jews and steal their, you know, private property. You know, it's like, okay. Um, it, it, but this yes, because grand theft doesn't compare with murder. Mass yeah. murder. And this part is interesting, right? So like he, he starts talking about how, you know, he, he starts, he always like brings up like, you know, authoritarians how, how from the past. How can you be God? Listen to, to Silas. Listen to bad advice like you're giving. That's the very way. And I'm not saying that Peterson himself has aspirations to be a Hitler or anything. But if you want to know how people can get led astray, just listen to Pablum like this. And, and uh, this part is interesting because he, he will try, you will notice, um, he will try to completely divorce any kind of material reality for like, well, how does someone become an Auschwitz guard? You know, from, you know, actually what happens, right? And, and he's trying to, like, idealize it in the sense where, like, he becomes, like, really obsessed with, well, how could how could I prevent myself? How could I prevent myself from ever being that way? Uh, just, just, just listen to this part. How you could be an Auschwitz guard. And I wasn't really cu curious about how you could be one because, well, you could be one. That, of course. I was more curious about how I could be one being such a good person as I thought I was. And... But I also knew that people, many people, did many terrible things during the 20th century. And the idea that I was somehow better than them, or that I should assume a priori that I was better than them, and that I wouldn't have made the same choices or worse had I been in the same situation, was a very, very, very dangerous supposition. And that we really needed to understand why it happened, and that perhaps we could go deep enough in that understanding which is, I think, what happens when you go deep into understanding, so that you could stop it. Because if you if you understand a problem, yeah, exactly. you solve it. You know, and at least in part, you I came it, to believe you have that. solved your problem. That's what yeah. the solution is. Yeah, yeah. It, essentially, he says something like, don't be that way. <laughs> how, did that be, how did that be a Nazi guard? Don't be that way. I think that's a verbatim quote. Let's see if it's verbatim. The problem was, as Solzhenitsyn said, that the problem is, is that the line between good and evil runs down every human heart. And I re was reading Jung at the same time, you know, and he believed that the human soul was a tree whose roots grew all the way to hell. This isn't big words also around in the full investigation yeah. of the shadow, which was... Oh, another blonde girl. The human side. Don't you just want to kiss those the, lips? It was bottomless, essentially. The, the, I have to have it. Was her. like an experience of hell. Look at her. And it's a romance book. Also struck me as he's the Fabio of, of academia. The way to stop those sorts of things from happening was to stop yourself from being the sort of person who would do it. Isn't that incredible? That's like the solution to genocide. Think about it. Sex that is the death. solution to genocide. Just don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Like there, there's, okay. So there, there's, there's, and that's the thing, like his entire philosophy, as we'll see like in later videos when he's talking about poverty and stuff like that, is so divorced from any kind of like deeper 
material reality. Like if you if you want to go back in time, right, and think about well, how could we have prevented you know uh, Nazi Germany from rising in power? Well, one of the things that you could have done is you could have prohibited corporations from doing business with these people. I remember reading like a, a book on Nazi German by uh, Stefan Zweig. And uh, he was like, one thing that I noticed that was incredible was little by little, you know, Nazi Germany became just larger and larger. We started seeing all these trucks on the street that we knew that we couldn't afford previously. What's going on? And this money had to have come from somewhere. It did not come from Germany itself. It was coming in externally. What is going on there? And we, I mean, we do the same things now, right? <laughs> like, 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 yeah, like we, 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 we arm Saudi Arabia because it's an ally. We arm Israel because it's an ally. We arm all kinds of dictatorships. We do essentially the same things materially that have you know functionally the same effect as you know a, a genocide would even if technically you know some of these things don't rise to the level of genocide the suffering is more or less similar so there's and there's no level of analysis like that in anything that he's saying much less like okay going back to like the Versailles Treaty like he's not ever going to go there for him history moves according to personal individual choices that people make and not a mass of human choices and a mass human probability space that will tend to play out similarly again and again and again and again as long as the variables remain the same right he's completely allergic to this kind of analysis now here's the here's the thing he he didn't make the video peterson i'm not going to claim he did but the, the the images that are being inserted in between his bone mose here are done by his fan obviously a fan did that this yeah. is what the fan is getting look at the images sex and death it's like a woody allen farce here because mm -hmm. We, we first we, we we get these come we go here we have had about i guess it was maybe 12 15 seconds of focusing on an attractive young female's lips all the girl needed to do was part or, or stick her tongue out and it would couldn't have been more blatant and then we get the images of the holocaust sex and mm -hmm. death sex and death this must be deep here because this is what is going on and whoever made this video whatever young male probably made this video and, and this is the kind of of black and white simplistic kind of stupidity that is that is generated by the people that listen to this guy and think this guy is intelligent think he's deep think he's saying something i mean we're now here a little over seven minutes in seven to there, there have to be close to 50 cliches here yeah let's let, let's just go through like the next five like without stopping and then just like okay. digest what, what happens who would even start to do it? Because the other Don't thing you learn when you learn about confused. atrocities of that sort, for me, it was a matter of understanding that the way to stop such things to, from happening, the way to remember properly is to understand that, boy in the that you could do it, that you could do those terrible things because the people who did them were like you. And that the way out of that is to stop being like that <laughs> what the fuck? and the way you stop being like that is by stop by ceasing to tell yourself lies that you don't believe in and that you know you shouldn't I act out. In my life oh my and, god you know and that's made a huge difference in my life for better or for worse i mean it it, it it was very uncanny experience i would say because it's very discombobulating to experience yourself as fragmented enough so that much of what you do and say is actually Light false. In the darkness. It's a point. lot of work to clean that up. 
a lot. But Just take a the wipe. consequences are, in principle, worthwhile. And so that was part of what Jesus Christ pulled me towards clinical psychology, staying away from Look minus, at that of, minus, minus the music, my, minus the great music. Law and from politics in general, because I started to believe that, and I think this is the great Western idea, the proper route forward for the redemption of the individual and for mankind as a whole is Redeemer. as a consequence of the redemption of each individual. And I truly believe that. Made this, this and I believe that Christ. that occurs as a consequence of adherence of to young the woman. And courage in Jesus, the face of fear—that's what right? Stand up straight with your shoulders back is to take on the onslaught and to enter the intense ring. A young and to do your, to do, and to do more than. Have all these people been white so far? I've just noticed that. Are they all of them yes. white? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You asked me about. You know, I've never really been into white blonde girls. So, like, maybe, maybe, if, maybe if they had some other types, I, I would be more into. Let's get best. some booty because your best isn't enough. Because your best isn't as good as you could be. You have to push yourself past that. And, and that's, as far as I can tell, where you find what this you is need the in life. You find the meaning that sustains you in life. And you find the <laughs> patterns of action that redeem the world. Both at the same time. Again, life is a very difficult business. You know, it's, it's fatal. And it's full of suffering. And it's, Another, now we're and it's a full of young. betrayal and malevolence. There's nothing about it that's trivial. It's all profound. And in order to find your 15, way through all of that, that, that capacity for hellish experience, let's a say, you need to develop a relationship with something that's profound. And you can. Uh, you have that capacity. And what could be more profound than the truth? And what would you rather have on yeah. your side? And you might say, well, that's yeah. obvious. And of course, everyone should do that. And then you need to know why you don't. And the answer is, well, the burns are still healing. It's like, well, you know, there's no shortage of deadwood to burn off. And, and there's no shortage of pain when the deadwood burns off. And that's what makes people afraid of the truth. And I so that guy was in a Holocaust. what's the decision that you make? You no, know, you decide to believe, you know, it's a risk. An existential That's a Nazi risk. guard. It's an active faith. Stomping his boots. You believe that the truth can set you free. You believe that people have an intrinsic divinity about this their like Baron von Munch. You decide that you're going to live in that manner and that you're going to let everything about yourself that isn't worthy of that goal die. And that might be almost everything that you are. And that's a terrible made thing to contemplate. Is ironically, just uh, the only thing that's worse is such a, a I would say is thought out the alternative set of images, but because the yeah. alternative is the sorts of hells. Well, 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 it's it's actually extremely well thought out in terms of getting people to like, getting people to subscribe, getting people from his audience interested in your channel, right? It's a perfect set of images for that, right? So we have to think like a businessman if we want to approach uh, well, sure, the, sure. the whys maybe, and wherefores maybe of, should, of JBP. Maybe, maybe I should uh, get a couple of porno star females to do some lesbian 69ing as intros to my video. I get a lot more hits, I'm sure. Uh, if if you notice in some of your videos, like how to write a sex scene with like a you know picture of like you know a half naked lady or whatever, uh, that those tend to get like fifty thousand views. Um, 
we managed to produce around us and that we produced with particular expertise during the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. And it would be a good thing if we decided collectively and individually not to go back there again. Dramatic. He's going to do this by the end of the video. Thank you. There he does. Tell me that this was not scripted, that he didn't have a plan for doing it there. Look, and look at the way he's looking down there. I mean, this, this is, this, he, I mean, he's better than Donald Thank Hall. Look at that. There you go. He, lo- he, yeah. he looks like a Catholic priest who just, who just molested a, a choir boy and now has got to go out and give the sermon. Hey. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, this is again, like, o- like Oprah level shit. Uh, you just switch the skin color, uh, you know, some of the assumptions, but it, you know, substantively, it's all the same garbage, right? It's all the same greed, it's all the same nonsense. And so, I don't see how you can say he's not a malignant narcissist because the video is evidence of, of the, the shallow sort of thinking that of the people he's trying to reach. That video is, is. Is, is a display of the malignance that propagates in the people who take him seriously are, are capable of. I mean, like we're, we're talking about how to prevent genocide and it amounts to little more than A, don't be like that. And B, um, why don't you just like, uh, uh, you know, not tell yourself lies like do you do you think hitler was like thinking that he was lying to himself like is that is that really it's just it's 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 just it's just so silly and, I, and if you purge yourself of genocidal thoughts there'll be a comely young 20 something blonde girl who'll be ready to fuck you and suck you yeah and, and you know and, good. And, and you know at, at the end again it's like if we could just collectively come together and decide well no fucking shit like is is that Anyway, um, let's 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 move on to the next one. So this his finest moment um, is this. Yeah, this is like a, more like on oppression type stuff. Um, so this is going to get a little more into material reality, but it, you know, in a way that um, kind of shows exactly what's lacking in his analysis. Um, and this one has this is from 2017, over a million views. So again, we're assessing his malignancy. I'm actually, I'm actually surprised. I, I figured he'd be in the tens of millions by now. I'm sure, I'm sure many are, but for the purposes of like what we uh, want to use, like okay. for this video, you know, these videos are uh, were probably more appropriate. But he definitely has videos that are like you know approaching those numbers. Definitely, it's a big problem here. The problem is, it's true. You're oppressed, you're oppressed, you're oppressed, you're oppressed. God only knows why. Maybe you're too short or you're not as beautiful as you could be. Or, you know, your parent, your grandparent was a serf, likely, because almost everybody's grand, great-grandparent was. It's like, you know, and you're not as smart as you could be. And you have a sick relative and you have your own physical problems. And it's like, frankly, you're a mess. And you're oppressed in every possible way, including your ancestry and your biology. And the entire sum of human history has conspired to produce... Yeah, yeah, look at those idiots just laughing. ...with all your individual (laughs) pathological problems. It's like, yes, true. Okay, but the problem is, is that it is true. And so if you take the oppressed, you have to fractionate them and fractionate them. It's like, you're a woman. Yeah, okay, well, I'm a black woman. Well, I'm a black woman who has two children. Well, I'm a black woman who has two children, and one of them isn't very healthy. And then... 
well, I'm a, I'm a Hispanic woman, and I have a genius son who doesn't have any money so that he can't go to university, and, you know, I had a hell of a time getting across the border. It was really hard on me to get my citizenship. My husband is an alcoholic brute. It's like, well, yeah, that sucks too. And so, well, so let's, let's, let's fix all your oppressive oppression. And we'll take every single thing into account, and then we'll fix yours too. We'll take every single thing into account. It's like, no, you won't, because you can't. You can't. It is technically impossible. First of all, you can't even list all the ways that... All right, so like what jumps out here is like, okay, so even if we were to concede that it's technically impossible to fix every single uh, oppression that exists right now, you know, overnight or whatever, you know, kind of straw man that he's setting up, you could reduce them as much as you possibly can. The, you know, this reminds me of this, like a, there's this guy that I know, this uh, Jewish guy, we meet up like, you know, once every year or so uh, to discuss Israel-Palestine and uh, lose our minds on each other and just argue, argue, argue. And recently we met up and, um, you know, he was making the point that, you know, if there, you have different groups that are, you know, have like different levels of oppression, um, at what point do you stop sort of supporting them? At what point do you say, okay, well, we've done what technically we're able to do and what technically we ought to do. Now you're on your own. And my answer, my answer is the following. Uh, historically and up to this day, the answer is we never, ever, ever stop. Because let's say, for example, that you have you know, uh, some kind of event that happens overnight. And overnight, the mortality, or rather the lifespan of uh, Black Americans or Jewish Americans or whatever, drops by 50%. Isn't it up to the state and collectively just all of society to do everything within their power to reduce that overnight change from 50% back to parity at a minimum? The answer I think most people would say is yes. And we constantly go around in life playing whack-a-mole with new forms of oppression, new forms of unfairness. I think, you know, in the next century, we'll probably see, you know, um, uh, you know, people that are physically attractive, like their privileges little by little being whittled away with because, you know, uh, so much of, of life is unearned privilege, right? Let me, and let me, yeah. Let, let me contextualize this outside of this. Um, it reminds me of the anti-evolutionist argument that... Uh, uh, and I couldn't have developed all by itself because it wouldn't serve any purpose. Yet, yet eyes have developed many times over. And of course, uh, you don't go from having no eye, eyes, you go from photoreceptor cells on, on the skin to eyes in maybe 100 to 500 to 1,000 uh, evolutionary steps. But of course, each step gets you a little closer and better. And that's what, what makes it. But you know, if you have if you have fifty percent of the the vision of a, a great eye, uh, you know, a human eyeball, uh, that's better than having twenty five or ten percent. He lives in such a black and white world; it's either all or nothing, and yeah. that's the same kind of, of faulty logic. Because if if someone is near the point of death and they're suffering from seven diseases, and you can give them a shot that gets them that they're uh, they're going to live but live poorly, but only have two main diseases, wouldn't you do that? You're never yeah. going to get him out of the wheelchair, let's say, if one of the diseases is polio. You're never going to. Isn't it better, though, that someone has less disease? We're, we're either going to have someone who's so far gone that they, they're going to be dead in three days, or we can make you, you know, uh, a paraplegic that will otherwise live a good life. Being a paraplegic is better than being dead. But that kind of that kind of 
logic does not fit vigor into his uh, world. And it, it, it's also self-contradictory, right? Because he makes a lot of videos like when we we're going to get into the next video is going to be a, 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 a like worldwide poverty, right? He's constantly making the claim that over time, humanity is improving, right? People, even if we have like, you know, greater numbers of like uh, uh, people in poverty now, the proportion is going down. And I, I do believe that, you know, within the next few centuries, we probably will not have something like we see today, which is like extreme poverty. That's probably not going to exist. But if, if, if what he's saying about that is correct, right? If we were to make that concession, well, doesn't it stand to reason that what I said earlier is in fact how society works. We constantly play whack-a-mole with these problems until we reduce them as much as we possibly can. Like what, what he doesn't get is, or rather, you know, maybe he does get it, but what his fans don't get is his function, right? And in, 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 in this world, right? And this kind of niche that he fills intellectually is let us while pretending like we're not doing it, let us do everything within our power to keep the status quo as is. If you want to make this kind of change, if you want to make that kind of change, don't do it. If you want to make a, a change to the tax code and do some sort of redistribution scheme, don't do it, right? It's all meant for status quo thinking. And, you know, Steven Pinker, obviously, he falls into this uh, as well. I did that show in Steven Pinker. Uh, it was like artifact number 13, I believe it was. But anyway, um, and, you know, he, he's fulfilling this niche really, really well. You know, uh, he's playing these word games not nonstop. And you see these you know, people in the audience. And I'm sorry, like, I shouldn't say this, but they just look so dumb. And they're just laughing at things that aren't fucking funny. And you could always tell, I think, you could always gauge a, a person's level of intelligence uh, to the extent that he or she laughs at things that clearly have no humor whatsoever. But anyway. That you're oppressed. Second, how are you going to weight them? Third, who's going to decide? And that's the bloody thing. Who's going to decide? That's the thing. Well, what's the answer in the West? It's like in free markets. Oh, yeah, Christ, we'll never be able to solve this problem. No one can solve it. What are we going to do about that? We're going to outsource it to the marketplace. You're going to take your sorry, pathetic being, and you're going to try to offer me something that maybe I want. And I'm going to take my sorry, pathetic being, and I'm going to say, well, all things considered... And he's like trying to create this parody between himself and these other four. Like, what fucking oppression does this guy face? Like, it's just it's just insanity, right? He's trying to create this equality between the two and essentially saying that, well, you know, because I can't do it for myself and I can't do it for you. We're not even going to try is really what this comes down to. Right. So much of it. As well as I can understand them, maybe I could give you this much money, which is actually a promise for that thing. And you've packed all of your damn oppression into the price. And I've packed all my oppression into the willingness to pay it. And that solution sucks. It's a bad solution. But compared to every other solution, man, it's why 10% of us have freedom. And so there, there's a tremendous illogic at the bottom of this. It's like... And where did he get this calculus? I mean... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's out of his ass. It sounds good, get, right? That's all it comes down to. This is one of the reasons that I, I try to avoid uh, when I argue with people, whether it's about Will Chamberlain or, or basketball or whether it's something a little bit more socially relevant. Uh, I try to avoid non just picking out these kinds of statistical kind of things because statistics lie all the time. You know, he's he's what? I, I think a year or two older than me. So he's probably pushing 60. He's he's born and raised in Canada. He's a white male. Uh, if he wasn't raised in Toronto, 
there's a good chance that he's probably before he became a professor, he probably knew like 11 non-white people in his life. Yeah. What, what kind of oppression could he have? He doesn't have to be a millionaire, but I mean, you know, what kind of oppression did he have? Is he Jewish? Is Peterson Jewish? I don't think so. No. Um, and yeah, th- th- this is kind of uh, you, like you sort of notice this like in like even at the beginning, like the examples that he was giving. Right. They they tend to be like such kind of in most of those examples, rather, they tend to be like really, really low stakes. Right. He's constantly making light of this idea of, of oppression, even though he pays lip service to the idea that, you know, it's actually, you know, it's so terrible and profound, blah, blah, blah. He's constantly making light of it uh, when it comes to the point of the dialectic where, you know, logically it would start to matter. Right. At that point, he wants it to not matter. Right. And he sets up the arguments to uh, work precisely in that way you have to fractionate the oppressed all the way down to the level of the individual but what if the individuals eventually form into a group that follow the same exact patterns of oppression and statistically follow enough patterns that you could create very good um you know predictions in terms of how the average in this population would play out like this is literally what we're talking about right this is what it, this is what it comes down to right? Like the, there is oppression at the level of the individual, but eventually they aggregate into a group, right? Oppression does not merely fall upon a person. It's felt by one person. But when we're talking about policies, when we're talking about making any kind of changes that matter, it's always going to be the group dynamic because the averages is ultimately what shapes society, right? It's not the choice of a person. And this gets to the heart of the whole critical race theory thing, because uh, no one is, no one in critical race theory who wants to just acknowledge it is saying that every black person has to end up, uh, you know, out of poverty. Every black person has to have a good marriage and, and, and family values and what, whatnot. But it, it, it's about recognizing the things that have been done and are still being done to certain groups, blacks, Native Americans, Hispanics, uh, gays, whatever it might be, and, and alleviating some of that to try to balance the scales. It's the very, it's, it, this is, this is a typical of someone who has had the scales in his favor, but goddamn, if we balance them a little bit, we're taking something away. Even, even if there's nothing materially taking away, percentage wise, in their, in their calculus, if someone comes up, up to them, they didn't earn it. It's like that fellow I said who was a boss. I worked hard for my, my what all I have. Other people didn't. I can guarantee you, not you, Alex, not that boss of mine, not me, and not Peterson. Not one of us, and I'm a goddamn hard worker. Not one of us has ever worked uh, a single day as hard as one day in the South Carolina sun in yes. 1840 as a slave. Yes. yes, yes. And, you know, for that reason, whenever people say stuff like, you know, I've earned it, I don't think there's like pretty much anyone living in the United States of America that has earned anything, right? Because the, the further that you go, like to some of these places where you got to work like 16 hours a day just to survive, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you get closer and closer to this idea of earning. And of course, you know, uh, uh, the issue there is not even so much whether or not, or not they earned it. They're not getting what they deserve, right? So they, they, they're, they're, they've earned a lot more than what they're getting. And, you know, the crazy part about all this is, you know, when you think of even modern conceptions of like what, what conservatives would, would claim today to be like their philosophy on life, a, a bedrock principle even today would be something like we can't have unequal consequences 
for equal behavior, right? That is a bedrock conservative philosophical principle. And yet all in society, all the time, we get unequal consequences for equal behavior. And the way that it works is, is as follows. If you are born into a bad situation, let's say, you know, as a group, right? Um, you know, black person, Native American, you're going to be born statistically into a group average that is not as good in terms of all kinds of outcomes compared to a white person. That's just the fact. On the individual level, what this means is you constantly have to work harder to get the same thing that other people that don't have the same obstacles end up getting. So we owe, we get again and again in society unequal consequences for identical behaviors. A girl that's 15 years old that's able to go get an abortion versus a girl that's 15 years old that's not able to get an, an abortion because she can't afford it or because it's too far away, they're going to have very different life outcomes, right? If you're able to be 15, get rid of a pregnancy, go on to college and live a normal life versus you're 15, maybe you have to drop out of high school and suddenly, you know, everything in your life changes again, but these are identical behaviors, unprotected sex, broken condom, whatever you want to call it, but unequal consequences. This ought to be a bedrock principle, but, but because this isn't even, you know, what Peterson believes, right? He doesn't really believe in this stuff. He's there to fulfill a status quo kind of thinking. Um, so he, he, you know, he's not even, you know, ironically, the past video, be honest with yourself. He's not being honest with his principles, even here. And you could tell even even to get more more uh, pointedly that girl that 15 year old girl that can't afford to get the abortion she's going to have different consequences than the 15 year old boy that knocked her up because yeah. the boy can walk away the boy yep. can pay her off the boy can can for years uh, demand uh, this that other. she's the one who's going to have to carry the fetus for nine months she's the one that's either going to uh, be stuck with in poverty as we know some people are uh, have done that. Uh, uh, she's the one that's going to have to make the choice to give the kid up for adoption or not, not, not him. So even, even there, uh, there's unequal choices, but this is, this is these conservative values that someone like him, uh, if you read the, between the lines, he's never, he's never going to be one of these people. He's not going to be a Mitch McConnell type. He's not going to be, uh, you know, one of the Rand Paul types, but he is in the same vein. He's just, He's just a slicker, more intelligent, more gussied up version of a Rand Paul. Yeah, and it's and, and someone that you know, like I think all politicians, in some level, like you know, uh, po like people that follow like the inner workings of politicians, in some ways, they're kind of like uh, the people that think they're too smart for like Justin Bieber celebrity gossip or whatever the fuck, right? This is all kind of you know, and 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 for Peterson, right? To him, it's like, well, I don't want to be a politician, but I want to be this kind of cultural warrior, right? I don't want to deal with the day to day bullshit of politics, but I want you know the spotlight on me. Right. I am narcissistic in that way. I have nothing. And the narcissism comes through not even because you necessarily want the limelight, but because you have nothing to contribute. Right. You could get the limelight if you've earned it. That's fine. Right. That's not narcissism. Right. That's recognizing, hey, I, I did something worthwhile. Yeah. Give me some fucking attention. Give me what I deserve. That's fine. But this isn't what's going on. Right. So. Oh, that's what the West figured out. You know, there's a couple of figures who at the mythological roots of our culture and you know, people get upset with me because I bring in religious themes, but I understand some things about mythology and religion. It's not an accident that the axiomatic Western individual is someone who was unfairly nailed to a cross and tortured. It's like, yes, right, exactly. 
So what do you do about that? Well, I thought about that for a long time too. It's like, well, you don't get together in a damn mob, because all that does is allow you to be as horrible as you could possibly imagine and suffer from none of the consequences. That's a bad idea. So how about we don't do that? Well, there's a deep idea in the West too. It's like, pick up your damn suffering and bear it. Okay, like so, so he essentially says, all these other uh, things that people might want to do, such as taxing the rich, such as, you know, uh, uh, ameliorating climate change in some way. So you don't have a fucking, you know, like three billion refugees, you know, within uh, half a century. What you have to do instead is you have to bear your suffering. If you're one of those refugees, you have to bear your suffering. And it's very easy, again, for him to say, because as you point out, there's nothing for him to bear other than a near-death experience because he got hopped up on fucking drugs, right? He has nothing else to bear, right? Like this is ex this is exactly his function. How can we in this like you know capitalist superstructure? How can we serve as the cog in this machine that tells people do not get together, do not make demands, do not try for kind of any kind of redistribution, but simply be proud of your suffering and bear it and walk with dignity, right? Well, they don't, they, someone like him wouldn't even acknowledge. He probably doesn't even know. What, when you know, I, and I've seen, not in any of these videos we have, but I know I've seen when he talks about socioeconomics and whatnot. I don't think he even realizes that when people talk about redistribution in a socialist context, that they're really talking about a secondary distribution because the first redistribution was from the masses upwards. Exactly, exactly. It's always been that way. It's it's always been bottom-up redistribution. The second, however, you try to say, well, let's now redistribute in the other direction. Suddenly that's impossible. And of course it's like, well, no shit. Those with all the power would indeed say after getting everything at the top, no, it's no longer possible. After proving that it's possible from the bottom up, now we can't do it the other direction, right? So yeah, and that, that's exactly, you know, that, that, that's that's part of, of this whole conservative grift. And try to be a good person so you don't make it worse. And you know, imagine saying that you're like, you could literally, this is exactly what people told black people 50, 60, 100 years ago. Don't make it worse for you. Don't don't get in a mob. Don't get together. What are you, what are you you're going to do a fucking slave rebellion? Don't make it worse for yourself. Accept the, 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 accept the slavery. Accept look, look, look. Look at his body posture. He's walking around, and and I almost I almost think he's gonna go up and stamp his feet like a like a little infant. I mean, yeah. he's having he, he's on the verge of a shit fit right here. Yeah, exactly. He is. Well, that's a truth. You know, I read a lot about he willikers terrible beans. things that people have done to each other. You just cannot even imagine it. Now he's so drawing the people in. I feel your pain. So you don't want to be someone like that. Now, do you have a reason to be? Yes. You have a lots of reasons to be. God, there's reasons to be resentful about your existence. Everyone you know is going to die. You know, you too. And there's going to be a fair bit of pain along the way. And lots of it's going to be unfair. It's like, yeah, no wonder you're resentful. It's like, act it out and see what happens. You make everything you're complaining about infinitely worse. There's this idea that just 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 imagine that how, how is this how is this considered like intellectual advice like li it's literally don't 
complain about your status in society even if it's unfair that's not even that's not even a conservative principle anymore this is like the most extreme right-wing radicalism imaginable and who who complains the most in society they say the far left the far right yeah. i won't even wear a mask to protect my fellow neighbor i thought yeah. i thought in the 10 commandments it's treat others as you'd want to, well, is that the goal treat others as you'd like to be treated the golden rule i'm not going to wear a mask i'm not going to get vaccinated if you die, fuck you. Yeah. Hell is a bottomless pit. And that's because no matter how bad it is, some stupid son of a bitch like you could figure out a way to make it a lot worse. So you think, well, what do you do about that? Well, you accept it. That's what life is like. It's suffering. That's what the religious people have always said. Life is suffering. Yes. Well, who wants to admit that? Well, just think about it. Well, so what do you do in the face of that suffering? You've got stomach cancer. What do you want, an Try operation? Just it. die. Decrease the surplus population. Start with yourself. The Ebenezer what Scrooge good are you? philosophy Get of life. Get yourself together for Christ's sake so that when your father dies, you're not whining away in a corner and you can help plan the funeral. And you can stand the University up University of Toronto so presents a Christmas carol starring Jordan B. Peterson. Did, did, did you hear this? Like, this is such fucking hypocrisy, given what transpired. Just listen to this. Away in a corner and you can help plan the funeral and you can stand up solidly so that people can rely on you. That's better. What, what about his fucking wife? What about his addiction? What about his family that was depending on him? What about all this other shit? He's fucking like in, an, in an, he's in a goddamn coma, almost dead somewhere in some fucking Russian, you know, a prison hospital of some sort of whatever it was. And he's giving, he's doling out all this life advice and it will be fine because this was years ago, but he's not squaring with this part of his reality today. He's not able to be honest with his fans. He's giving out such hypocritical advice. He's exactly, and you know, the reason why he's talking about other people's weakness and other people's anguish and other people's like, you know, Barrett, Barrett, Barrett. He's just pr projecting everything that he fears within himself. He fears that, that when it when it really comes down to it, he's not going to be able to bear it. And guess what? He fucking didn't. He got hopped up on drugs and he almost killed himself in the process. That's a fact. Okay. Oh, he wasn't able to bear it. He's exactly the kind of projection of, of weakness that he's imagining everyone else that is not in his position of power is. He's exactly that, which is why he's in, in a near tantrum here in the speech, right? Because he feels this about himself. It's so obvious. The two things that I take away from this video, we're halfway through it. I don't know if you want to go through it anymore, but uh, the first video we see that is sort of the benign sialism there because we, we see the kid or whoever made that video uh, that we're getting, that's the Oprah soft time. Yeah. Here, the, this, this video doesn't have those images, but when we see those three stooges sitting on the left there uh, and, they're, and they're, they're hiding or trying to hide the Snickers, the, the one guy isn't even really trying, uh, you, get the, you, you get the sense of, of this is the way these people really feel. They, you know, I've got mine, you've got yours, fuck you, ha, 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 I'm better than you. I mean, uh, th there's not even, I mean, it, it, if you really analyze this like, like we're doing, uh, how could you, uh, this is what it inspires, cliched videos, uh, images in the first, and, and a bunch of stooges sitting on the side laughing at everyone who's not white and male. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, in, in the last five minutes, we don't have to go through it, but in the last five minutes, he does uh, say something like the solution to all this is as follows, right? Which is kind of like a, a rehash of what he already said, which is transcend, 
make the suffering less, right? That's the verbatim quote, transcend, make the suffering less, right? Don't be a bad person. Don't be evil, transcend, make the suffering less. The problem with that advice, right? In terms to the extent that it could even be construed as, a, as advice is as follows. So he's a psychologist. He should understand what make the suffering less actually looks like in places with the most suffering. If you go to many places in the United States of America, there are tons of neighborhoods where the state has no reach. We're going to talk about this later when we talk about like police brutality. The state has no reach. There is a de facto state of anarchy, a state of nature. And in that situation, to make your suffering less means I can at any given second be a victim. And the only way in a state of nature for me not to be a victim is I have to be a parasite. I have to be the aggressor. I have to be the one that's on top because if I'm not on top, I'm going to be trampled upon. So ironically, this advice that he's doling out that he thinks is good advice to those people that need it the most, it's nothing more than a recipe for being a parasite, right? It's a recipe for being a predator upon your neighbors, right? Because there's no way around it. If there is no state reach, if there is no redistribution, if there is no improvement of material conditions, you cannot have anything other than a de facto state of nature, a state of anarchy where predation is the norm and the way that you avoid feeling like you're going to be trampled or feeling this kind of, you know, a prenatal pain that you carry before birth, during birth, after birth, whatever, is by trampling upon others. This thing that he claims that he wants to avoid, he's giving you exactly how to make it worse and worse and worse. And someone like him, there's only two things that watching the, even just these two videos so far is that either he knows what he's saying is bullshit and therefore he's a, he's a grifter, or he doesn't know what he's, he's saying uh, and the, the effects, the ramifications of what he's saying, and he's an idiot. So he's either a grifter or an idiot, which is worse. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think, and you know, it, it's, it is an open question, right? He definitely is acting in many places. We know that there's a, a line between the kinds of academic work that he was interested in back in the day and the kinds of interviews that he gave, like, you know, decade and a half, two decades ago versus who he has become now, right? Um, and there's other, other other facts like, you know, we, we know that he has not been honest with his audience about his recent troubles. So, you know, putting all this stuff together, I, I definitely lean on 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 Grifter. Right. But he, he is good with what he does in that sense. Um, and so we could get into. So this is like much even much more kind of like, you know, material reality. You know, it's titled uh, Truth About the Evil One Percent of Society. Um, this is more kind of like, this is, this is from a channel called success chasers, right? All the, the people with the fucking, you know, the Sigma grinds, the mentality rise and grind boys. We're going to, we're going to make it. And, uh, we're going to do it essentially by trampling on everyone else. I will say Jordan Peterson doesn't have the teeth of Tony Robbins. Look, how much more do you have than most people have? You know, you, you, need th you need to make $30,000 a year to be in the top 1% of the socioeconomic distribution worldwide. You know, you always hear about the 1%, right? The evil 1%. And they churn, by the way, because it's not the same people all the time. Of course, it's money like, isn't equally distributed. If you have 30 grand a year in the Philippines, you're living a high life that you, mm -hmm. you can't live in the U.S. 
You know, uh, even in Belize, for example, just just less than a thousand miles south of where I am in Belize in Central America, 30,000 years. I even read Portugal. You have 30,000 years. That's the equivalent of having 80 to 90,000 here in the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, and implicit in what he's saying is 30,000 actually is therefore not all that much. Like, doesn't this like naturally call to mind a explanation and uh, justification for some kind of redistribution if that is in fact the case. If we are living high off the hog and 30K a year in the top 1% globally, well, that must have come from somewhere, right? It did, it did come from the global south, uh, it, it, the, the number and of some- no, and, and of course, that, that ignores, I think there's something like 45 to 50 million people I read that are still in hunter-gatherer societies, whether it's that uh, yeah. island uh, it, off of Malaya where they, they're, they're still cannibals, whether it's Patagonian or Inuits. Uh, and, you know, there are people that are still not in the modern, uh, you know, 30,000. Uh, give me a spear, you know? Yeah. All of you here are in the evil 1%. And you think, well, that's not very fair because I was really only talking about within my country. My, well, that's convenient for you. You know, or it, it makes it really, really convenient argument for you. But if, you're, if, you're, but if your cutoff is 30,000 a year and yet you yourself are, you know, making something like 10 million, let's say for Jordan Peterson, isn't that convenient for you that your cutoff is 30%? I mean, it's, well, it's let's 30K. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm a little over six feet tall. And let's say I was uh, 25 again. I couldn't make it in the NBA. But if the Pygmy tribe had a basketball league, I'd be Will Chamberlain. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, all those other people, those foreigners, they don't count. If they're poor, who the hell cares? It's, 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 it's the Australians that matter. You know, and so, no, that's, that's, that's a non-starter, you know, and, and by historical standards, you're doing a hell of a lot better than the top 1%, I can tell you that. I read a nice article by a, a, a coalition called Human Progress the other day, and they were comparing the typical middle-class person who lives now with uh, Rockefellers in the 19, 1919s and say, well, would a you totally rather be a comparison because, yes, the Rockefellers lived better than 99.999% in their day. The fact that, for example, they could have gotten polio like FDR did, you know, that, that you, I mean, it's a ridiculous comparison. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like what I said earlier about, you know, playing whack-a-mole. Uh, people like Peterson, they want to essentially stop history, right, at some yes. sort of arbitrary cutoff point, right? And they don't care about the fact that, well, yes, you know, like a century ago, things would have sucked. Like I, I would have preferred to be born when I was born compared to, you know, a century and a half or compared to like being in the time of Crassus. Even if I could be Crassus, you know, I wouldn't want that billion in gold or whatever it was. I would prefer to be born today, right, and do the things that I can do today. But that that is only a valuable comparison if you're going to start with the assumption that history at some point ought to stop as opposed to what we do now, which is play whack-a-mole with whatever problem that comes up. Yeah. Class person now or Nelson Rockefeller in 1919. And the answer seemed pretty damn clear that, well, you know, if you were Nelson Rockefeller, then you would have been richer than anyone else. And there's something to be said for that status. Actually, right? I think because it was John Dean like Jr. Nelson wasn't born then. Well, he was a child, but... No. ...have more than others. It's a, it's a... I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but it is one of the things that we like. And so you'd have that. You'd be richer than everyone else. But there'd be all sorts of things that you have that now that 
Nelson Rockefeller wouldn't have had a hope of purchasing like the antibiotics that he would have needed to stop his son from dying. It, it's it's funny how he's like, he keeps harping on Rockefeller. Well, what about today? What can, for example, Jeffrey Epstein have that someone without billions of dollars can't have? Oh, what do you know? It's a fucking pedophile island where for like 30 years, no one is coming after you. And when they finally do come after you, you get a slap in the wrist. You serve like a year and a half in prison. And then only when there's more outrage a decade later, do you finally, you know, get prison again and then kill yourself right um yeah like why why not why why is this comparison like to the past right what about like today like what what, what can money buy you today that is an example of unearned privilege it's very well, obvious telling, what I, that is I, i'm telling you i'm glad that uh, unlike my norwegian forebears uh i'm i don't have to battle cave bears every day just to go fishing so yeah so so I, there I, i'm living the high life yeah exactly for example you know, just as a start. And so, so I think this, 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 this complaint about inequality, look, no one likes inequality exactly. You walk down the street, this is why I always get a kick out of people who protest. Uh, I'm against poverty. It's like, really? You're against poverty. And, and you think that's a unique enough attribute so that it was worth your time to make a sign that said that you were against poverty and show other people. It's like, I've never met, I've never met anyone that was for poverty. Like, this is such a, like a fucking like word game and a conceptual game. I mean, like, just think about the fact that like in this video and in the previous video, we know, for example, that, okay, so he'll never say that he's for poverty, but Peterson, just like many people in the West, they are number one, you know, they believe that being born with obstacles does not entitle you to have them taken away. He believes that. He says the world's unfair. Grin, grin and bear your suffering, right? Do not, do not make a commotion. Do not get into a mob. Do not do anything about that. So we know that that is uh, the fact. We know that people in the West enjoy something like $150 trillion of value that we've extracted over the past century from the global South. That's from their pockets into our pockets. And then you look at the differences between the North and the South and everything seems to make sense. Um, and, you know, like we collectively decide on all kinds of red lines not being red lines. To go back to the example of the friend that I meet up like once a year or so, um, uh, you know, he was asking me about, about homelessness, right? We have something like 500,000 or maybe close to a million technically uh, of homeless people in the United States of America. And it's true that you could get into like all kinds of policy debates like, okay, how can we reduce it? What are like a thousand things that we need to do to make it better? But the bottom line is as follows. Before you even like get lost in the weeds there, the bottom line is this. We collectively as a society decide that there ought not to be some large pot somewhere with enough funding to ensure guaranteed housing, not a shelter, right? There's perfectly valid reasons for why homeless people don't want to live in shelters. I uh, volunteered in shelters in the past. If I were a homeless person, I would not want to live in the shelter. But we collectively decide that there should not be some big enough pot of money somewhere that is then used to construct actual housing for people, enough housing that they never have to be homeless. Who knows what the cost is going to be? Maybe it would be 
billions of dollars. Uh, maybe it's going to be give or take a few, but we make that decision. So you could say that, oh, no, 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 none of us are technically against poverty. That's insane to say, but in your actions and in the policies that you support and the status quo that you think is perfectly fine because in the past, you know, Crassus could have fucking died of the plague and you don't have to, you still are exactly taking on the actions and the policies that mean that that poverty is okay that suffering is okay that homelessness is 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 acceptable in terms of not having a red line there yeah two things uh, number one i think you mean creases uh C-R-O-D-E-S. oh yeah yeah, yeah, cre- yeah, yeah. creases uh and i would i would actually argue against you in that i i think there are people who have willingly and knowingly been agents of impoverishment no, I, I, I agree. I, 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 no, I agree. I, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Robert I agree. Moses, Robert Moses, who 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 replanned New York to, to to build the subways or what not, he he mowed down homes. Guess what? In middle class blacks, uh, black areas, blacks were doing quite well in nineteen teens uh, and through the Harlem Renaissance. They bulldozed that, and that became the model in many big cities, from Boston to D.C. to St. Louis. Uh, to Philly, to Cleveland, to Chicago, all the way out to LA. It, it was an absolutely, it was, it was planned down to the plat maps yeah. the, uh, of what they wanted to do. So it, yes, I think a lot of the stuff you can say is just a consequence of people's greed and the people in charge are going to filter it up and there's not an absolute plan, but there have been, and Robert Moses and, and, and the the, the building uh, and rebuilding of American cities in the last 120 years has absolutely been a planned uh, assault on uh, non-white uh, uh, riches. Yeah, I, I think this is true. Um, you know, I, I just basically, like when I go through a lot of the stuff, I like to concede, you know, uh, the, the argument on its face and then just, you know, go into like, what exactly, you know, do we mean? Because there's, you know, like there's plenty of people, for example, in, you know, let's say like liberal organizations, right? Let's say you're working for like a, a typical, you know, like an NPR, like whatever the fuck, right? You could say, for example, you know, stop Asian hate. I hate, you know, this, like all this, like violence against like Asian people, blah, blah, blah. But they're not going to like, they're not actually going to be in favor of, for example, like changing the tax code that would force them to pay more in taxes that would actually prevent some of this kind of stuff from happening. They would never be okay with like a forced desegregation regime that would move all these people into neighborhoods like mine. They would never want to fight. They would never want to do it. Even in your lifetime, Alex, in the 1980s, when you were just a, a bouncing baby, there were people who did not want to fund research to ameliorate AIDS. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, like it's, it's it's this kind of odd thing where like, I think generally speaking, it is true that if you're, if you're going to come up to any person on the street, like, are you into poverty? You know, are you for or against poverty? They all have very clear answers, but there's a huge difference between that, right? Which is kind of what he's arguing for. The concession that I made is to this like utterly superficial level of argument that he's making. But when you break, you know, when you really break it down, Many of these people would not be willing to uh, do the kind of sacrifices that would, you know, be necessary for uh, the changes that they claim that they would want to make to, you know, ameliorate poverty, for example, right? You know, you walk down the street with someone who's pretty well off, you know, and they've got 1920 spats on and a bowler and they're feeling pretty damn rich and a stockster certificate sticking out of their back pocket. And, you know, there's a homeless person there and they give them a good kick and they say, the more poverty, the better. 
It's like, no. You know, when people walk down the street and you see homeless people, and they're often, homelessness is a complex problem. Like you think, well, See, like, like starting with this fucking absolute, like, like, like starting with all these like slates of hand, like what do you mean by it's a complex problem? Like the level of complexity is as follows. You don't think there ought to be a big pot of money somewhere that we all collectively pay for that builds housing for everyone that needs it no matter what. Even if you want to be a junkie for the rest of your life, which is what he talks about, you still have a place to go shoot up you know, alone in your own apartment somewhere. You think that that's not acceptable. There's no, like, anyway. And, and the Almost thing is, this gets back to UBI, which we, which we talked about before, and I've done some shows on. Uh, there was just a study this year, just early this month, uh, when four or five uh, project, uh, or, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, cities that they were doing tests on, where they get, they did dig out uh, universal basic income to people. And, and, the overwhelming numbers, the, the, the people, more people were employed by the end of the, the year test because they were getting money because they had the time to look for jobs. Yes. And the idea, the idea that maybe there's five or 10% of, of these poor people who will piss their money away like those lottery winners who are impoverished and they get $10 million and they piss it away. Yeah. How many fucking rich people piss away their money? How many billions has the Trump family pissed yes. away? Yes. Exactly. Um, and, you know, like, like when you think about something like UBI, right, uh, this kind of a drip, drip, drip of money and that like, I, I don't like when you think about something like reparations, I don't want to say something like, you know, there shouldn't be a lump sum because th that seems extremely, you know, pretentious. Uh, to say like uh, like who who would I be to say to a black family you don't deserve a lump sum because statistics show that you would just waste it. It's true that most lottery winners end up like you know being bankrupt within like five ten years. I think that's true, but when you look at something like a UBI, you know this this drip 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 of money is very useful. You know it doesn't uh, allow you to do the kinds of you know worst choices that you could possibly make if you suddenly you know inherit money or like whatever it might be, uh, but it does give you what you need like it allows you to get to the next point it allows you to and, have the time to get to a job interview it and, allows you to buy money so you could get close for a job interview and the thing is giving people money doesn't scale in this manner if i'm poor and i get money and i piss it away well you know you're too stupid you piss it away but if you're a trump if you're a musk if you're a bezos who lost money for uh, 12 15 years before he ever made a cent supposedly you know what? You, you turn around and, and go to the bank and say, well, I pissed the money away, but you're on the hook. So you're going to give me more money. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, a yeah. poor person doesn't have. So it's not it, this is people. They don't even understand, for example, gra uh, a graduated income tax. You know, the same thing applies when it comes to money going up in terms of what you can extort from banks. Because, you know, if, if I've only got 10,000 in the bank and I get another 10,000 UBI and I piss that 20 grand away, the bank isn't going to reimburse me, but they will reimburse a, a, a Musk or a Bezos or a Trump. Yeah, just think about how much cushion, you know, someone like a, a Jeff Bezos has, right? He could theoretically, like when he started Amazon, he was like, trust me, guys, we're not going to be profitable for a while, but eventually we're going to be really, really profitable. We're going to take over the world. And guess what? It turned out to be true. But for that to happen, 
he had to have received a ton of trust from investors, from banks. They're like, you know what? We're gonna, you know, we're gonna take a chance on you. We're gonna keep funding this. We're gonna, but nobody on the street would ever get that kind of cushion. Like, imagine, like, imagine, like, like for for uh, uh, Peterson, if a homeless person fucks up again and again and again, right? They're not gonna extend this for five years or 10 years or 20 years of credit worthiness, right? If you have a chance and you piss it away, guess what? You don't get a second chance. You don't get a third chance. But these other people, uh, they do, right? Which is, again, it goes back to this conservative uh, bedrock principle of we can't have unequal consequences for identical behavior. And yet, again and again, we seem to be having this unequal consequences for identical behaviors. That's the norm, and that's the norm. That's the thing. They try to make it as if that's the outlier when it, that has been the norm and historically been the norm going back to Croesus. Croesus yeah. kept, when, 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 uh, oh, which one of the greats, Croesus, uh, 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 was it, uh, it wasn't Sargon. It was, it was, I, I think it was, uh, uh, Cyrus the Great. Yes, yeah, Cyrus the Great. When Cyrus the Great took over Croesus's territory at the tip of Anatolia, you know what? He 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 literally, uh, and this is this is documented. He said, you know, we're going to keep Croesus in charge, and he and and all of the losses that Croesus suffered, Croesus's uh, coffer was filled back up by the Persians because Croesus knew how to deal with his people. They kept him in charge as a figurehead. That's the way it works. So it's worked from Croesus on. Since you brought up Croesus. And, and, you know, another thing that, um, you know, his audience definitely wouldn't get this. And people like really don't get this in general is when you do start acquiring more and more money, the room for error is just so, like, it's astronomically higher. It's not a linear progression. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's an it's exponential growth, right? It is, it is abs- like the amount of things that you could get away with, the amount of fuck-ups that you could be a part of and literally never, ever, ever feel them. You know, it's, it's, it's really insane, right? But, you know, if you're not, if you don't, if you don't really think about like the logic of, of capitalism, right? You don't think about the logic of how power tends to concentrate and you don't think about, you know, the kinds of justifications that always come, that always come from the top down right um you know this is just going to go over your head so anyway like watch what he says about homeless people people are poor it's like yeah yeah man that's like one problem they have out of 50 and like i've worked with poor people you know in my clinical practice and poor in multiple dimensions and many of them you gave them money they were just done especially if they were like alcoholics and cocaine addicts. As long as they were broke, they had some hope of living through the next month. But as soon as their unemployment check showed up, man, they were face down in the ditch three days later, right? Is it, but isn't that Peterson's own life example? He was fucking able to be strung out on his drugs in Russia. He didn't even have to stay in Toronto. He could take a little fucking trip and do it in Russia, right? Where they where they could accommodate him in exactly the ways that he wanted to be accommodated with his addiction, right? He's allowed to do that because he has money. And he's a perfect example of this, but this is not only acceptable for him, it's also acceptable for him not to be honest about it after it in fact happens. But these well, other people, because they're down in a ditch, because look, here, here they're down in a ditch. Superficially, they look different than Peterson. Peterson is in a fucking coma in a suit somewhere. These guys are down in a ditch. This image is supposed to make you feel less bad for them. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know his personal life, uh, unlike you. So I, you know, I can't comment on that. But I, what I will say is, he makes the assumption that uh, he says poverty is one of fifty things wrong with them. But how many of those fifty or forty-nine other th- things stem from poverty and poverty from birth? If exactly. You're born poor in Appalachia, and even if you're white in Appalachia and you're born poor, you know, you know, there's a stereotype of hillbillies that's still there, and in some ways is, is quite valid. They never get. I can. I live right on the edge of the hill country here in Texas. And I can tell you, there are there are dumb white folks that are as poor and as ignorant and as strung out on drugs as any black guy in a, a Chicago projects. And, and um, you know, like we, we had like another example like during the 2020 election, right, where uh, uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, right? Perfect example. You know, here's a guy that has a lifelong, you know, uh, uh, issue with drug addiction. And uh, I, I was—I remember arguing about this with my friend, and he was like, "Oh, you know, like, 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 watch this. He has this addiction. He has X, Y, Z wrong with him, and yet he has like all these other jobs." And I was like, "No, if you have enough money, guess what? You don't have an addiction. You've never done heroin. You've never had any of these issues because if you have money, that wipes the slate clean, even if." Factually, those things are issues that you dealt with. It no longer matters. You're still allowed to go get a job somewhere in Ukraine. You're still allowed to sell your paintings and launder money in that way. You're still allowed to do things that this guy face down in the ditch is not allowed to do because he has no cushion to do it. And yet he would never, ever advocate for eliminating the cushion from someone like Hunter Biden. He would never advocate eliminating the cushion from himself. From himself, He wants to be able to be strung out in Russia. He wants he to can, be able to do what he does. And it can be celebrated long before you were born when Jimmy Carter was president. He had a brother named Billy Carter. Now, this was before the big money thing, but Billy Carter was a drunk. Billy Carter was a national joke. If you look up Billy, uh, the younger brother, he's long dead for 25, 30 years now. But Billy Carter was a national joke. And you know what they did to him? They they made Billy's beer. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Billy, Billy, yeah, it was like Duff beer from the, the Simpsons. Billy, Billy Carter, it only lasted for a year or two. But the fact that, is this guy who is a, a knockdown drunk, who was a national joke for the uh, brother of the president, got got that opportunity that if he had been able to straighten his life out, he could have made millions there too. So the opportunity has come, whether that person is capable of it or not. Yeah, exactly. Nothing but cocaine and alcohol with all their idiot friends for three days. And then they'd show up back in my practice saying, you know, God, I relapsed again. Said, well, what happened? Well, my money came in. It's like, yeah, money's really going to do you a hell of a lot of good. It'll just kill you faster than poverty. Right. This is the perfect justification for let's keep you in poverty. It's just, it's, it's, it's so obvious what is happening. This is such like how Mother Teresa, suffering is good. Suffering is good. It brings you closer to Christ. It's, it's just insane how people could listen to this and not understand the implications. Now, not that there's anything good about poverty, but it's not like these are simple problems. You, know, you walk down the street and you see someone who's been an alcoholic for 20 years and maybe they're addicted to methamphetamines as well, or maybe they're schizophrenic. It's like it isn't an equal distribution of monetary resources that are, is the primary cause 
for that problem and it isn't going to well to the extent that they're strung out on the fucking street dying of diseases it is hunter biden isn't in a fucking ditch somewhere you know with like uh you know all these like marks and possible hiv right from shooting up heroin like that's really the difference right you could you could be a, a functional junkie or you could be a homeless junkie who does not have any cushion to be functional to the extent that hunter biden is functional i mean he's able to have a job he's able to paint right like what why does he get to do this and nobody else can to be some sort of straightforward redistribution that's going to fix it because it's way more complicated than that so let's not do anything let's not do anything right if we can only solve 75 or 80 percent of uh, of the poor's problems well it's all or nothing yeah exactly Radical types, they follow Marx and they say, well, one of Marx's dictums was that capital Smith. tended to accumulate in the hands of fewer and fewer people. And that's right. That's true. Wealth and capital, income for that matter. But not only that, whatever it is that you might like to have accumulates in the hands of smaller and smaller numbers of people. It's a principle that was discovered by an economist named Pareto, Vilfredo Pareto. And he pointed out something that had been pointed out in the Gospels, by the way, thousands of years earlier, which was, to those who have everything, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, everything will be taken away. The rule being, once you start to succeed at something, the probability that you will continue to succeed ever more rapidly increases. Uh, I'm not sure if you had the same response to this part as I did, but this is such a, it's such an abuse of uh, the Matthew principles, what it's called, right? Um, and it, it doesn't just appear in the book of Matthew, it appears uh, in, in uh, I think, Luke as well. But basically, um, so, so first of all, the way that he phrases it, once you start becoming successful and you see like in the image in the background, right? It's like, uh, I don't I guess it's a guy I thought it was a woman at first uh, driving a car with sunglasses and it's clearly successful like he is he's talking about this in terms of this definitely is earned privilege right not you're you not you're sitting on money that's like generational wealth not anything like that this is earned privilege privilege not you've taken money from the commons not you know the wealth that you got you paid less and less in taxes you know relative to what you acquired it's just this kind of generic success that we can express through this, uh, 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 you know, like generic image of like a successful person driving yeah. a fast car, right? Here's the, here's the thing, though. Uh, I never heard of that Matthew effect before you mentioned it. But his whole his whole propounding here is that that, uh, uh, well, it, it, it's basically saying that that money is a good thing, but it's only good for those who can handle it. Now, the thing with, with, with uh, uh, the money thing is I've met, mentioned many times about we need a different kind of uh, currency other than pelf. Um, yet he's talking about all, all of these, you got to get yourself, you take, I'm not going to be like that or whatnot. All of this stuff that has nothing to, to do with wealth. But if he really believed that, why is he so focused on, on, on the, financial, the financials of life? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, he's giving away his, his real intent by always, in, in this and many other videos, talking about success being equated with financial success. Yes, yet he'll yes. then he'll then go back and he'll say, you know, that's not going to help the guy who who got a a little shit uh, uh, you know check from uh, uh, welfare and then blew it all on uh, speed or whatnot uh, or whatever drug it might be. 
that, but, but he's not, there, there is a cognitive dissonance that he has with all of this, that he doesn't seem to realize it. I want, I want people to, to ameliorate and whatnot, but they have to do it without the, the financial benefits. Whereas we, my people, if, if you're white, you're rich, you're Canadian, and, and you're born with a silver spoon or even just a brass spoon in your mouth, we don't have to suffer that. We, you know, it's, it's the classic thing that was said about George W. Bush when he ran for president. He was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. Yeah. Um, like if, if Peterson was not rich, he'd be fucking dead from his addiction based on the story that I heard. If Hunter Biden was not rich, he'd be fucking dead at this point. Right. And that that's just kind of the reality. And I mean, like just, just back uh, briefly to this uh, Matthew effect. I mean, and that's another thing that like, he has this like. He claims that he's religious, uh, that he's like kind of like, I guess, like a follower of Jesus or whatever that he says, uh, I guess, in, so, in some way, in some vague way. Um, but like he, he's turning this potentially unearned privilege, right, which is wealth, into uh, an individual decision with some like level of moral force, right? You, you got to work hard to be successful. But if you actually go to uh, the biblical story where this is this appears, um, uh, it's basically a parable of servants, right? They're giving respectively three, two, and one bag of gold for safekeeping by a noble. Uh, the nobleman returns, uh, uh, two of the servants double the gold, um, and uh, another servant hides it in a ditch. And this is how, uh, this is what happens. Uh, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Okay, so in this parable, the servants double the master's money by going to like a bank, right? By engaging in usury. Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament is constantly in conflict with these types of people. He's constantly saying that this is unearned wealth and unearned privilege. By the time that Muhammad comes around, it gets to the point where he's taking, Muhammad is taking Christ's words so seriously that in Islam, you ban, you know, these kinds of like financial instruments. You're not allowed to have them because this is what Jesus said. So in the parable, like, and I, I find this like just so wonderfully said, right? You're a hard man. You're harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And then he gives them the gold and says, this is what you gave me originally. And therefore, this is the only thing that still belongs to you. This is actually what's in the Matthew effect. It's about unearned wealth. It's about unearned privilege. And while he's like going around virtue signaling as a Christian, he's completely abusing these things. Like if you have any passing familiarity with this stuff, and I used to be a religious Christian, so I, I guess I'm more familiar with this, but he's just a fucking pretender. Like you could tell that he's a pretender. He doesn't even know what he's talking about at the same time claiming that this is like some of the most like the deepest philosophy that drives him personally. And it clearly doesn't. I, I know, I, is, is Peterson a more fundamentalist kind of Christian? Or I, I don't know about his personal... I, I, I think he's more kind of like, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, let's just call him like vaguely Christian, right? Like not, not, maybe not strictly, but, you know, he would say that he believes in Jesus or something. Mm. 
or, you know, like whatever, something like that, but like whatever, like, but even if you're not a Christian, like what, you can't fucking like read about the Matthew principle. You can't, you can't go to the primary source and like not lie to your audience about what it, what it's about anyway. So there's expo there's an exponential function with regards to success, but there's also an exponential function with regards to failure. There's also an exponential function, not in success, but simply sitting on capital. Like that's also what he's missing. So failure and, and success aren't like this. They're like this. Fail, fail, die. Succeed, succeed, succeed ridiculously. Like it's this weird curve. And, and it's funny because it doesn't just characterize economics. It's, it's a really fund, it looks like a really fundamental economic law. I was actually quite shocked when I first learned about this, which was only about 15 years ago, because I thought most things were normally distributed. It turns out that that's not true. Um, now, anyone who has ever been to court can tell, tell you just what he said there. The fact mm -hmm. that he, the fact that he said that he only found out about that 15 years ago, yeah. let's say this was five years ago, so he would have been in his mid to late 30s, shows you how well insulated he has been from reality. Right there, he's saying, I am out of touch with the real world. Yeah. I mean, lifelong academic in Toronto, right? Like, you know, putting all these things together, you, you'd sort of, and that's the thing that like, he's so exactly like all, all his like shit talking about academia, he is exactly the problem with academia. Creatively isn't normally distributed. A small proportion of people produce most of what's of value. And th this is interesting. So he goes from this kind of, you know, financial argument to just when it comes to human creativity, a small number of people produce most of what's value. So look, before we get to what else he's saying. Well, well, I mean, is it even like literally true? Because like to the extent that, but, you know, let's say most people in the world, uh, global south or whatever, they are, you know, the ones that are, you know, uh, you know, uh, picking crops. They're the ones that are mining for precious metals, right? They're the ones that are doing the grunt work. There are people in the United States, you know, they're sanitation workers. They work in, um, you know, uh, they work in uh, 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 grocery stores. So that's kind of like the like day-to-day -day value of like what's necessary to survive. It seems like there is this kind of majority that is producing the majority of day-to-day -day value, right? Outside of the, the more kind of abstract stuff, they're producing the day-to-day -day value that allows people like Peterson to live in the first place, right? To have uh, you know a base uh, you know of an audience that he has that's able to throw money at him. Those other people on the bottom, they're producing all that value, and in exchange, they're getting the least in return compared to everyone else. When so, and, and then when he gets to the more kind of abstract stuff, it, it's just as problematic. It doesn't matter what it is, and you know this. It's like how many books does Stephen King sell? It's like half the books, <laughs> right? And then, then there's the next guy after Stephen King, and no one even knows who he is. And he sells like one-tenth as many books as Stephen King. And then there's author number 50, and out of the thousands and thousands of offers, and he's barely scraping by. And then there's the bottom 99.9%, .9 and they can't make a living writing. But like, think about how, so he begins the statement by saying, a small fraction of people produce the majority of human value. He moves it to Stephen King and he's back. He's not even talking about like whether or not this is quality writing. He's not assessing the quality of Stephen King. He's not assessing the quality of these other books. He's only assessing how much are they able to sell.
right? Because, so he, because he, he can't escape this. Success, what he, success by him is measured simply by exactly. health, by by, yeah. by money. That this is this is basically an infomercial that reveals what he really feels about what real life success is. Yeah, he, he just he just can't escape this logic anywhere that he goes. Even when you think that he's going to be talking about something abstract, right? Creative value. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that really mean? He can't fucking help himself, and he's back to well. How many books did this guy sell? That's really what's the value, right? And that's how it is. And it's the same with musicians, and it's the same with 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 athletes. You know, if if you look at number of goals scored, for example, in hockey, I'm a Canadian, so I'll use that. There's a small percentage of absolutely phenomenal hockey players, even in something as amazing as the National Hockey League or any professional sports league. You know, you you have to be one hell of an athlete to make it in a professional sports league, and still you get this tiny group of superstars who are way better at it than anyone else. I think it's ironic, um, or maybe it's not ironic. It's probably very telling that, you know, sports is one of the few places in life that is, you know, I don't want to call it a pure meritocracy. There's plenty of people that, you know, uh, could have been, let's say something, and yet they never got the opportunity to, but it's much closer to a meritocracy than some of the other institutions that we have. And yet it's also one of the uh, easiest things to quantify, right? Like when it when it comes to like, you know, uh, figuring out like who's the best basketball player, who's the best hockey player, you could look at some objective me metrics and come away, you know, in a way that's kind of inarguable, right? Um, and, you know, this is one of the few things that tends to be a meritocracy, something that is like so simple and easy to measure. Um, you know, and, and so there's this weird rule that as you get more, Getting even more gets easier. And who knows why it is exactly. Partly it's practice. but And it characterizes all sorts of situations. Like, it characterizes the size of planets. A small number of planets have almost all the mass. It characterizes stars the same way. It characterizes biomass in the, in the, in the so uh, Amazon social, jungle. Social theory to to you know hard signs there's, there's a fundamental yeah, yeah. different difference between charting the career of wayne gretzky and the fact that the sun makes up 99 percent of the mass of the solar system but there's you still but, but but there's still a connection right that he's not privy to or maybe that he is but he's sort of keeping from his audience and it's as follows if you want to make this kind of you know argument in physics it seems to me like you know even when you like break it down to like pure you know like behavior of like masses in, in the cosmos uh, there is this kind of rent-seeking behavior, right? And power and mass and everything tends to aggregate together. If that is in fact the case, and we know that this is in fact the case, and we know that this has little to do with whether it's earned or not, this is simply, you know, basic rent-seeking behavior that we could see anywhere. Shouldn't we do something to change that? Because we are like not merely lumps of mass. We actually do have some, you know, level of freedom, some level of individuality. Well, 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 according to him, so uh, uh, economic. Economic theory is no different than gravity. It's a fundamental force. What he's trying yeah. to do here is equate that things are the way they are, and you can't do it. You know, if you jump up, you're going to fall. You come back down. That's just the way it is. We can't change it.
Yeah. Um, It's amazing to me, though, how like little by little, like it is fascinating to watch how, you know, all this like economics as a science bullshit has been, you know, very much chipped away at. Right. You know, people still believe it. There's still people that believe shit like, you know, uh, efficient market hypothesis. There's no way that you can make money trading. There's no way that you could do X, Y, Z because the academics say it. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, but little by little. Right. We are. But still, there's people like Peterson. Right. People that are still, you know, the conservative mindset, they can't help but try to view things in scientific terms that are useful to them and then renege on science, renege on, you know, any kind of metric like this when it's no longer uh, usable for them. And obviously everybody does that, right? Like liberals do the same thing, right? They they, they don't want to look at science uh, when it's not useful for them. By, by making it such an inapt comparison, say, with the economic theory to gravity, you, he wants to be able to say, say, listen, jump up, jump down. You understand gravity? Yes, Jordan. Yes, Jordan. Yes. Now, this is the way the ec- economics work. It's just as plain. Don't you see it? Yes, Jordan. Yes, we see it too. Yes. You know, it, it, um, it, it, it's a false equation that's that's meant to, to get just easy, easy huzzas. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, it, char- it characterizes city size. A small percentage of cities have almost all the people. It's like, what? What was that? And then, then you go back ten thousand years, and and these same people are going to be like, oh fuck, like these like goddamn blue state, you know, liberal like bicoastal elites, right? And obviously, yes, this is a problem. It is a problem that power has so concentrated into the coasts, into the cities. This is exactly what conservatives have been arguing about, and yet when it's something that's useful to them, right? Let's break this apart. Let's make it no longer the case. Then it's possible. But here, you know, it's trying to, he's trying to make it ironclad, right? He he doesn't even see how these arguments can be used all the way in the other direction to say exactly the things that he's not arguing for. And he's not willing to show that to his audience. You look at a Paleolithic gravesite and you see what people are buried with. And like there's one guy, there's two guys there, he's just covered with gold, right? There's, the, the gravesite is insanely rich and everyone else has like a bone and it's theirs and that's it, you know? And, and so you analyze Paleolithic gravesites, you see exactly the same Pareto distribution. A small number of people are buried with all the wealth and almost everyone else has none. And so it's this unbelievably deep proclivity of resources to distribute themselves unequally. And you know this too, because you play games like Monopoly, right? You, this is a very funny comparison. You all play Monopoly. What happens when you play Monopoly? You all start out equal, right? Exactly 100% equal. And you all have an equal chance of winning because it's basically a game of chance. Not entirely, because you can play stupidly, but you know, but but you can only play so intelligently because you're at the mercy of the dice. And what happens inevitably is that some evil capitalist ends up with all the money and all the hotels and all the houses and just like takes you out. And like we made Monopoly. Does he like not understand this? We invented the game of Monopoly. We invented the fucking rules. Okay. Like in the, in the same way that everything else that he's talking about is to the extent that human beings are refusing to intervene in such things, they are also inventing those rules. If you are happy in your position of power, you're not going to try to rock the boat. You're not tr- going to say, let's rewrite the rules, right? So it's a game of monopoly that, again, 
you have written the rules and to the extent that you're not doing anything about that, you keep making sure that the rules stay as they are. Like it's, it, these are such bad examples. Like it's just incredible that people don't see this though. And yet you play and you don't think, oh my God, you know, there's something fundamentally unfair about that. Or, or maybe you play non-competitive Monopoly where after every round you redistribute the money so everyone... He's like, what a piece, like, what a piece of shit. <laughs> now, the problem with Karl Marx, as far as I'm concerned, is that he was nowhere pessimistic enough. It's like, no, you can't blame inequality on capitalism. In fact, capitalism is pretty good at ameliorating inequality. Like, there's still plenty of inequality in capitalist societies, make no mistake about that. And you can make some claim, although it's a tricky one, that, it's, that some indices of inequality have increased over the last 20 years. It depends on how you measure it, because it's complicated. Because Again, it's complicated. It's not fucking complicated. We're approaching medieval era levels of inequality, and he wants to uh, sit around calling it complicated. You know, even poorer people now have access to, well, let's say iPhones, which have more computational power than the entire system that put the Apollo 11 on the moon, which is, you know, for $600, which isn't a bad bargain. Um, so it's, so like it's not that easy. You can take 5% of the grain I give you and grow some stuff for your family. So don't, don't complain, complain that, that all your work is going to the master. It's not that easy to do those economic calculations, but... One of the things you can say about capitalism and about private property and about the idea that people have a right to what they earn and a right to what they own is that it's pretty damn good at generating wealth. And the wealth isn't equally distributed by any stretch of the imagination, but a fair bit of it goes to the bottom. What is a fair bit of it, right? It's like these weasel words. What does that mean? What is a define a fair bit? Is it fair that 90% of uh, the world population lives under $10 a day? Like, is that like, okay. does that, like, what does that mean? And the bot and the bottom, you know, 95% at least is the one generating the wealth. Elon Musk doesn't yeah. generate wealth. Yeah, exactly. He was born with a $150, $200 million uh, emerald mine. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing, well, a relative dearth of, of tremendous deprivation. And you might say, well, we want to squeeze out that last bit of inequality. And, and like, again, like, just, just listen to that. That last bit. What is, what is that last bit? Like, th these are such, this is so, like, he knows that he's being dishonest. There's no way that he doesn't know what he's doing or why he's choosing certain words over others. And it's odd because, like, he has, like, another video where he's talking about, like, yes, inequality exists. Yes, it's unfair. You have to grin and bear it. You have to transcend, blah, blah, blah. And now it's almost as if, like, he's conceding the point that inequality exists. But look, we've actually made so much progress, haven't we? We are now at that last tiny, tiny any little little fucking bit right as if we're not talking about a bottom 90 percent that is living on ten dollars a day producing everything of value as we extract more and more and more from the south more and more into our own pockets and it's like well maybe we do and maybe we don't it's not so obvious first of all because even if we did want to we don't know how and we certainly do know that if there are some ways that if we go about it, then things really go to hell in a handbasket really fast. And everyone ends up equal because they're all starving and dead. 
You end up in a situation like Venezuela, not that they're all starving and dead, but the average Venezuelan lost 17 pounds in the last year, and that wasn't from voluntary diet, right? And that's a very rich country. And so we do know that there are ways of ameliorating inequality that just don't work. And so it's a dangerous know thing to mess with. work like UBI. Yeah, and and you know, well, I mean, just in general, there's plenty of things that we do know that work. Like if you change the tax system, sorry, it's going to work. If you don't want people, you know, face down in the ditches, he said, you have to give them a house. That takes money. Too bad. That's the cost, right? Even, even, even though the 1950s had a lot wrong with them, even if you just take white people and put us put us to I, in, uh, minorities, there was a fairer distribution amongst white people in the 1950s. And guess what? Uh, aside from a few little hiccups that were caused by the rich people uh, on Wall Street, uh, we went basically from 1945 to the Arab oil crisis of 71 or 72. We went a full quarter of a century with with prosperity that was distributed more fairly than any other time in, in certainly American history, if not human history. Yeah. Um, do you have any closing remarks on Peterson? Maybe we should uh, close on him and then... Uh, move well, on you, you to the other the, stuff. You had the one go anti-vax one. Did you want to? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's uh, let's go back to uh, the screen share then. Yeah. So uh, I guess this is a nice way to like finish up um, his uh, his. Swift because we don't. All right. Um, so you know Jordan Peterson, he. Uh, like this, this is like a disturbing video to watch. Like he looks like he's on the brink of another fucking breakdown. This is like after all that shit happens to him, obviously. Um, and like I said, haggard. yeah, and like, <laughs> and, and like I said, like I said earlier, uh, he, you know, he may be like dumb in some ways, I guess, uh, but he's definitely not so dumb that he's not going to get vaccinated, no matter what his fucking audience thinks. But now there's a mini little fucking rebellion of audience members that decided not to get vaxxed because of all the shit that they were listening to from oh, his he's own. Dave Rubin. This is Dave Rubin. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, because, because like uh, a bunch of his audience members got upset at him for getting vaxxed. Like, and you, you see this, a lot of these like personalities, right? If they ever decide to get vaxxed, everyone's pissed off at them. Um, and now he Dave, needs to- Dave Rubin, the neocon who claims to be a liberal. Well, he no longer claims to be a liberal, right? He sort of started with that. But, you know, like if you're a liberal, like you you need, you know, it's not that you have to be smart to make it, right, in this kind of ecosystem, but you do have to be a little bit smarter than the average conservative in this ecosystem. You could like, you know, go, you, you could be a conservative, you could go on Twitter and say, oh, fucking look like you're saying climate change is real i just you know uh walked out and uh you know it's like uh, uh you know five it's it's five degrees in new york city right now uh and you're telling me climate change is real and you're gonna get like a million retweets and people are like yeah what a great fucking argument so um uh yeah and ruben like he so he's definitely not smart enough to be you know a liberal hack so he decided to become a conservative hack but anyway this is now understand, you know the, the climate I've, I've said just Climate is like a top that's spinning. And when you put more energy into it, the top is not going to spin necessarily more fast. It's going to wobble. And so you're going to get, get climate uh, uh, wobbles here and there. You're yeah, going course. to have the Texas, like we had in Texas last year, where we had uh, a, a cold spell. You're going to have 100 degrees up in Alaska. Uh, but overall, across the globe, it's getting warmer. Just had to throw in that scientific bone mo.
Yeah. And that's the thing. Like th- th- that's like a very, very basic level of knowledge that if you have like a basic level of education, which more liberals tend to have, like you're going to know that. Right. So that kind of a grift won't work for you. Right. But, you know, Ruben, again, like he, he needed to go that route because I guess he wasn't smart enough. But so here's uh, Peterson uh, justifying to his rabbit uh, fan base the reason why he did it and now why he suddenly regrets it. But I really doubt that he regrets his vaccine decision. You know, Canadians who aren't vaccinated now cannot leave the country. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Why, why is that? And I'm, look, I got vaccinated and people took me to task for that. And I thought, all right, I'll get the damn vaccine. Here's the deal, guys. I'll get the vaccine. You fucking leave me alone. Like, he, that, that's like, he looks like he's on the brink of a fucking breakdown. Like, what is that? He's having a tantrum. Like, he, he's, he's thinking that he's getting the vaccine as a favor. Like, as a favor. No dumb fuck. Like, you're trying to keep yourself from dying. You just had a near-death experience. You've racked up so many comorbidities at, at this point. Like, anything could topple you over. And you're going on the show, and you look like you're about to die already. Like, the you Proud know, Boys it, told me. The Proud Boys told me. You yeah, know, like I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the damn vaccine, even though they don't want. Uh, this is ridiculous. Go ahead, let, let's see the whole, play the whole thing. Two minutes. Yeah, and, and how he starts discussing the science, like it's very, like it, it's clear that he knows better. And did that work? No. So st- stupid me. You know, that's how I feel about it. It's like, well, now I have to get tested for COVID when I come back into Canada. I have to get tested before I leave Canada. Now, you know, that might be the latter issue that's an issue with the americans and and so that's outside of the canadian purview but the restrictions to get back into canada are even more stringent it's like why to get the vaccine then if you're not going to leave me alone and i don't think the evidence that unvaccinated or that vaccinated people are less contagious let's say i don't think it's very compelling yeah and that's that's the thing like that this has become such a common talking point on the right that people that are vaccinated do not shed the virus at any lower rate than someone that is unvaccinated. Now, this may be true, but what they're missing is the most obvious point. If you're vaccinated, you have a much lower chance of getting the virus, which means you have a much lower chance of shedding anything to begin with and transmitting it to another person. So this, this, you know, I'm sure that he understands this, right? This is not a very complicated point, but whenever I look at Twitter, uh, this is like always the argument that people are having. And, and actually like liberals don't even like, they don't even properly respond to that point, meaning in the way that I responded to it, right? They, they themselves don't even understand that this is such a bad talking point and it, it, it doesn't fucking matter, right? As long as you are the one that's not shedding it, that's all that matters, right? Well, and they don't understand even basically, uh, even before we got the Omicron stuff and even the first few months of the pandemic is that the reason you mask up is not necessarily to prevent you from having it, but if you have it or you're a exactly, carrier, yeah. I'm spreading it. So yeah. this and this is probably the rationale a lot of anti-maskers use is that, well, it's my body and what, but no, you wear the mask, not, it's not, it, it's going to have a minimal effect maybe in stopping you from getting it, but it will have a greater effect from you from spreading it because the only people that I can't breathe, I can't breathe as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you can't breathe as well, let's as- assume that. Doesn't that say then you're less likely to, to, to you know, put stuff out into, into the environment? I mean, it, their, their whole rationale has nothing to do with the science of what's, what, what the disease is about. 
But anyway, yeah, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's about a perceived attack on their autonomy, right? Because their autonomy trumps everybody else's right to not die. Yeah. So why are the vaccinated all of a sudden, the unvaccinated all of a sudden a danger? And I certainly don't understand the push to get children vaccinated. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's absolutely reprehensible. And I also can't figure out. But why? Like, why? Oh, like, what's going to happen to the children that are vaccinated? Like, what is it? Yeah. Like, he, he doesn't spell it out. He doesn't say this thing is going to cause like a mass casualty event because of unintended, you know, uh, side effects of vaccines. He's not dumb enough to say that. He doesn't want to say that. And yet, was, like, he's, was, he's leading there. When I was a kid on my left arm, I still, I still have little things here from the measles, mumps, rubella vaccinations from the polio vaccinations. Why th this is an established part of, of modern Western life, the very Western values that he was chiming in about so glowingly in these other videos. Uh, th this is science triumphant. Uh, it, it, took eight, it, it took us, what, less than a year to develop the fucking vaccines. Uh, a, a, a modern marvel. He should yeah. be crowing that this is about Western triumphalism. Except exactly. It, doesn't, exactly. it doesn't play to his, 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 his increasingly lower base. He, he, he's talking about like rich men in the past dying of uh, diseases that we no longer deal with. But wouldn't, you know, wouldn't Nelson you know? Rockefeller, who was really John D. Rockefeller Jr. in 1919, wouldn't he want the vaccine? I'm saying I'm comparing my money that Rockefeller is smart enough and smarter than, well, smarter than Peterson's people. To, to, he, he would be, be one of the first ones. I'm sure that the majority of the conservative personalities that are out there are saying, fuck the vaccine. I'm never going to get vaccinated. I am positive most of it have been vaccinated. Like, yeah. what, like, like what? Like, like wh which of these people really want to die? How many of these people truly believe that, you know, a coronavirus is, is, is just the flu? I would wager not very many, right? That's another way that, you know, like, you know, like money does really cushion you, right? It allows you to spend propaganda, spread propaganda to people below you that are listening to you, taking your advice. You kill them off and yet you're going to keep making your own money. Norman Deutsch wrote a piece in Tablet called Needlepoints. And one of the things he pointed out was that if you take the top 25 least trusted institutions um, in that group, the most distrusted institutions include Big Pharma. Mm -hmm. And for good reason. And he details out the lawsuits that Big Pharma has had to pay because of misbehavior on, on their part, broadly speaking, multiple companies over the last 20 years and they're the biggest lawsuits in American history, which is really saying something because your court system is set up so that big lawsuits are really possible. Right. And so let's punish them, right? Let's let's keep them from taking from the commons by increasing the fines, by increasing how much uh, taxes they have to pay, right? But he's not going to be okay with that. On top of which, it seems like he's not even on board with the products of pharmaceuticals anymore. If there's a, a new vaccine that's necessary. He's going to say no. And so take, I see or, the or take, or take away their patents. You know, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Something, something that Biden could have done li literally on the day that he got elected. Biden could have said, okay, it's now clear that I am the winner of this election. I'll be inaugurated on January 20th. When that happens, I will want the rest of the world to have built up enough infrastructure that they can start producing their generic versions of vaccines because I will allow the patents to lapse. He didn't do, why do that. You think, why do you think India is suffering so much? Exactly. But you haven't allowed exactly. Them?
And, and this is one of the things where like people rightly say that Trump is responsible for many uh, of the deaths during coronavirus. And obviously he is right on his conscience ought to be at least like, you know, 250,000, 300,000 dead Americans. Right. He he literally murdered those people. I think that's 100 percent true. But, you know, Trump's not in office anymore when it was clear that Biden was in office. Now. It's true that Biden is not saying don't get the vaccine. He's not saying don't don't go maskless. He's not saying we shouldn't have shutdowns. He's all for that. But the carnage that he is unleashing is on the rest of the world. It's on places like India that and these are the places where you would have these multiplying variants that will continue to get on, out of control that you will then have to develop new vaccines for. Right now they're developing an Omicron vaccine. Eventually, you know, you might have something that is not you know, uh, mild as goose milk, as it were, maybe and, you're going to get something that's deadlier, but because the, of the fact that he's not willing to lapse these goddamn patents, right. That needs to be in his conscience too. It's true. Biden is not killing Americans, but he's killing people abroad. And the, but the thing is too, is it's perfectly legal back in the, the war powers act. You, it, when you, you can declare an emergency emergency in, in, uh, the country and, 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 uh, take hold of factories and say, now you're going to produce material for war. In this case, uh, for, uh, you know, the war on uh, COVID, let's say. It's it's absolutely 100% legal that Biden could have done that. He could have said, listen, we just gave your company however many billions, if not trillions of dollars to, to your industry. You're just going to, you're just going to break even. That's all. Yeah. And if you don't want to break even, uh, you know, fuck you. We're doing it for the good of the country. But you know, and you know, on, on some level, like you know, there are like conservative critiques of you know mandates and vaccination, like s some of them that I in fact do agree with, but they never begin where they ought to begin. They always veer off into conspiracy. They start like to me. I, I think one of the biggest problems here is, you know, uh, people are tired of COVID largely because we had, you know, a, a non-response for a year, which, you know, we therefore needed, you know, lockdowns and we need all this other stuff. It's not under control very well because, um, you know, like uh, people don't want to get vaccinated. There's uh, other problems like, you and, know, and the thing, like the there, there's is, other problems with access, you know. And, and the there's, thing is, yeah. un unlike the Black Death and unlike even the most recent AIDS, we could, we could have fundamentally exponentially had less less casualties across the globe if we had just done these basic things like masking and then everyone getting vaccinated so much of the, i mean imagine in imagine in 1380 imagine in 1980 if we could if we could have had a vaccine for the black death or aids how many how many people who had aids would have given their their left eye tooth or whatnot to, to have that vaccine and here here now, because of all of this stupidity that's propagated by all of these sciolists like him, we have people who are refusing, uh, who, who are inviting a pandemic and, and, and multiplying it exponentially across the globe. This is what, when people say, you know, it's just harmless stupidity, this is the, this is the kind of thinking that an idiot like this, whether it's in, in, in personal uh, health care, uh, taking care of oneself mentally, whether it's in the finances or whether it's in this kind of stuff, this is why idiocy and sciolism can kill. I mean, literally, sciolism is probably responsible for, I'd say, three quarters of the deaths that are unnecessary around the globe. 
And, and, you know, um, it, it, this goes back to like what he said earlier about like, you know, we in the West, right? Like as long as you make $30,000 a year, we're in the top 1%. We should appreciate this, blah, blah, blah. He gets something that so many people in the world cannot get, which is a vaccine against a virus that you do not want to acquire. And instead of like taking it proudly, instead of being thankful for it, he's having a fucking temper tantrum. I'll get the damn vaccine. You leave me alone. Right. Like about he's about to fucking cry about it. Right. He's not even able to appreciate this. Right. Because he's so he's so like just so self-absorbed. He doesn't even understand what he has. The, the leftists, all of a sudden, it's like big pharma. Yeah, trust them. It's like, what? 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 Really? You guys? This is, I don't understand that at all. Like, and psychologically, so what's going on here? It's like, well, I think the underlying phenomena is something like, phenomenon is something like. You're not a Tuskegee well, as airman with black skin. You know, yeah. white people have never been subjected unless they were unless unless they were considered idiots and, and uh, in in institutions, they were never considered a disposable. So yet, you know, the equation right there is silly. It's for health and safety. It's always good, and you know, not to get conspiratorial here. He believes there's for health and safety. He got fucking vaccinated. But yeah. the same damn thing is going to happen with the climate change push. Absolutely. They're already Absolutely. Re it's already being reconfigured as, well, it's the biggest public health issue of our time. It is. <laughs> like, what, like, what is it? Like, why is this so controversial to say? Like, okay, so all these, all these conservatives, they don't want to deal with refugees, right? So like, you go to fucking Iraq, you destabilize the region, you get involved in Syria, you have millions of refugees as a result. Now you say, you know what? Uh, I know we created this mess, but we're not going to be responsible for it. We're only going to take in like, you know, maybe, you know, 10,000, 20,000, whatever the number is. Now, now you in the West, you know, uh, you're creating these issues overwhelmingly. And after creating potentially billions of climate refugees, what are you going to say then? Are you going to say, sorry, we're not going to take you? Are you or are you going to uh, just say, you know what, we create this problem. And as a conservative, I believe in taking responsibility. So come to us. We know that's not going to happen. Right. It's like there's no consistent from point to point, from video to video, the total lack of consistency. There's so much chaos in this guy's mind. Right. He's always talking about chaos and order and all this other shit. But there's so much chaos in his mind. He cannot follow even a linear fucking argument. It's like, no, I don't think so. I think overreaching bureaucrats are the biggest health. Uh, what would you say? The biggest challenge to our health of our time. Anyway, um, so that's that's yeah, and, uh, and 150 uh, years ago, Tammy Hall was a big health health issue. Yeah. Um, so let's now move to Christopher Langan, right? So this is a uh, someone that came to prominence in the 90s, and he came to prominence simply because he took an IQ test at some point. Uh, did very well. I think the uh, the claim is something like 210. I think some people said that it was a uh, uh, lower, right? Um, an interesting little detail is that he runs this uh, website, Mega Society, and um, more recently he has tried to uh, take like uh, an, an IQ test twice. Once I believe uh, he was accused of taking it under an anonymous name, just so he could like prepare for the test. Um, and then a second time under his real name, and he did not score 210 in either instance. But, um, uh, you know, he's an inter inter interesting fellow because uh, 
in America, but you know, maybe perhaps the world uh, more broadly, people really place a lot of stock in IQ, right? Um, beyond actually what it measures, right? I, I think it is accurate to say that uh, an IQ uh, does measure, you know, some kinds of intelligence. It does measure some, uh, uh, you know, uh, ability to do uh, uh, puzzles and and whatnot, stuff like that. Um, and it does, uh, like, if you look historically, right, people like Charles Darwin, um, Albert Einstein, and others, they tended to have high IQs, especially, like, when you look at, you know, the sciences or whatever, when you look at math. But, but um, interestingly, the people who, who are considered the great artists never score as high. So it, yeah. it, show, it shows very much what I talk about, functionary, creationary, and visionary, and how you, you can't really measure them. Because I think the only artist it might, that they estimate, I don't think they, well... I think Dolly had like a 125, so what they may have estimated. And how, how do you estimate that? But anyway. Yeah. And, and interestingly, uh, pe some people with like the highest documented IQs, um, they don't really go on to, it's not that, it's not that, for example, they're not intelligent or whatever, but they don't end up producing things of value. I forget the name that I was looking up. There was like some person in the uh, 20s or 30s that was at the time, like the highest known IQ in the world. And um, you read like, like he was interested in all kinds of topics. Like he decided to do a book on, you know, the influence of like, you know, Native American culture on like, you know, early American democracy, like stuff like that. But, you know, like I was reading like a couple of chapters of the book. It's not very well written. The arguments aren't really like, you know, shocking. Um, so there, there's this, there, uh, when you get to high enough levels, there does seem to be an inverse correlation between IQ and actual accomplishments, separate yeah. from simply saying, you know, I scored well in IQ tests, which well, isn't. Well, one of the people that's his rivals for the highest IQ, Marilyn Vos Savant. What, what has she spent the last 30 years? She's basically been Dear Abby. Mm -hmm. She's been writing a column on, on, on I mean, he, here you are. She has, uh, I think, documented a 220 I, IQ from what I had, which is higher than his supposed documentation. And she's been fucking Dear Abby. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I know that when publishers, when they um, you know, publish books, they sometimes uh, choose their own titles. But I just remember thinking like some of the book titles that she chose are like very like trite and very silly. Right. So it's like it's not you know, it's I doubt the content is necessarily all that all that better. Right. So, it, you know, it, it is this odd kind of um, uh, inverse relationship. And before we get to Langan himself. Um, let's just talk about like our experiences, uh, with, with all this, right. Cause we, we definitely have some experience with standardized tests and, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, dealing with like, um, expectations, like one direction or the other. And, um, I, I, in your essays, you mentioned, for instance, that one time you were dragged to take an IQ test, so like, like the Mensa society and some of your experiences there, maybe like we could, we could start with, uh, with, uh, some of that. Well, Back in uh, 92 or 93, uh, my second cousin, or I guess it would be first cousin once removed, my natural mother's first cousin, so first cousin once removed, was a woman who was in Mensa. And she was quite smart, and she she was part of uh, of the, the clan that lived up in uh, the Duluth-Superior area uh, around the edge of Lake Superior. Uh, and so she... Uh, she came, we met one time, and then a few other times later, you know, we got together. Now, she was probably actually a couple years older than my birth mother. She was about 25 years older than me. She's dead now. Um, I, I liked her. Uh, and 
she suggested that I take this IQ test uh, to get into Mensa. And I remember the Mensa standardized test then in 93. I do remember the copyright was 1969 when uh, the test was made. And so I took its typical 150 to 200 questions. Uh, and I remember there were probably 12 to 15 questions that I knew the answer they wanted, but I disagreed with the premise. The two that stick in my mind the most, and you know, as you sort of rethink things, they, they become bigger than they really were, were uh, one was, uh, let's see, one was uh, uh, about how many side, uh, they would have the uh, polygons and uh, you have to pick the polygon with, with equal sides, uh, uh, you know, equal number of sides. So it would be, uh, you know, a square, uh, a hexagon, uh, an octagon, etc. And then there was a triangle, uh, and then there was also a circle. And they wanted me, of course, to pick the triangle. But I said, there's two possible answers, because uh, a circle has an infinite amount of sides. And is infinity, is infinity, you know, uh, uh, even or an odd, odd number? Well, it's, it's neither. It's infinity. So I disagreed with that premise there. So I did choose an infinity, I remember. And then the other one was a more social question. Uh, it had four or five choices. It said, what is the odd utensil out or the odd thing out? And so it said on a table, it would have a, a knife, a spoon, a fork, uh, a, a cup, and uh, I think it was a cup and then a saucer. Uh, and uh, or what, what thing that you, uh, it, it doesn't belong here. And I know that they wanted to say, uh, what well, I forget what they wanted me to say one of the other things, but I I I haven't grown up poor. Said said, said uh, oh the the saucer could be out. So I and it showed the cultural bias because uh, you know the idea implicit is that uh, everyone would have a cup and a saucer, uh, uh, whereas you know they'd have to have that. I, I forget what the actual one was, but those two stick in my mind. One with the obvious cultural bias against the people who are impoverished, and the other one that that was mathematics. And like I said, there were twelve or fifteen questions, and I scored, I think, in the ninety fourth percentile. And you have to be in the ninety eighth percentile. But I'm sure that if I had gotten those twelve or fifteen questions, had given them, I would have probably gotten in the ninety eighth percentile. But the people in the Minnesota Mensa Society there or the mini the twin cities mensa society whatever it was were, were typical nuts i remember these two nerds playing chess and almost getting into a fist fight arguing over who was the better general leo grant and then i remember this attractive blonde woman who was probably a decade 10 12 15 years older than me i was i guess 27 at the time she was probably 40-ish and i remember her coming up and i was wearing a turtleneck and i remember her just rubbing my chest and saying how she liked my pectoral muscles and i remember thinking Okay. And, and what, the three or four times she came up to me, you know, she was rubbing it. And if I hadn't been there with my cousin, who knows, she might have invited me out back to do her or something. But, but was, didn't, she, didn't she say that you try to talk to her, but she only wanted to rub, but not have yeah, any yeah. further interaction? Yeah. yeah. And, it, it, and, and, and there, were, there were other ones that, that fit this. Thing. And I was like, I was like, I was really surprised because I figured they would be a bit, you know, different but they fit the typical stereotype of the nerd geek whatever you want and so that was my experience with it with uh, mensa and uh, these tests which you know uh, again they i could see 
what they wanted me to say, but I just on principle couldn't say it because I didn't believe that that was just the one correct answer that they wanted. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like uh, when I, when I think of like Christopher uh, Langan's story, uh, you know, I am, I am kind of like sympathetic to his story. Like uh, I, I also grew up like feeling like a misfit. Right. I, I grew up uh, thinking that um, I had, talents and i had an intelligence that i couldn't really express in the context of school uh i think back when i was younger it was more kind of a you know a, a lot of it was probably ego because i mean uh, by the time that i got to the point where i could express something of value you know i had already you know i was already a teenager uh in my early adulthood i started writing right so before that it must have been like pearly ego but same thing with like langan right he he uh he grew up um in poverty he grew up uh, uh in an abusive household and he grew up in a way where whatever you know intelligence that he thought he had he couldn't really express um i forget what he said uh, about his schooling but i wasn't really good at school until much later right so like when i was in middle school i remember I almost uh, was left back several times. I almost, you know, I, I almost had to go to summer school. I was always like on the verge of uh, failing a class, partly because I just, you know, I just didn't really want to do the work. Not because like I thought I was too smart for it, but I honestly just wanted to do other things, right? I wanted to like go outside. I used to like love going into like the um, uh, the train tracks in, in Brooklyn. Uh, I used to, you know, just like just like do everything other than work, um, and that only changed at the end of eighth grade, where I was like, all right, look. So I was through these classes, like they put me through these like you know like algebra math classes, and uh, if I do well on some of these tests, I won't have to take these classes in high school. So since I already sunk three years into it and I didn't learn what I needed to learn, I was like too lazy or too whatever let me at least try to do well on this test so after like you know nearly failing everything i did end up doing very well on the tests i i was able to skip a bunch of, uh, of those classes when i got to high school and when that happened i actually felt for the first time like pretty empowered right because again i wasn't reading books it's not like i had all these like wonderful complex ideas at the time uh I just look to society as a way to tell me, Alex, like, are you worthwhile? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, you will be able to accomplish this and that. You'll be able to do well on this test. You'll be able to do well in school. You could get into a good college. And because I like that feeling, I remember distinctly trying to chase that feeling. So by the time I got to high school, I kind of, you know, I, I shaped up. I started doing well in school. Um, and, uh, I graduated something like number four in my high school In college, I was a valedictorian. So, um, I, I, you know, I was, I, I became kind of like addicted to that feeling. However, I do also distinctly remember when I was in high school, when I was a junior and I had to start uh, taking the SATs, um, I, I was like, you know what, let me take the SATs blind. Let me not take any practice tests. Let me just like go sit down and see what I would do without any kind of studying. And because at that point I had already like started reading books, right? I had already started like thinking about the world and started realizing, you know what? There's a lot of distinctions between me and how I approach things versus everyone around me. And I want to explore why that is. I want to see if there's any meaning there outside of like my own feelings. 
And I remember like sitting down to take the test. And when I got back my results, like everything was average. I got like, you know, 500 math, 500 verbal, which was like square in the middle of average. And because I was still kind of like stuck in this idea of, I want society to tell me that I'm worthwhile. I was really upset. I remember I was very uh, upset that I had an average score. So I started like studying really hard for the next SAT. And I got like several books of practice tests. I took probably 30 practice tests. I would do, you know, like entire weekends, just like timing myself. I would put on a clock and every, you know, uh, time that I would take the test, I was like, let me see if I could do this five minutes faster, 10 minutes faster. And I got better and better and better. And one thing that I noticed when I started taking these tests is I was like, wow, like, they're telling me, they're trying to explain to me that the, the answer here, for example, for some like verbal question or whatever, that this is the right answer. But I know for a fact that um, you could really reassess this in some other way. This doesn't have to be the answer, but I know what they're looking for. I know what they want. So I, I really got myself into the mentality of a test creator. Okay. I was like, I know what they're looking for. I know what they want. This is just, this isn't to prove anything anymore. I just need to get these high scores. I need to get to a college of my choice and I need to get into college for free. I don't want to pay for shit. So let me just suck it up and let me do this. I went from literally totally average scores like 510 or 520 to perfect scores, which should be considered a statistical anomaly. This should be considered grounds for like, did he cheat? You're not supposed to go from 500 to 800 simply by studying. And the fact that I was able to do that, on the one hand, I was happy because I still had these feelings of like, I want society to like, you know, tell me, Alex, you're worthwhile. You're good. You're good. You're whatever. You're just, you're deserving to also thinking, but I didn't really do anything except spend fucking like three months consecutively do nothing but test taking. So by the time that I got to college and I realized, okay, so this is what it's going to be. Um, I was like, I I'm going to have to like, for me to like survive this for the next four years, I'm going, I'm going to have to like completely eliminate like any feeling of college is going to give me my self-definition. It's going to provide for me some sort of way to build meaning, some sort of way to like feel good about, my, about myself. I need to use this as a means to an end. But I was very depressed in college. I was very much feeling like, this is wrong. What they're doing in like, you know, what they're doing in what they're teaching me about literature is wrong. What they want from me in terms of papers is wrong. The one time that I've given a, a perfectly honest paper, the one time that I said exactly what I felt and did exactly what I wanted to do, I got something like a C minus, right? So I, I you know, I sort of, I, I basically figured out there is a way to kind of game the system. There's a certain set of protocols that you could follow to give people what they want. And in return, you're going to get a piece of paper. You're going to get someone, you know, like saying nice things about you. They're going to look well upon your resume. But I knew that I was kind of like faking it. And what kind of struck me listening to Chris Langan is he's kind of the opposite. On the one hand, it seems like through his interviews that he's like, like, like a total like fucking rebel. But on the other hand, he's sharing these stories that he sees an IQ test and he becomes really, really curious about how well he could do. I never had that feeling. For me, it was the opposite. For me, it was like, I need to get through this, but this is bullshit. And I resent having to do this. I also felt this way in college. 
And yet he takes this test and it becomes his entire identity, right? It becomes his entire identity. Everything that he could point to is, I took an IQ test once, I allegedly scored a 210, and now this is going to be my claim to fame. This is why you know I'm going to go on these TV shows. This is why people will give any kind of shit about me. So he completely latches onto it, right? So I feel like at a certain point, like you know, in our maybe teenage years, or like there's this kind of divergence, right? That um, he's not really willing to talk about because you know, we, we, you read anything that he says, or you look at his interviews. It's all ego, 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 right? He doesn't want to be vulnerable. He doesn't want to be honest with others or with himself. Well, so, he's, someone, he's someone from what I can tell that uh, is, is he needs the approval. I, uh, and you're being a, a valedictorian and uh, uh, it, it shows the way, the way that uh, the school system here in the U.S. at least uh, is totally ass back. But my mom, who was just functionally smart, very smart, actually, in a functionally way. Back in the 1930s, she, she got into college by the age she was 16. She got out of, she did college in two years, and by 19, she had completed business school. And then she was out in the 1930s being a working woman, working as an accountant and a bookkeeper. Now, I, for example, I could have graduated even just trying half-heartedly in my public school years, I could have graduated a year and a half early if they had had uh, where they could would graduate if you got enough stuff. I mean, I just breezed through it. And uh, that's how I fell in with, with the gang too, uh, is that I was bored and I had to go to this this school and just hang around because I, I, I could cut classes and I could pass the test easily. Uh, and I there was no reward for someone who could do that. Now, uh, not, not that that's, you know, I mean, what they should have done is, you know, they, you should be able to rapid advance kids and, and, and push them. Through. But the, the focus of the American system is on the bottom, not the top. And because they do that, if you look at, if you look at someone like this Christopher Langan, he seemed like a very emotionally needy and fucked up person from all the stuff. Uh, there was a four-hour interview. You only have the half-hour Errol Morris one you want to look at. Yeah, but I, 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 I looked at the, that one as well, yeah. Yeah, the four-hour one where some Asian kid is just basically fawning all over him, even though he's speaking in the same nonsensical way mm -hmm. that Jordan Peterson does. It's more intellectualized. Uh, but if you look at his writing with that CTMU, uh, it's very Ayn Rand. It, 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 it's it's leaden. It, it, there's no... And even the way he speaks, there's no sense of a real personality there other than there's that little coiled up little boy inside of him that's resentful. And it's very much like Peterson's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's funny. You mentioned that interview. The interview begins uh, like this is literally how it starts. Uh, the guy interviewing him says uh, the, the, the opening question is literally. So, Chris, in your experience, how long does it take the average person to understand your CTMU? That's like, that's, that's literally the, the opening question as if that would even matter as if like, you know, uh, like not even like let's assess whether or not it's worth understanding for whatever duration of time you would invest in it. Um, it's, you know, it, it's all about the outside. It's, other people, other people, like who cares, right? And, and this is the thing that I'm getting at. Like, you know, I never want to be someone that, you know, uh, like cares about like, you know, like, like, oh, you know, like I, I, I did well in college. Like I had, you know, like good grades or whatever. Like I always like, I'm always thinking like the next book, like what is the next thing I'm going to write? What is the next essay going to look like? The only, the only thing you have is actual accomplishments, right? And when you look at people like Chris or others, 
that, you know, like you said, like this coiled up little boy, I always have, I I'm, I'm always aware that I have that potential inside me to like re- regress back to that coiled up little boy, right? Being needy when I was young, dealing with all kinds of garbage when I was young, you could easily regress into that. The only way that you could avoid that is you cannot look at what other people tell you. You cannot, um, you know, uh, try to get things from society, right? Like a, a pat on the head. You always have to do things your own way, and you cannot, you, know, you cannot depend on these kinds of tests. It's just bullshit. If, if you read that CTMU, and I read the first forty or fifty pages, and then just got bored, but with the terrible writing, it's basically a d- justification for God. Even he, he calls God. He uses the acronym Grand something with an O determiner yeah. or something of the universe. Yeah. Uh, and he, it, it, it's just so silly. And I, I, the way he describes it, and you know, I've written True Life, and you said you wanted to do some shows on the True Life stuff, and uh, even though that's like now eighteen years since I wrote it, but the thing is, you know, if you look on my eCosmoetica website, I have a video. It's, uh, it's actually the tape recording, uh, an audio tape recording of me on Christmas of nineteen seventy-two with my mom, my dad, and my sister, and I told you. And I'm not I'm not trying to dick wave in this way against the Langan, but but my guess is that Chris Langan and being bullied for being big or whatnot, he didn't he probably didn't have as bad a life as I did growing up. Yet if you listen to that, if you listen to that 1972 Christmas at the Schneider's video and just listen to the audio, I I, I sometimes look at it and I'm like, God, I was in a bullion kid. Nothing could get me down. Uh, you know, th- this is this is when literally the same within a year or so that I first started saw probably by that time I'd seen two or three people murdered. I had been I, I had been deemed the smart little kid by the local gangsters who need, needed deliveries of this, that or the other thing. I was doing all that. I, I, too, was bullied by a kid named Diddy and his brother <laughs> Rough Rider. Uh, there was all this. And yet you listen to that. And I mean, granted, you go through ups and downs. But here I am on Christmas Day. I got a tape recorder. This this was this was this was my this was the thing that satisfied me. I asked for a tape recorder, and I'm I'm pretending like I'm interviewing my my parents, like man on the street. But I'm so ebullient. And when I when I first found that and, and put that online, I, I listened to it. I was like, boy, this really goes against against you know people would be like, oh, he must have grown up wealthy or something because he sounds so he sounds so happy and well adjusted there. Mm-hmm. But that goes to show you, though, that that uh, you can overcome certain things. And one of the things with this this Langan, even if we accept that he has a two hundred or so IQ, uh, there's something. Uh, I don't believe in emotional intelligence to the degree that a lot of people do. I think there is emotional intelligence, but my God, there's such a like I said, this resent this resentment that is so obvious in those videos we just did of of Peterson. Uh, and if we listen to that, you just look at the man's body posture. You know, he, he's like, yeah, motherfucker, yeah, mother. And in that 30 minutes with the Morris video, I mean, he's back and forth between being the coiled up little boy who, who's being picked on and, and, and the bully himself that, that wants to basically say to the world that I'm, I'm the best. You know, I could just imagine him being uh, what, 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 1984, what do they call the, the head leader? the book i forget what they call it, but i i could just imagine him being one of those fascist leaders you know, he wants a bust like Mussolini. well well he he sort of uh admits that in the morris video like indirectly right i mean like de facto he's gonna be the one 
of this like high IQ super species that is calling the shots in terms of who gets to reproduce and who doesn't. Right. Yeah. I assume he's going to have a, 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 you know, harem of women that are just, you know, sucking him off and riding him and producing babies. Like I assume that that's really what, what kind of drives him. So, I mean, let's just go through this uh, yeah. video. And these are the thing with the, like the eugenics too. I'm, yeah. I've often said with people that there's good eugenics and bad eugenics. If you, if, if in 50 years they're able to genetically weed out uh, the causes of dwarfism, that's a good idea. And I always use the dwarf thing because I knew a family of dwarves. And I knew how the two boys there suffered uh, there. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but he is certainly advocating the very thing that makes people think eugenics is 100% bad. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm not sure to what degree he, he understands this. Like, it also seems like he's not, he yeah, he's not, he's, he doesn't seem like, again, like going back to like, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like I'm picking on him, but again, like he is presenting himself like, uh, to society and it does seem like there's like a lot of stuff emotionally going on again. Like I still can't get over when he says that there's this IQ test running around and he uh, like lying around. And he's like, I'm very curious about this. I have never fucking taken an IQ test and I would never care to, right. To the extent that I've taken tests, it was always to get something out of it. And I, you know, I just want to forget it at this point, but again, you know, th again, that again, it gets down to accomplishment just today and probably by tomorrow, uh, I'll finish uh, another play that I'm doing a play about, about the Vikings encountering the Native American Mi'kmaq people of the maritime provinces. And it's told from the, their point of view, the Mi'kmaqs, and the Vikings are, are seen as the savages and they're, they're, they're scorned by the Native American. And it's an interesting reversal. But even in that just one play, I you know, there's more intellectual heft than in all of what this guy has done in a fucking career. But this society says, oh, he scored 200, 210 on some time that that's better than an accomplishment it's such it's so it's so reductive and it's it's one of the reasons that stylists and, and and society hasn't progressed is because they value the wrong things they value money they value the, these these markers that that a small elite group that doesn't even realize that 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 what they're propounding in an iq test doesn't doesn't predict the accomplishment just like like you know one of the things that makes Beethoven or Mozart so remarkable is they were prodigies, but but they kept it up. The vast majority of child prodigies, the only thing that a child prodigy does is they have uh, an adult intellect young. Most of them never go beyond that. So by the time everyone else is at 35, they've caught up with the prodigy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's... <laughs> yeah. And one more point that I want to make about this, like more broadly, is uh, you know, like uh, you and I would both agree that the world is clearly not a a meritocracy, right? And because there is though some like quantifiable means to like measure like IQ or whatever, that gives people like Langan, you know, this kind of niche and opportunity to recruit people into their like little pet projects, right? Because they could say, well, look, yes, we're all agreeing. The world is not a meritocracy, but here, look at my accomplishment, right? Look at my high IQ. I can be the one that calls the shots, sign on to my project, right? And I'll, and I'll show you the way. I'll show you the truth, as Peterson says, right? And his kind of like guruship. So before, this you, is well, before you started, just, I was just looking up to see what the CTMU actually stood for. So I just Googled, it's a cognitive theoretical model of the universe. Now, if there's a CTMU wiki, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's behind that or his fans are. And he even said, the CTMU pronounced cat mew. <laughs> now, now, 
I'm sure that that is probably what Langan uh, refers to it, uh, and, and he thinks that's probably uh, a creative. And I, I literally just didn't see that, see that until ninety seconds ago. And yeah. I, I, I would bet, I would bet m- most of my my minimal wealth that that he Langan uh, instead of saying Kit Mew or Kit Moo, he said Cat Mew because it's cute, probably to impress his wife or something, who's another woman who has, I guess, a high IQ. Yeah, high IQ and also a very, we'll get into their kind of like personal beliefs about things that have become like really uh, uh, odd and like very um, malignant as well, right? To the extent that they're on social media. But anyway, this is the Errol Morris documentary from like, I believe 1999. Uh, He he did a bunch of profiles and one of the profiles was Christopher Langan. seeing me right now through that monitor in front of you? The answer is yes or no, and if you can't choose, you can't perceive me. You don't know whether I'm here or not. Sounds like a rapper. Yeah. (laughs) Yes or no. Binary logic is something you depend on. Dog. Without it, you can't have so much as a single perception. If we can base insight to God, on binary logic, we got it made. We don't need faith anymore. It's extraneous, irrelevant. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier how um, you know he's he's just justifying God. He he is, I think, in some ways like a like a Christian fundamentalist, right? You see some of his uh, other writings or some of his like posts mm-hmm. on social media. It does seem like he has this kind of like uh, craving to not just like prove the existence of God, but specifically. Uh, he he wants like there to be you know some kind of like almost like a Christian conce- conception of God, right? And, and the Christian conception of God is truth. And he says later in this video, "I'm the first man to ever. I'm closer to absolute truth than any human being has ever been." Yeah, I am closer, closer to, to absolute truth than any man <laughs> has been before. <laughs> Do I think that makes me better than everybody else? No. You're damn straight. I still work in a bar. I, I wonder. I wonder why he titled that. I guess smart, smartest man. He was, I guess, giving the Marilyn Vos Savant her due because she she has a two twenty or two twenty six IQ. Was, so I get. I guess. Yeah. I guess he was giving her the props. But anyway. I mean, it's also kind of like, I, I think Errol Morris is kind of being a little bit uh, sarcastic here, right? With some yeah, of the kind I, of like, like you, like you listen to the music, right? This kind of triumphant yeah. music plays as he says, totally insane shit, you know, throughout you the can, video. You can see slave girls behind him just throwing pedals. Yeah, or or this like, you know, this like subtitle, Darwin in the toilet, right? Which is going to be like more consequential when we get to his like CTMU a little bit. Working construction during the day and I was working in a bar at night and I happened to see a copy of Omni magazine. It said, the world's most difficult IQ test consists of 48 problems, some of which are extremely difficult. I think, gee, that's interesting. 
like you, like I'm sure Dan, you would not find that interesting. Like that, that's the uh, thing. I, like I, I it's just odd. magazine. It was one of the few good things that Bob Guccione did, I think. Uh, yeah. But, 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 but like, you know, like it's this, this like fascination with like, I want to now measure my IQ. It's just, it, it, it's just very, you know, like, again, like I, I don't want to be too harsh here because, you know, when I, the younger me would also be fascinated, would also be like, fuck it. Like if I, you know, could do this in SATs, let's see how other ways I could dick wave. Right. Well, you know, um, you know it's, it's interesting because I mentioned that video I did from 72 Christmas where I was interviewing my parents. When I think of it, I've always been far more interested in the world world outside of me rather than myself. Yeah. I've always yeah, taken exactly. for granted that I'm 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 a smart kid or a smart man or whatnot. He th- th- this suggests you know it it it's it he's the he's the the plug hole and things have to revolve around him. And, and it's it's like we just watch how he lights up. This is literally the happiest that he's in the entire video. Just watch his face. Just uh, yeah. forty eight problems. Some of which are extremely difficult. I think, gee, that's interesting. <laughs> it's the happiest I've ever seen him. Well, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> I always wanted to know what my IQ was. The verbal problems were all pretty easy, so I just breezed through them. I happen to have a larger than average vocabulary. Mm. The really difficult ones were some of the spatial problems and the number sequences. Actually, highly difficult. So uh, as it turned out, I ended up setting a record score on that test. And the Guinness Book was actually going to switch the world's highest IQ title to me, but then they dropped the highest IQ listing. IQ is not really a PC concept anymore, and I guess the Guinness Book fell victim to PC. And it's it's odd that he takes his tactic, right? Uh, the real reason why Guinness uh, dropped a highest IQ score from its uh, rankings is because it's very subjective. Like there is no such thing as the official, you know, recognized IQ test that will definitively tell you what your true IQ score is, right? There's like the test that he took. There's a bunch of like online tests. There's tests that you could take that are different from various, you know, psychologists uh, offices, right? They're, they're like, how would you standardize this? Like there would have to be something, right? And not everybody would have access to the same people, the same tests. This is probably why they got rid of it. I I don't think it's just PC. And also at the time, as I said, Marilyn Vosavant was was recognized, uh, and she's a woman, and I believe she's Jewish, so. Yeah. My IQ would be somewhere between 190 and 210. 210 seems very, very, very high. The camera moves away from him. Albert Einstein was estimated at between 180 and 190. Charles Darwin was way down there in the toilet at 135. It's like, like, he's so envious of the fact that Darwin accomplished something, right? It's just incredible. Like, like, and like you read his, um, you know, the CTMU where he says stuff like there's a radical Darwinian notion to him, to him, Darwin's natural selection is a radical form of natural selection that he wants nothing to do with. Right. And he just can't stand the fact that Darwin, who, you know, he, he, he changed scientific history in many ways. And he also wrote, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, origins of species is a well-written book, right? Langan 
Although he uh, postures as someone that truly, truly understands language. He says this all the time. He says that scientists are poor communicators. He's worse than the baseline scientist as a communicator. Um, and, you know, this is, this is, I think, this obvious envy. Yes, and just so you know, Vosavant, I was just looking up. She's not Jewish. I, I, was just, I, I wasn't trying to impute anything, but uh, she's not Jewish. She was born in 1946, and her... She, she did hold in the 1990s uh, 228, the Stanford okay. Binet uh, test, which is uh, which, uh, it's a different one that he supposedly took, but uh, to, to just to get things correct there. Yeah. So like in this kind of, you know, eugenics hierarchy, right, he would have to be licking her boot as she yeah. uh, pegs him with a dildo. <laughs> Are you a genius? Well, you're kind of putting me on the spot here, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're you're for you're forcing me to either say no, in which case, you know, it's all hype, or you're forcing me to say yes. I'll, I'll say probably yes. I am a genius by most of the criteria, the definitive criteria of genius. I think you'd have to consider me a genius. Yeah. At the age of six or seven months, I started pointing at objects and giving their correct names. Little red pair of shoes with uh, with little brass buckles on them that I really loved, and I thought that buckle was a beautiful word, so I pointed to the buckle on one of these shoes and said, "Buckle." Shortly thereafter, I started talking in sentences. I seemed to have an understanding of syntax, and uh, so I was a very early talker. I heard my mother talking about this little girl, Becky already knew how to read. I thought, well, I'm certainly not going to be beaten by her. She didn't seem especially intelligent to me, and I just knew I could out-accelerate her. Like, it's just a, such early ego, right? And again, like, a lot of kids are like this. I was sort of like this, too. Like, but, like, he, he has never shook this from his psyche, right? He's still driven by the same stuff. Well, I remember, too, when I was a kid, my friend Mark Taylor, who uh, I interviewed on, on the Ecognoetica channel, is, uh, he was the first kid in kindergarten to know how to read. But by second grade, I remember he was having some personal issues in his family. I remember I whizzed through a box of books where you'd read a three or four paragraph story and answer questions. I, I got about 50 percent ahead. But, but you know, I, I just don't see that as my life's greatest accomplishment now. Yeah. Yeah. For three or four, I started writing a book. It's an illustrated volume on snakes, lizards, and turtles. I had this, just this knowledge, this, this utter knowledge that someday I would do something qualified me as being a genius. They keep showing him I looking stoically off in into the ether uh, uh, as if that's supposed to... Bizarre. So I skipped a few grades. Everybody would look at me and say, well, this kid must be smarter, otherwise he wouldn't be so much younger than we are. By the same token, he's weaker than we are, so why don't we pick on him a little, you know? Kids don't like other kids around them that are praised for being smarter than they are. Why can't you be more like that kid? That kid is so much smarter than you are. Look at that kid's work, so much better than yours is. I mean, that's got to be an unpleasant thing. We were always the poorest family in town. All kinds of welts on our bodies and fat lips. Kids are like sharks. They made the mistake of thinking these welts and things were signs of me being weaker than they were. <laughs> they rapidly found out that wasn't the case.
my actual father had died. This was only one of the bad breaks that my mother got in the man department. They had a habit of dying or disappearing. The only one that really hung around, which was my stepfather, turned out to be a total psychopath. Just a mean and brutal guy, that's all. For, a bastard. For, yeah, we're we're bastard. giving uh, a little uh, foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about yeah. later. <laughs> Jack did not like to be in the presence of anyone more intelligent than he was. I saw him put on this pair of leather gloves. I've noticed you're a pretty smart kid, he said. You probably know how many miles it is to the sun, don't you? And I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I do know how many miles it is to the sun. It's, you know, between 92 and 93 million miles. Kablam, right in the mouth. The reason he put on the gloves was that he wouldn't skin his knuckles. In this world, if you pretend to be too much smarter than other people, you're going to get into trouble for that. He was going to be the vehicle of my enlightenment. <laughs> got a horse. The horse's name was Whitco. If the fence wasn't high enough, and they were never high enough, this horse would just get away. So he entrusted me with making sure that the horse did not escape. The first time the horse got away, you know, the old man beat the crap out of me, just like I knew he would. Next, he went down and got himself a heavy galvanized dog chain and a couple of padlocks. Puts one end of the dog chain around the horse's neck and padlocks it. And he says, come here. And I went over there and he put the other end around my waist and he padlocked that. And he drives off. It was only a matter of time. The horse naturally went through the barbed wire fence and it dragged me up a dirt street and part of the way down Main Street before the chain broke. I was covered with blood, blood in my eyes. You know, I was like wiping my eyes. Now, finally, I managed to get home and I'm walking up the front steps and all of a sudden, kabam, I find myself flat on my back. I couldn't breathe. And I was going, <gasps> there's the old man standing over me and says, I told you not to let that blanket horse get away. <laughs> Until finally, when I was 14, I just booted his ass out, beat him half to death and told him that if he ever came back, that was going to be the end of him. They named the horse, horse Lakota for horses, is Whitco. I was just looking it up because I knew from my a, a poem I did, Tashunka Whitco was Crazy Horse's uh, mm -hmm. Lakota name. So he, the, the, father, the stepfather named the horse Horse, basically, in Lakota. <laughs> cool to be highly annoying. I think I could have wrapped the whole thing up in a couple of years. Instead, they managed to keep me around for 12. <laughs> I spent most of the last two years sitting in the library. I just had had it. I told them I was... Tired of it and wasn't going to take it anymore. Wasn't going to be showing up unless they made some special provision for me. And when I wasn't in the library, I wasn't there at all. My teachers just didn't particularly care for me. Here's a kid. He's ragged. He looks mangy and hungry. He's known for getting into fights. The rule was either total indifference or outright hostility. It would have been nice if somebody had said, we've been keeping this kid down too long. Let's send him away to college or university. But nobody gave enough of a hoot to bother doing that. So that's it. Maybe by that point, they thought I was too far gone. <laughs> Maybe they were right. You know, and he does have, you know, like legitimate points that he's making here, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, just like that. What I said, yeah, it's, it's just that to what extent do these experiences 
breed all of this uh, uh, resentment that you know, like maybe he, he maybe he could have accomplished something on some other in some other kind of context, right? Like, I, I mean, it's, it's perfectly possible. Who knows? Oh, this is wonderful. I wasn't invited to my graduation. My head was too large to be fitted for a cap. The cranial circumference was too great. Couldn't buy a motorcycle helmet either. So you More foreshadowing a large later. head. Yes. Near as I can determine, it's about six standard deviations above the norm. The odds against having a head the size of mine are millions to one. Brainiac. The odds of having an intelligence such as yours? Also millions to one, but we can't necessarily infer from that that there's a correlation. We'd have to have more cases of big-headed, intelligent people. My own personal opinion is, yes, head size does influence intelligence. My, my own personal opinion. You know, this reminds me of, uh, it's that uh, Simpsons episode where Homer is told that he has an exceedingly, like, thick head. Uh, so therefore he starts getting involved in all these like boxing fights where all he has to do is just wait for the boxer to tire out after beating him in the head. And then he could just like knock out the boxer with one hit. Um, size does matter. It, it has to size does matter. I mean, if you take a very small creature with a very small head, you're never going to see a lot of intelligence out of it. Take a centipede. How smart are they? Not very smart. On the other hand, take a house cat. Well, that's somewhat smarter. Take a larger-headed creature, a monkey, even smarter than a house cat. Now take a really large-brained creature like a man, smarter still. What Seems he misses right here, though, is, uh, and you mentioned it in, in your notes, is uh, the, the folding of, of this cerebrum is more important than the size because it's, it, it's the area uh, that it covers. So you, can you could have, for example, uh, two people with similar-sized heads, one, and you can even go from Homo sapiens to Homo neanderthalus, uh, neanderthalensis, you get a neanderthal and a, a regular guy, we do have more folds. Uh, it's true that the, the neanderthals had bigger brains, but they didn't have quite the fold than we did. Now, uh, so there, there's so much about brains that even now we don't understand. This is just a lot of, uh, this is perfect kind of stylism here. The, the simple yeah. biggest is better. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, you know, there's a, obviously uh, men's brains are larger than women's brains simply because our bodies are larger. Right. Um, uh, and, but like, like, even if you, if you, even if you want to make arguments about uh, like head size and brain size and stuff like that, uh, the metric that, you know, scientists use if they, if they go down that route is, it's in a relative sense, right? It's not like he's trying to make this kind of absolute argument that look, oh, centipede versus house cat. The real metric that has like more value that you could like recreate again and again is one where you compare body mass to brain size in a relative way. Because based on what he's saying, you should expect that a sperm whale is smarter than a human being. Obviously, that's not true. It doesn't matter that it has a larger brain, right? Yeah, well, and it's also too that we have opposable digits, and we also have an uh, we have digits, and we have an opposable thumb. Even an elephant doesn't have that. I mean, we have the most. I mean, the very fact that we have an opposable thumb allows precision grip, power grip, which no other animal, even 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 bonobos and chimps. Uh, have a very crude power grip and precision grip. 
And so it's the little things like that. It's not just the brain. It's what the tools that evolve alongside the brain. Because yeah, it's yeah, exactly. There's that. Yeah, there's a feedback loop there. Like for you know, yeah. for you to have that kind of intelligence, if you're able to, in complex ways, deal with tools, that obviously is going to have an effect in the ways that your brain develops. If you end up creating, you know, these highly social groups that human okay. beings create, you know, right now I think the dominant theory is human intelligent evolved intelligence evolved explicitly because of our groupings, explicitly because human beings were able to start uh, forming alliances or tricking one another in ways that you know other animals could do in smaller ways but not in the way that people can right which which allowed this hyper development and this is um and this is like a foreshadowing of what he would say like i think in the last few years he made some kind of comment like um coco the gorilla had a higher iq than like some somalians you know like some well, that, like, and, like and completely and, yeah and, exactly and completely exactly you can you i actually just two or three weeks ago watched a video online that's from two or three years ago uh where they totally debunked a lot of what the coco was saying uh, there's a there's a video of coco the gorilla two weeks before she died or something supposedly talking about or the global warming or something and it totally exposed the the the, the bullshit nature of of the ability of of uh, our closest uh, primate relatives uh, having language like us, they uh, number one, uh, they uh, they also lack the larynx, the voice box we have. But even those that that have signs, they are very. It, 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 they don't speak the same way to uh, if they're videotaped to if they have one of their uh, handlers with them to some other person. So if I was in there and the the and Coco was signing to me, it would be gibberish. Yeah. yeah, you know, anyway, it's it's it's, it's kind of odd, right? Because like, okay, so here's a guy that is very emphatic about his knowledge of 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 language, communication, that kind of thing. Like, the fact is, if you really understood the implications of language, you would know for a fact that if there's anybody on the planet that you could take that is able to speak a human language, which you know, even like a, a Somalian with low IQ would be able to fluently speak a human language if that is in fact the case that person will always by definition be smarter than any other animal on the planet there's no way to get around that fact right um but it, you know it's like it's like like basic stuff like that that he doesn't really get right he's he's always losing so many like big picture like he makes a lot of like small mistakes all the time but he's always like losing like big picture uh, stuff uh, especially there is some kind of which makes him very much like ayn rand yeah what would be the volume of your brain? Don't know. Haven't actually done it. I could do it by volumetric displacement using the Archimedean method of submerging my head in a tub of water, <laughs> seeing how much water. It would be smaller than the average Neanderthal. Like, why isn't he gloating about that? You know, like, does it matter? Like, does it matter? Throwing around. Look, look at look at the way he uses the volumetric displacement. You know, uh, yeah. he he always has to. You know, I've always found when people do what I call big word throwing arounding. Uh, they generally don't even know what half the words mean, and they certainly don't know how to contextualize them to put them in a sentence that is possible or even enjoyable in any kind of aesthetic way. But anyway. And, and also, like, when, when I first heard this, I didn't even know what he was talking about because, okay, let's assume that you that you would put your head into this bowl of water and you you know you engage in this volumetric displacement. 
that's going to give you the mass for your entire head. That doesn't necessarily say that your brain is like he could have for all we know, an especially thick skeleton, right? Like we don't know that. Like you, you can't get the actual volume of the brain simply, simply based on something like this. You would get a total, you know, you you would basically get like you know the total mass of the head. But that's and, not and, what you know, I, I think you were right earlier when you said that the uh, Morris was basically trolling him. Because no head could fit into those bowls. They're basically dog bowls. You'd have to have like one of those things where you go bobbing for apples and you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is displaced by doing that. But so I, I, I don't, don't think Langan is even cle clear that he's being made fun of in a certain way here. Yeah. I show up at Reed College, which was at the time one of the top liberal arts institutions in the country, very exclusive. They had a different style in the classroom than I was used to couldn't get a word in edgewise. I mean, these kids were constantly talking, asking questions, and that's a healthy way to learn. I mean, I don't hold it against them. It's just that it was a lot of culture shock. Also, the marijuana. I mean, I wasn't used to the drug use that it was all around. They crammed me in a room with three other guys banging their girlfriends on the bunk above me in the other room. There were some other things, too, that had gone wrong. My roommates had become involved in some kind of riot or demonstration cars were turned over and burned. They were insisting that I should have been expelled despite the fact that I had nothing to do with this incident. I was in the library. And they never even called me. No one wanted to talk to me to ask whether I had been there. Maybe that's one of the reasons nobody came to me and said, hey, where's your parents' financial statement? This is an easy way to get rid of him. We just, you know, won't make any waves and hope that he doesn't get that statement in on time. This is like, you know, it's kind of like one of those, um, you know, things in a bad movie that you would see, like, you know, the the the, the slow formation of like an arch villain of some sort, right? Yeah, I was thinking um, the exact same thing when I'm writing. It's like the, these little, and I just seeing this and having watched the whole thing just yesterday before for the show, I was thinking how, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my true life uh, was there was that idiot who wrote that book, Running with Scissors. These people... Mm -hmm. Who, who, and I'm not, certainly he, I'm, I'm sure he's correct when he says he was one of the poorest people in, in his town or whatnot. But even being, growing up in small town Wyoming poor is going to be vastly better than growing up in uh, a big city like New York and being poor or in anywhere else around the world. And, and yet he, these slights that he's talking about uh, are so trivial. Yeah. If you are really are that intelligent and so grand, why is this fucking still? within you i mean you know i, I think of lauren isley lauren isley a great accomplishment that probably the best science writer of the well in english language ever i would say and if you read his autobiography his autobiography uh what was it called um all the strange hours right all the strange hours you read that it's wonderfully written it's a great accomplishment just literarily uh it's one of the best four or five memoirs ever written Yet he went through the same kind of stuff. He didn't come with a, a, a silver spoon in the mouth. He, he was playing around in, in the underground of, of his Nebraska town. And yet he did things. And he, he, he was outward looking. This, he, he's in a sense the anti-Isley in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once I found this out, I simply left. I didn't take my finals or anything like that. Academia stinks. And it's not always the student's fault when something like that happens. Academia is a heartless, cold bureaucracy. 
I had to hold a bag of plasma for a guy who had 11 pieces of double-aught buck embedded in him. He was shot through a door with a 12-gauge shotgun. I've been shot at on numerous occasions. I've seen a lot of guys stabbed with knives. I've seen people throw each other off 20 or 30-foot balconies. I've seen people stab each other with sticks. And I was just there to try to prevent the situation from getting any worse than it had to be. Bar bouncing. Being a security guy in nightclubs. It was a Ramada Inn in Bozeman, Montana, where you have a lot of cowboys and shit kickers. Cowboys get drunk, start fights, and try to put the make on each other's women. That's essentially their lifestyle. That's <laughs> like what what I find that so odd. Like what a what a thing to say. That's the cowboy lifestyle. Very odd, I must say. That's what a cowboy does. Well, this came out before uh, Brokeback Mountain, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There were a few incidents that I helped out with. The bar owner decided it might be a good thing to have me around there every night and to pay me. Police fall into being policemen for roughly the same reason. Psychologically, they're just in that mode. I want to apply authority to other people. I want to apply it forcefully if need be. I'm not really doing anything differently than, than they are, except I'm taking a lot more risks for a lot less money and fewer benefits. You've got to concentrate on what you're doing when you're breaking up a fight. But the rest of the time, my mind is usually someplace else. Off in another world. A mental world. My own private space. Despite the fact that very loud music is playing. I've actually had some very good ideas while I'm bouncing. I used to carry around a little pad and a pencil. One thing that I noticed was, if I had some complex stuff in memory and a bar fight happened, and I had to go indulge in some physical violence, that usually my memory was erased when I'd get done with the fight. I mean, it would be gone. Irretrievable. One time I was thinking about artificial intelligence, then that evolved into a whole new way of looking at neural networks. Suddenly this horrible fight erupted. I set the page down, and I mopped up the fight, and I came back over and my piece of paper was gone. I tried and tried and tried to find that piece of paper. Nobody could tell me where it was, and I couldn't remember what the hell I'd written on it. It's very convenient, right? The one thing that he could have invented in his life that would have been an actual accomplishment, he just happens to have forgotten, right? And the um, thing is, that's, that's something that the... the there have been many people who have had that eureka moment, supposedly, and they said something got in the way. Now, it, I'm not saying that it couldn't be true, but the thing is, that's he's indulging right there in a cliche. And if you listen to this, uh, it's not quite as uh, seven or eight cliches per minute as the Peterson videos, but, you know, I, I, I'm the poor kid who, 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 who uh, everyone picked on. Uh, he, he, he has this very cliched narrative um, you know, when I think of, of my life, one of the things I think, God, I have such a, a, uh, an interesting, unique life. And I look at it as an asset. He's, he's uh, someone who, it reminds me, I've told you, I won't name it. I, it reminds me of this woman that I was once involved with many years ago that I, I mentioned, who's now become a new age scam artist. Um, and she, she had something happen to her and it, it uh, she, uh, uh, 
uses the exact same tropes and stuff that a thousand other people have had the same thing happen to her to, to them have, have said before. He, he there's nothing unique about anything in his life to this point, except, and th- this is why he makes it, except, except that he skied, scored so high on this IQ test. That's the only thing that supposedly makes him unique. But why do you want to be in an environment where there's violence? What makes you think that I want to be in these environments? Did I say that I wanted to be in these environments? I fell into this line of work. Uh, in order to get out of a line of work, you've got to get into something else. Well, I did. I got into construction. I, I, I was a Forest Service firefighter for a long time. These things take a toll on you. I have a trick knee now. My lower back went on me. Do hard labor for 20 or 25 years, and it's going to take its toll. And, and you know, this is something that obviously most people don't understand, right? This is where poten- potentially he could have something to contribute, right? But he's choosing to focus on something else entirely, right? Finally, you're grateful for the chance to have a job where you just stand there and watch most of the time. And most people don't get that, right? They don't get this part. If I can ever get out of it, then I will be happy to do so. I would love it. I don't think we should live in a violent world. I think that everybody should be wonderful and kind to each other. But let's face facts, shall we? Very few people are. Jordan Peterson level. Yeah. It's not the kind of world we live in yet. If I have anything to say about it, it will be the kind of world we live in someday. Right? It, it, oh, it, I, 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 yeah. I'm going back to the Woody Allen film where he makes Alan old out to be Mussolini. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also, just like you know, Jordan Peterson, when he says things like, who's going to make that determination, right? Who gets what, right? Well, you get the sense again and again through Peterson that Peterson believes he ought to make that determination to the extent that he believes that no one should touch, you know, the status quo in any way. He's already making that determination. Now I have another another guy who, and and this is the other thing, right? Like um, I have never wanted to be in like positions of authority, like positions of like, you know, kind of like, I guess, more stereotypical forms of leadership. I want to be away from people. I want to like sit down. I want to like write books. I want to be left alone. I want to walk down the street where nobody recognizes me. And he says again and again that he wants to essentially be this overseer over humanity, right? And again, like if that's not a clue to his actual motivations, like I I don't know what is, right? Yeah. This is a feeding frenzy we're in here. Everybody is trying to wring as much out of this planet as they possibly can. Pollution, overpopulation, militarism on the parts of foreign governments. Militarism on the parts of foreign governments. Like what, what, what your own government isn't doing uh, the you know majority of what you're talking about right now. And this is the other thing. Like he has this like weird, you know, like the Mussolini comparison. Like he has this kind of like like odd, you know, uh, um, reactionary nationalistic streak. Right. He's very much a jingoist as well. You know, Christian fundamentalist in some ways, jingoist in other ways. Poverty problems. We've got a lot of people starving to death. Diseases out there on the horizon that need to be cured. 
And now he's an anti-vaxxer, right? Diseases on the horizon that need to be cured. 2022 anti-vaxxer. You look, you, look at, you look at this imagery here. And again, this is a Morris doing it. But the way he talks, it's, it reminds me of a lot of writers who are bad writers who, who will, on their back cover blurbs, they'll say, well, so-and-so deals with, you know, of uh, diseases, uh, uh, political unrest, uh, this, that, all these things he mentioned. But the way they deal with it is that they just mention it like this. If he's so goddamn smart, uh, forget the CTMU. Why don't you uh, develop a way for more equal distribution? Why don't you support UBI? The smartest man in the world says UBI will work. Yeah. You know? well, well, here's the, well, here's the thing. He says the following. Well, first of all, he's not able to accomplish any of that because it takes actual achievement. So instead, he wastes his time with the CTMU and he says that is going to be the key to unlock all these positive things that you just mentioned, right? He has a perfect like system worked out where he gets to have absolutely everything by doing absolutely nothing. Forms of pollution we couldn't even have imagined a century ago, including radioactive waste, the sea is becoming a desert. We're running out of farmland. We're losing the ozone layer. Polar ice caps are melting. We have a lot of problems now. How do we do what's right? How do we fulfill our destiny here on planet Earth and beyond? Destiny. Colleges and universities purport to be harnessing intelligence for the good of it mankind. They're a breeding house for parrots. People are allowed to make little tentative moves forward, but they're not really allowed to do anything too radical. But does Illuminati claim? And, and you know, he, again, like he's he's he is unlike Peterson. Peterson could go for a whole fucking video and say nothing at all that's true. He's saying you know some things here that are legitimately true, right? To have a solution to the ills of the world. As soon as you announce that you have a little bit of money to spend, virtually every hand, and there will be a lot of hands that reach out for that money, will belong to a professional academic. They're hogging all the resources that should go to solving these problems. We need an alternative to academia. It's not the, the alternative to academia is the ultra high IQ community. Right, like, just think about that. We need an alternative to academia. I think there's, there's something to that, uh, but his solution is what? The high IQ community. It's just, you know, this is this is something you could put until it, yeah, it definitely could be a line from a Woody Allen movie, definitely. Smart people are vastly outnumbered by average people. It's the nature of the bell curve. <laughs> so in any kind of democratic society, average people are going to end up calling the shots at the very top of our economic and socio-political structure are dunces. El stupido. People who don't have a clue. When you turn a bunch of dunces <laughs> this is such loose, funny imagery. To <laughs> Duncical equilibrium. These are the elites, the monkeys. Mediocrity has triumphed. Everywhere you look, you see signs of mediocrity. I mean, chips, actually. <laughs> yeah, chips. The stupid person thinks that he's as smart or smarter than the smart person. And therein lies Dunning his stupidity. Yeah. Which is them call themselves exactly. CEOs. And he's also right, right? He says these people call themselves CEOs. Absolutely true, right? Yeah. The, 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 again, but again, the issue is the resentments that he's accumulated, they're going in the wrong direction. He could isolate some correct problems and then completely go off the deep end um, yeah. because he's not, you know, he hasn't gotten over his own issues.
Now, but and the thing is, he blames academia. And I'm not a fan of academia, as everyone knows, but he blames academia. But academia is where he w- feels that he could make it with his his IQ, and he's been ex- excluded. Uh, the CEOs, the, he, he, it seems more like lip service than that. You you get this. He's more animated talking about academia, uh, and. And, you know, I'm against political correctness. I don't like a lot of the stuff. In some ways, Jordan Peterson makes some valid points about academia, but they don't control the purse strings. Yeah, exactly. You have to learn how to kiss up, kiss your way up the ladder of success. Also true. How do you change that balance of power? I think it has to be changed at the individual level. We have to reshape the image of what it means to be a human being. We have to create a new kind of person. Jordan Peterson, Oprah stuff. Exactly. I was just thinking that. can't run a democracy with a citizenry that really doesn't know how to make valid decisions. Most people don't even know what decision theory is. They don't know what maximization of utility is. We live in a highly complex technological world and it's not entirely obvious what's right and what's wrong in any given situation unless you can parse the situation, deconstruct it. People just don't have the insight to be able to do that very effectively. We have to have an educated and intelligent citizenry, which I regret to say we don't necessarily have at the present time. I think it's also underrated how like Errol Morris here, like when he's like sort of when when uh, Langan is saying something a little off the wall, he's making like the camera subtly shift, you know, like as if this is like a, a you know, like a crazy mirror of some sort. It's, it's like it's like seeing a, a cartoon character with stars swirling about the head. Yeah. <laughs> you had the opportunity to run the world. You hear like the little dopey music in the background yeah. <laughs> as he's about to answer this question about bum, the bum, opportunity bum, to. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> How would you do it? Oh, well, one of the first things that I would do is I would institute something like the Manhattan Project for a safe, long lasting means of birth control. Simply implant that in all children at age 10. That would solve our population problem right off the bat. And it would also enable us to practice a benign form of eugenics or i should probably say anti-dysgenics let's invade people's bodies and do that rather than educate them if if we have more equal distribution uh, uh, you know one of the the best ways to to cut population growth and it's been shown over and over is to have educated women countries that have higher education levels for women birth rates go down yeah, and also, I mean, like, obviously, like, uh, if you look at um, places all over the world where you have many kids, well, so many kids end up dying, right? So you're going to have to keep making them, making them, making them in the hopes that a few of them survive into adulthood. My like, I can walk! That, yeah, that would be, be, like, another part of it, but... Um, <laughs> what, is this supposed to be, like, a, like a, a line of Jews going into, like... No, I think, it, I, I think it, well, it, it might be. I don't... I think it's just people just lining up as corporate drones somehow. It looks like a 1930s kind of uh, Fritz Lang kind of thing. Prevent undesirable genetic mutations in the human genome. People who wanted to have children would apply to make sure they had no diseases. 
And also, like in terms of being a communicator, like the the phrase he coined here, anti-dysgenics, like what? That's really going to catch on, right? Anti-dysgenics, like you have literally a double negative taking a familiar word, oddly, like doing something with it that He's just creative. is very, that, that's <laughs> very like counterintuitive. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is this is what when he mean when he says that he's you know he's good with language. This is really I am going to call white anti-black. Yeah, which we'll we'll see in the social media stuff. There's black people and anti-black. Whether we have to do it through genetic engineering, or we have to let only the fit breed. We like to think that it is our right well, this might be a to breed as incontinently as we want to. to there are as many kids with whomever we want. One of others. Future generations of mankind are being saddled with the results of what we do. Or don't do. Freedom is not necessarily a right. It is a privilege that you have to earn. A lot of people abuse their freedom, and that is something that people have to be trained. So if you have to earn it, that means you're indentured. Yeah, you're exactly. Indentured. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal society, obviously, everyone is born with equal freedom. And to the extent that you go through all kinds of violations, right, um, then maybe your freedoms are taken away through incarceration or like whatever else, right? But, you know, like he, and he like, really and, doesn't understand, again, yeah. the implications. That's like the, uh, if freedom is a right or is a, is a privilege, then you have to earn it. And if you have to earn a right, it isn't a right. Therefore, you are, I mean, how uh, go on keep, keep keep it rolling but who who does this training well i'd be i i, I love morris yeah he's got that, that he's got that woody allen guy. but but uh, who are you who are yeah. you? you know i can i can see this is like sleeper yeah to do but who who does this training well i'd be perfectly willing to do it myself <laughs> just put me in charge now he he thinks that was he think we, he, when he said that he was probably thinking he was just being joking. Oh, I can't say that. Uh, but somewhere deep down, there's a kernel of him that wants that. Yeah, well, it's not a kernel. I think that's like the entirety. It's not just a kernel. <laughs> that's the that's the whole thing here. We have to have a philosophical framework, an actual ethical structure that we can look at and say, well, this is without a doubt the right way of thinking. Within that framework, we derive an advanced ethics. An ethic that can be taught without fear in elementary school, grade school, secondary school, and in our colleges and universities. We have to start looking for possible alternative sources of leadership. I don't see anybody on the top of the heap now who is capable of doing this. They've all been co-opted by the system. They have too much to lose by deviating from what is now a barren path. It's going to take somebody else, somebody coming in from outside, somebody uh, rising to the top from the bottom, shall we say. Could it be you? Who knows? It could be you. And like the, the total like dishonesty really gets me. I mean, he does not mean it could be you. No, he is talking about himself, right? Um, and, you know, he postures in the one hand that there is this kind of, you know, almost egalitarian quality to some of what he's saying, like rising from the bottom to the top. It's all meritocracy. You know, he to whatever extent, you know, he believes it. like he's he's motivated by all this other stuff. Right. And I, this is it's a good it's a good thing that this kind of documentary is out there. Right. But could you provide such a framework? Yes, I could. I've already done so. 
cognitive theoretic model of the universe, the CTMU. It shows that we're all a part of the same universal self. All men are related in ways they can't necessarily discern on this plane of reality. We're all the same. We all share a basic fundamental identity with each other, which means that we should all be trying to help each other and cooperate with each other to make this a better place to live. As it is now, everybody's trying to run his own show here. We can't have that. But everyone would have to agree. Well, it's kind of hard to disagree with the premise that two plus two equals four. Yes, because there's a logical connection between getting everyone on board with how to run a society and simple arithmetic. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like he's saying the CTMU is just like, you know, it's just a set of logical proofs, guys. This, this, and this proves everything. It's an ethical system. It's a cosmology. It's like a thousand things. It really is a theory of everything. Hey, you know, when I saw this, when I watched this yesterday, if you look down, I think the sixth or seventh comment, there's some guy says, boy, Joe Rogan should get this guy on his show. Yeah, like, like let's, let's just look at the, some of the comments. Like, I just want to sit down and talk to this man. Like, and that's the thing. Like he really is. Like if you look at his Go social down, media, there, there yeah. should be. There should, I, I'm sure. I maybe it's different because uh, you're looking. At, but someone says says this guy would be perfect for Joe Rogan's show. Maybe maybe it's hundreds of comments. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ro Rogan Rogan is is yeah. And who's that? Um, said that. Ramy Gore. <laughs> and that's the, th that's the thing. Like, if you look at his social media, if you look at how he conducts his Facebook, uh, he has a ton, even more so than Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has, like, you know, these fanboys that probably have all kinds of personal issues. But the people, like, in these comments and on his Facebook, they really are just, like, totally unhinged. <laughs> all mostly like young men with like just problems. Like, I just want to sit down and talk to this man. Like, what do you think you're going to get out of this? Like, I don't, I don't like, I, this is not the first thought that I think when I watch this video. Um, well, did you, did, didn't you say here or something that he has sock puppets? Are that part of the people who run his Wikipedia? About oh yeah. He, yeah. 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 He does like, for example, on his Facebook, this is the crazy thing. Like on his Facebook, he has this, um, so he has like a, a, a bunch of people that are that he considers his kind of like go to you know grunts, right? He, they they sort of like uh, if there's like trolls or whatever, they fight them back. You know, they they sort of you know suck up to him nonstop, and you know he he, he says things to them like. If you're going to show up again saying this kind of stuff, I'm going to excommunicate you. He really is like adopting the language of Christian fundamentalism, right? He's adopting um, uh, the language of a cult, right? We could say like Jerm B. Peterson is kind of like a, a cult figure guru, but this guy's even more so with the way that he conducts his online presence and his fans, right? He's he, he he's taking on this this uh, really highfalutin language of religiosity. Um and it's you know it, like but do, like but, but do you have you have you has anyone ever accused him? I mean, you said sock puppets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sock but, but a sock yes. puppet. I thought it is him using many different names. Uh, yeah, are his sock puppets. You mean that he has people who who are his acolytes? 
Um, he has actual acolytes and then he has like fake accounts that he makes, whether it's like, you know, take, taking a Q test that he could prepare for and not like, you know, dox himself before he's ready, you know, like all kinds of stuff that he does. Like I, I've basically seen enough stuff like on core and elsewhere, where people are trying to like put together these like little clues together that, you know, he, he, he does like some fishy stuff basically. We have to establish a fundamental basis for agreement. Otherwise we're going to end up using up what we have and killing each other over the remains. Humanity is going to perish. Faith is dead. People no longer have faith in anything. So we're going to have to make logic do where faith once stood. <laughs> A world of pure mind? Yes, we can call the universe, for want of a better term, the mind of God. God is the principle of consistency, the principle of cohesion, that holds the universe together. We're all little pieces of God. We're all one. This is nothing new. That's been thousands yeah. of years. In such a world, the ultra high Q, what role do they play? They are no better and no worse than anybody else, but they do have more responsibility. And they also have more privileges, right? Again, they fuck everyone. They rule everyone. They make decisions for everyone else. I mean, like, again, like, I, I don't know to what extent he's he's not aware of this. Maybe he's generally not aware of it, but it seems like a very kind of savant type thing, right? It seems like it's exactly the sort of thing, a person with a very high IQ who can't follow like a very kind of like basic logical pattern, right? Despite, you know, being able to do so if you give him a bunch of puzzles, He'll be able to figure that out, but he's not able to understand that uh, what he's talking about just will not cohere. Even in the logic of his own system, it doesn't work. Yeah. By virtue of their greater ability. Problems that they can solve that can't be solved by other people, it naturally falls upon them to solve those problems. That's what high intelligence does for you. It enables you to hold many different things in your mind simultaneously and all their interrelationships. I would hope to hold the whole universe in my mind. That's the dream of a lot of people. A lot of physicists, a lot of cosmologists, a lot of theologians and philosophers. And me. Maybe he shouldn't have broken up that bar fight. What would that become like to hold? A whole world in your mind. It would feel pretty good. <laughs> Holding the whole world in your mind makes you God? As I think I explained, every human being is an endomorphic image of the mind of God. So yes, not with the power of God, not with the extent of God, I would still have to be humble inside of God, but I would have a certain theic identity. I would share an ultimate essence with God himself. These vessels of meat, these prisons of flesh, they have windows. We can get a view to the levels above by looking through the window of mind, the window of intellect. 
one day we'll all be able to take a good long look. My through God, the it's 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 the space uh, the space I, like child from can be a valuable step in the evolution of mankind. The blue by providing reportage that that window exists and of what can be glimpsed through the window. Is this a priesthood of intellect? An elite who have the ability to partake of those higher levels. An elite, yes, damn it, Mars. There's uh, probably Stay an with me. priesthood to A church. Not based on faith. A church that's based on logic and mathematics. A basis for cooperation that cannot be destroyed by religious quibbling, by theological differences. He doesn't seem to understand mathematics as a language. It's not it's not something that yeah. has any real world equivalent. Yeah. Have you ever met someone smarter than yourself? It, as near as I can tell, no. And if somebody walked up right now and claimed to be smarter than me, I'd put him through his paces. I'd try to find out how sophisticated a picture of reality he'd evolved. Imagine being questioned by this guy about your like you know thoughts about reality, and he's like constantly like you know playing uh, word games with you like oh what do you think about God you know like you know well like, I think in that last segment where he had the planet Earth there he was having music that that made me think of Thus Spake Zarathustra it wasn't as dramatic I don't I think I think if he would use Thus Spake Zarathustra uh, he would have given away his hand uh, I, I think Langan doesn't realize he's being mocked at this point yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, during this conversation, right, like there is no, like I'm sure as he sat down, right, Morris probably wasn't like over the top needling him. But when you do yeah. the composition after the, the fact, right, it, yeah. Yeah, but it, it is an open question. Like I wonder if he were to watch this now, would he be like, I'm being mocked or would he uh, not understand that, you know? Let me tell you, Chris, because if, if Google's algorithms work and Alex's show here gets up there, you were being mocked by Errol Morris, whether you knew it or not. Yeah. Try to see what he was holding in his mind simultaneously and what he could do. I wouldn't give him necessarily an IQ test. I'd look at his production. Ima imagine giving him one of your poems or any poem for that matter and asking him like, okay, can you explain this to me? What would he even say? Well, it's like, I, I go back to Frost, the road taken, uh, uh, you know, and we we disagreed about free will and whatnot. But I I think uh, I think uh, for us the road taken. Well, I don't want to get off on it, but that's a poem that's very uh, misunderstood. And I think that's a poem that actually does speak to free will or something. To someone like him, he couldn't understand that on either side of that equation. He couldn't yeah. even understand yeah. that it's about that. He would just you know, it's like someone who looking stopping through woods on snowy evening. Oh. That's that's about uh, a, a Christmas sleigh ride, you know. <laughs> I, I I remember one time I gave uh, some guy uh, the William Blake poem "The Fly," which I just you know it's one of my favorite poems. It's very wonderful, and he read it. And he was like, "I don't understand this." And I'm like, "What do you mean? What is there to understand?" Uh, but there's plenty of people like that. Am I capable of understanding his productions? Is he capable of understanding mine? That's his Lex Luthor yeah, pose. Yeah. His yeah. eyes. You know, I, I, I think of I think of Lex Luthor from uh, uh, the Superman comics. He's a, I, I mean, the, more. I have to say, I, I didn't. I knew Morris was ribbing him a little bit, but now watching this in slow motion with you, you know, it's a thirty-minute video. We spent an yeah. hour yeah. on it or something. He is. I mean, he is eviscerating him. Yeah. <laughs> to, to that were in his favor, and then I'd have to say. 
He's more intelligent than I am. But that wouldn't necessarily stop me from doing what I have to do. Yeah, we, we went from a canted view. I doubt every... <laughs> Could be. I don't rule it out. I'm not in complete control of reality. But I will be. be. somebody a lot smarter than I am out there. There could be an entire planet full of beings, every single one of which is a lot smarter than I am. I can't say. But I do know that in my life I have not encountered many people with the depth of understanding that, uh, that I have regarding certain things. In particular, the overall nature of the reality we inhabit. Why don't you display that? You had 30 minutes. <laughs> do I think that makes me better than everybody else? No. I still work in a bar. How good could I possibly think I am? I mean, the, yeah, and this is another thing, like, uh, in terms of his, like, dishonesty. I mean, he works in a bar, uh, well, at this point, right, in, uh, in 1999, because he has to, and because he feels that he hasn't been given what he deserves, right? There's nothing, if, if this is, in fact, what you feel about yourself, that you deserve much more than working at a bar, um, you will, you know, th there's nothing that will preclude you, therefore, from thinking that you're better than other people if you, you know, if, if that's the, the kind of thing that you that you entertain, right? If you entertain those kinds of thoughts, right? And this is very obvious to like tease out logically, just like if you think about it for five seconds. And the fact that he thinks that he's so smart that he could like trick the viewer into not understanding that this is in fact what he's thinking, like it's just very odd, right? Well, the thing is this, this whole thing, he talks about logic and whatnot, but he clearly he's a metaphysician in his mind. And you you have this quote that and I'll just read it uh, unless you wanted to about his concept of evil. Where in his CTMU, I guess this is the way you took it. It says evil is incoherent because it's anti-existent. It hates existence and it wants to go out of existence. When you take a bunch of evil and it won't recognize its own existence or the existence of anything else, it's very hard to coordinate. So it becomes incoherent. The only way that evil achieves any sort of reality is because it uses physical systems and uses their structures, their hierarchies in order to be realized. Now, now, number one, the first thing, he's anthropomorphizing a concept. Yeah. I mean, as if it as if it's a bona fide, as if it's like uh, as if it's like the SARS COVID-2 vac uh, uh, virus out there causing COVID or something. Um, and you know, the evil and even even, but even if you accept that <laughs> ridiculous metaphor. What he's saying is, is basically just gibberish. The only way that evil achieves any sort of reality is uses physical systems, uses their structures, their hierarchies in order to be realized. What? Even if we were talking about a virus, that makes no sense. And, and well, for, first of all, like in, in any kind of you know discussion of evil, um, I, I don't even think that this is like yeah, this is not in the CTMU. Like I was, I actually searched through every single document oh, okay. that he that he's published. Uh, and I couldn't find this code anywhere. So like, he just sort of like, he just sort of says this, like in an interview, he doesn't okay. explain, he does not even, you know, condescend to explain whether or not the concept of evil is legitimate. I mean, like a lot of, you know, a lot of philosophers, you know, don't even necessarily believe, believe in evil. I think that if you're going to engage with something like this, at least you're going to have to like set up some kind of definitions, right? You're going to have to like deal with this concept as a concept. You're going to have to refer maybe to like what other people have thought. 
rebuff it, you know, amplify it in some way, like whatever you want to do. But he just kind of like throws it out there, you know, as a given, you know, evil is this thing, evil, you know, is using. And that's the thing. And you're like, you, you could, you could, I think, sort of, uh, you know, make out what he's saying, but you would have to imbue a lot of your own prior understandings. Like when I, you know, uh, listen to something like this, you know, the only way that evil achieves any sort of realities because it uses physical systems. I think of like, you know, maybe what, what Nietzsche might say in terms of, you know, uh, 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 setting up things that are greater than, lesser than, you know, something that's constructive versus destructive, something that is destructive by its nature, um, you know, it's 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 going to be lesser than like, but that's like my own priors and my own like understandings. But he needs to start with a set of definitions first. He needs to make sure that they're coherent. He needs to like even explain like, like what, what is evil anyway, right? Like, it's just amazing that none of this is defined. Like everything is taken as a given. He spouts it off and by spouting it off, he assumes that it comes into some sort of material reality, which is just so, weird. So let me, I mean, I don't want to spend so much time on the ctmu since we did this and it, it's it's basically nonsense but you had said it so in the ctmu he asserts you say reality is a language and there's a syntactic grammar which exists prior to anything else putting into motion a self-referential universe which can be came from come from nothing so uh and i i remember similar things like that but like i just said when we were watching the video mathematics is a language Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not metaphorical to say when he says reality is a language, that's clearly a metaphor. It's not yeah. a language because yeah. there would have to be cognitive beings beyond the real state. Uh, so but mathematics is a language because and I'll give you a perfect example. And I'll use a, a blue collar example. Uh, for the last few years before uh, this uh, this last year, I was uh, running a dairy department. I've run dairy departments for three different companies. And. I know, for example, when I ordered milk, for example, uh, I was able to hit 98% of the time exact amounts where I could have enough on the shelf that, that I, it was easy. Uh, we never ran out of things because of my ordering, and I would have enough uh, to wait until the next delivery got. Now, anyone else in, the, in all the companies that I worked with couldn't do this. Now, I was, it wasn't because I was looking at the numbers, although if I looked at numbers, I could see patterns. Literally, if I, could, if I looked at a shelf and I knew what I had and, and I knew what needed to be, uh, we needed to have till the next truck, I had a, sort of a quantity, but it wasn't a numeric quantity. It was literally, I could see the amount of milk. And then in order to, to, to put it into the system, I couldn't say, you know, well, I, I make up a word, moo amount of milk or, or, or chaka amount of milk or this amount. I, I would then have to say, okay, this is how much we need for this kind of milk. And I would say, boom, boom, boom. And I would go cut it down and say, okay, I need uh, at least 70 half gallons of this milk uh, to last us till the next one. And then I would translate it. So I've always said to myself, if you have some other kind of intelligence, non-human intelligence on a planet where there aren't discrete objects, let's say you have an intelligence that evolves in some kind of creature in a gas planet where they, they can't necessarily uh, uh, say, oh, here are five rocks or here are the, you would have someone, you would have some kind of an intelligence that would be beyond our, or a totally different kind of way to view the universe rather than our mathematics. When I was able to, to, when I was able to order so well, I had to transfer a thing that I, I could get uh, 
you know, whatever I needed to be ordered into the, the mathematics we used. So I, there was no, there's no difference between that and translating a poem of mine into Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And another thing, like, you know, I, I, I definitely get the sense, like, reading other scientists or whatever, uh, like, there, there, there's very often this envy that people outside of the arts feel, right, towards towards artists, right? This is just like, I, I, you know, like, I'm sure you've noticed the same thing. Like, it strikes me very much, like, when someone says something like, reality is a language, you're just trying to get, you know, the halo effect of the word language, right? There's something, you know, big about it. There's something about it that's like, you know, even more complex, right? Reality to a lot of people, it's like, all right, it's a boring word. I know what that means. It refers to like, you know, everyday fabric, whatever. By saying reality is a language, you're just trying to recreate something that is like, you know, boring or baseline, uh, into something else that has this like, you know, halo effect, right? You're trying to like essentially leech off of it. You're a parasite off of these other concepts, right? And he, do he does this a lot, right? So like reality is a language is like the first part of his uh, thesis. Another thing that he says is, there is no object subject distinction because they are interdependent. I mean, that's not very, I mean, like Buddhism sort of says the same thing. Like it's, this is a little new. This is like old shit. Uh, then he switches from that to say the universal mind is thus generated, which is God's mind and everyone else is a slice of God. You pointed out this also is not very neurocomplex. This is just like, you know, another means of, you know, uh, pro proving God's existence by essentially saying that God is everything. I mean, that's not, you know, that that's not a, a, a very, you know, complex thing. It sounds that's like not, something not Jim very Morrison would have said, but said a little bit better in a Doors song. Yeah, he would have, you know, he, that's, the, that's the thing. You could say this kind of shit if you put it into a poem, because then you could refract so many other meanings. You could put under right you could subsume so many other items and you could do it in a way that's novel you could do it in a way that's unique you could do it in a way that's interesting this calls to mind you know the worst of academic writing like this is exactly the type of shit that that jordan peterson did in his first book right so and, and the funny thing is that you know he, um uh, langan says some negative things about jordan peterson but they have a lot in common right um so did you do before we go go to the next subject did you you had listed you uh, had some things, crazy things he said on his Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Let, let, let's just like take a look let's at his look um, so, social media just briefly. Was um, it Facebook or Twitter? Which one is it? Uh, it's Twitter that like gives, that goes off to like Gab, right? Gab, so Gab is like, um, Gab is a, is a social media platform for people that are afraid they're going to be booted off of Twitter for saying crazy shit. Um, and like, like, so th this thing is just like, like parlor is Gab like parlor. Yeah. Kind of, like, kind of, yeah. Kind of like, it's just kind of like full of, um, and that's the thing. Like I I'm actually like really into the idea of alternative, like social media platforms. I don't think something like Twitter is, is good. I want there to be like other things, but the problem is the kinds of people that tend to get booted from Twitter, uh, are people that eventually congregate here and start like a Nazi, you know, party of some sort, you know, like that's the, the anyway. So this, this, this caught my attention. I, I, I thought it was very weird, right? Just like the premise is weird. So he's sharing this video of this guy at a store, right? So like in terms of like, you know, critiques of, you know, uh, COVID-19 restrictions, this is one of the things that I would agree with. So he shares this video of this kid at a store 
he's uh, trying to smell a scented candle to see whether or not he wants to buy it. So he very briefly, no one's around him. He very briefly pulls down his mask. He smells the candle and suddenly, you know, all these people kind of like jump up and they're like, you know, what are you doing? Put the mask back on. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Right. Just completely like losing their minds. Right. That's not something that's appropriate. I don't think this is the sort of thing that would cause people to be very resentful of restrictions they might otherwise have tolerated. So anyway, um, you know, like, so that's the point being made in the video. I have no issue with that point, but this is the way that he phrases it. He begins by saying, ever get embarrassed because of your skin color? Personally, I'm embarrassed to share the same skin color as the aggressively officious little mask Nazis in this video. It's mortifying in a world where all kinds of superior minority types and their libtard facilitators are constantly criticizing whitey for this and that, right? Um, and so that's because like all these white people show up and they demanded this kid put the mask back on appropriately. But like when I walk down the street and I see a white person I never, ever have any thought in my head of natural camaraderie. I don't find white people to be naturally my comrades. I know that the baseline person of any race is going to have very different value system from me, very different thoughts in their heads, very different things that they want to do, very different programs that they want to sign on for, right? Very different, like just uh, viewpoints about the world. But he sees a white person doing something that he doesn't like. And this kind of gets into this kind of like more, you know, race science stuff that he's gotten into in his later years. He sees a white person doing something that he doesn't like. And to him, this is like now a cause for shame. Like that is not normal. Like I, I, like, I don't care like about all those other stuff, CTMU, like just by just judging this kind of post, this is not a normal emotionally stable response right like it's just it's just it's just so weird um yeah i see i see on the right side the neil young Joe rogan thing i was looking at that earlier this morning i was laughing my ass over that one that uh, spotify prefers to have have uh joe rogan not that i'm a great neil young fan but i mean uh, here is the perfect example of capitalism uh, supporting this kind of stupidity, Joe Rogan, uh, Mr. Ivermectin. Uh, yeah. But he, he brings in money because you have all the troglodytes that are going to want listen to it. And I wonder has, I wonder if Chris Langan uh, ever has been on Rogan. I don't know. I know uh, he he hasn't he hasn't been, but he could definitely. I think eventually he'll go on. I mean, um, yeah. I think Rogan would go for for something like that. Um, and here, here's more kind of like, you know, uh, like co like COVID-19, like anti-vax shit, right? Like, uh, he's, you know, he's claiming that, um, if you get the vaccine, you might be get you know, putting prions that eventually get into your brain. Like, you know, like how, how like, you know, mad cow disease creates those prions yeah. that anyway, it's, you know, it's like cr cr crazy shit like this. And just like, you know, just like baseline. So like baseline, uh, so this is his, his Twitter, right? This is what he considers to be good writing. So here you have, like, it, it looks like that's from Morris. His, 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 
it looks like that's from the Morris video, the, the thing, the little. Oh, yeah, it could be. Yeah, 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 exactly. 20 some years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, that's, that's from the Morris video. Yeah. So, so like he thinks it's an example of good writing. So first of all, the images of like a sword, right? This like really like going back to like old, like Western civilization type stuff. And the quote is, it's time to sell that cloak, buy a sword, learn how to use it and develop the clarity to know when you have no other choice but to do so. Cooperate with evil and you can forget about heaven. Right. And he has like, you know, he put, he puts his, uh, his name right under the quote because he doesn't want it stolen. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's like it's like this is George R. R. Martin level thinking that I, you know, uh, that uh, Game of Thrones kind of, of level that is. I mean, th this is shows how just lowest common denominator he actually is. I mean, come on. I mean, ugh, God. Like there, there, there's this uh, there's this other quote about Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany was an evil reaction to an other pre-existing kind of evil. Unfortunately, while Nazi Germany has disappeared, the coherent evil that inspired it has not. And this is a large part of our current problem. Um, and I, I was trying to. He's not talking about. Uh, clearly, he's talking about communism or socialism. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, come on. I mean, it's like the reason the Nazis. Uh, came to power originally when they were national socialists. They were socialists before Hitler and his bunch took over that party. They were national socialists. They were for everything that socialists stood for. And uh, they were against the, the, the corporations in Germany. It's only when Hitler got in, uh, took over the party with his minions that they had Kristallnacht and they had the, the gay purge or whatever night that was called uh, uh, and, and all that. I mean, uh, just read to the responses on the right of his acolytes. Uh, somebody is, I was thinking exactly about this today, actually. Mm. Uh, let, let me see who who liked this. Was it Chris Langan? Have no, you ever um, tripped, someone asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like serious question. Have you ever tripped? You think this is serious? And then someone else, six gorillion, right? Someone like making fun of the idea that six million Jews died. Um, so like you have like, you know, like Nazis and the you know, in the, in the comments as well. Um, like you could pull like any, any one of these like fucking quotes, right. And you're going to get some like totally and why is like, a man asinine that stuff. Pushing 70, why is he using these icons where he's still flexing his muscles from 25 yeah. years ago? Well, I he, mean, that reminds, that reminds me of Carolyn Forche, the poet pastor, when she was like my age now, 56, 57, using her book cover where she was a hot little 28 year old. To be fair, he still he's he still looks pretty good and in shape. Like he still you still see his um his uh, in that interview that he did with that Asian guy. Like he you see his like uh, gym equipment there. Uh, so he he looks good for his age. But also you could tell like from the interview right that he's someone that had that takes a lot of pride in his body. So um you know he's gonna do this like Neil deGrasse Tyson type of pose, showing off the muscles because I mean this is I mean look look, look at this quote. God is existence. Satan, on the other hand, is intentional anti-existence or evil, which can be simplistically defined not just as the opposite of God, that which would, if it could, cancel godly existence, but as a psychological tendency to self-annihilation and various scales of existence. Like he, Word salad. Word yeah, salad. He, he calls himself, he, 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 like he's constantly talking about how poor communicator scientists are, and then he comes up with some shit like this. And what? And, and I guess that's supposed to. He couldn't find any good images of hell, so a California wildfire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's creative. Um, uh, and, then, and like more like race type shit, right? So discrimination against Western majorities 
is implicit in post-1965 U.S. immigration policy. That's why we get almost no immigrants from Europe. And this makes multiculturalism as racist as can be. Well, first of all, the reason why you get no immigrants from Europe is they don't want to fuck. Why would they want to move to America? This is a developed continent, right? They have their own education system. And if system. you were from behind the Iron Curtain at the time, you had, yeah. you could come in easily. I mean, that, I mean, that what this is going, what he's talking about here is, is when I was a kid, I've mentioned this before, the, the people who worked uh, in sweatshops were not Latinos back in the 50s and 60s, but mm-hmm. they were Slavs who came over. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they, cut, they, cut, they cut some of that down unless you could prove that you were being uh, persecuted uh, by communist regime, whether it's in El Salvador or Cuba or behind the Iron Curtain. So even this is, 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 is not totally honest. Yeah. Um, and also th- this kind of, you know, touches on his other claims about like, you know, population control, right? He, he does want to see a depopulation, right? I mean, uh, why, like, why would you bring in more immigrants that essentially don't want to have kids, right? If you have a, you know, a growth mindset, let's say, right, in the economy, right? This is, this is one of the problems in places like Europe, right? They're not, uh, they're, they're, they're very limited in their growth. And this, you know, this is reflected in the stock market, it's reflected in, in other things. But anyway, it's like, you know, you, you look at the social media, and you think like, you know, th- th- this is a guy that was called in various outlets in the 90s, like, you know, the, the smartest man in America, right? It's just, it just shows you how limited and limiting IQ is, like any IQ fetishist, like this is, this really, this is the apex kind of that he wants to see, right? This is, this is the the top, the top of the hierarchical, hierarchical society that he wants to establish where he gets to call all the shots. And we see just kind of like baseline, like when he's not like sort of presenting things for, you know, uh, a 1990s audience where he has to like dress up and, you know, be in front of a, a TV screen where he just has like random little like social media thoughts to like fart out on Twitter. It's just this like random assortment of just total nonsense, right? I just, I, I just saw, I just saw this hashtag says self simulation. I, I actually misread it as self stimulation. I was like, I was like, that this, that this whole thing is, 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 he's like, I guess he's got uh, his own uh, circle jerk with it. He himself, yeah. me, myself, and I, and then with his little acolytes. But the- All right, so now we're going to talk about um, silism as it relates to Quora, right? So Quora.com, for those of you that don't know, is a website where uh, uh, people, you know, sign up, they make accounts, and they either uh, answer questions or they read questions. Oftentimes, you have people with uh, some level of expertise. Oftentimes, it's merely just kind of like, you know, like self-stated expertise, self-aggrandizing kind of expertise. Um, and there's like a mix of stuff, right? There's a, a bunch of like trash on the website. There's some good stuff, right? In preparation for the uh, Christopher uh, Langan portion of the show, I definitely read, you know, Quora threads uh, about him from philosophers and, and that sort of thing, which were useful, right? So it's not like this is a, a useless website, but it does tend to attract the kind of personality that wants to show off knowledge, which may not always be a bad thing, but if with a large enough pool of people that want to show off knowledge, um, many, many of them at least would want to show off for all the wrong reasons, right? For narcissistic reasons, not because they have an actual, you know, set of skills or ex- ex- expertise to share, but simply because they want to. But Dan Spence- I, 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 I had mentioned, I mentioned earlier how I was arguing about Will Chamberlain. Chamberlain. I've done that on, on some YouTube threads and uh, 
uh, also on Quora. So it's not all just highfalutin thinking stuff. It's all yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it may, uh, uh, whatever you want to share about this, that side, like I don't really spend that much time on it, but you, you sometimes like uh, argue with people, answer questions. So um, maybe how, how'd you come across uh, uh, these two that we're going to talk about or whatever else? Well, I found Quora actually about two or three years ago, two and a half years ago, I got some kind of a, an email asked me, you know, I had many years ago, uh, I had got on about a dozen years ago, I had got asked to be in this think tank called, I forget the name of it now, but Howard Bloom, Howard, not Harold Bloom, Howard Bloom had recommended me for it. And they were a bunch of idiots that were very similar to the Mensa Society, just arguing amongst themselves about a little trivia. And so I got this email from this Quora, I guess it was, and they said that someone had recommended me and my website uh, and we'd like to, you to, to write answers for us or something. And I, I don't really write many answers. I'll, 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 and I'm the only reason I stick around for is I like the cat videos and I've got some of my uh, cat posts and uh, uh, animal posts uh, uh, and, and watch it there. But uh, that's how I got, uh, I, I was solicited by, I guess, someone who must have known of me. I know there are some people that have been on my e-list. There's one guy whose name I blank out on now who I know is on Quora. Maybe he recommended uh, to someone to, to send me an invite or something. Not that you have to be invited, but I mean, I had known barely of it. And the first couple of weeks I was looking on this, I'm like, everything is comic books. And so I learned how to like mm -hmm. delete that or, or, or uh, sort that out so that I wasn't getting all this comic book about, you know, uh, Superman ABC is better than Superman Prime because he can, you know... Uh, his dick can fly, detach and fly faster than the speed of light or something, you know, and it's like that. So that there's that kind of level, but regarding silism, uh, there's a lot of it. And it's not just the Will Chamberlain kind of thing where I, I can point out someone who did an independent study about this aspect of basketball shows that LeBron James is more clutch than Michael Jordan and that Will Chamberlain dominated Bill Russell or whatnot. Uh, and anyway, so there were these two females with, well, uh, one who's definitely a female and one who, who is uh, an anonymous person who masks, I think, as a female or may, may, may be a female or whatnot. And uh, they are, I think, prototypical of what I call a benign stylist and a malign stylist. In, in the two big names that we've spent most of this show about, I would say Peterson is definitely the more malign one, whereas Lang and despite his pretensions and fascistic uh, leanings uh, is benign because I don't think anyone really takes him seriously, whereas Jordan is taken seriously. So that that's there. But so uh, last year I interviewed and you also interviewed uh, Eva Schubert. And I came across uh, a woman named Eva Glassford uh, on, on uh, Quora. And she's a young woman who was, uh, a college basketball and volleyball, so I believe, uh, and I, I, th I definitely volleyball. She may be basketball as well. And I came across her threads talking about trans issues. Uh, uh, she's 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 not uh, as rabid or, or unskilled in talking about it as J.K. Rowling, but that's where I first came upon her. And uh, I this is where I also got the idea. I said. You know, she's very similar to Eva Schubert in that they're both adventurers. They like to go on these hikes and stuff. Eva Glasser has had several photos of her climbing a, a dangerous peak in Patagonia kind of thing. So I said to myself, 
hmm, that's very interesting. I wonder if she's very much like Eva Schubert in other ways. So I tried to contact her to see if she would talk about not only uh, not only any connection to Eva's, but it also gave me the ideas. I interviewed a young girl named Ava Bounds, and I'm trying to get some other Evas to interview just to sort of have an interesting kind of uh, spectrum of people who share a name, a, a relatively benign trait, and is, is there anything in common? But anyway, th so I, I saw this thread where Eva Glassford was arguing about uh, trans people and stuff, and she was then later arguing about race, and uh, I, I, I didn't really get into an argument with her the way, in any nasty way, but I started to see a lot of uh, what I call this benign kind of uh, stylism, where she would, uh, in one thread I, that I showed you, she talks about uh, a meta study about, uh, what was it, a meta study about brain size? I forget what. But uh, there's she, no such thing as a female brain, basically, once you adjust for brain size. Yeah, and, and she she, used, she uses a control for size. The, ter the term she liked to use was control for size. And she was arguing with this other fellow, or again, uh, 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 I, I presume it's male because he doesn't have photos like she does to prove she's female. But uh, she was arguing with him. And I, I, I was like, well, Do you want me to do a screen share now? Or do you want to yeah, do if you want, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you want to share that one. Uh, okay. And I say, well, what you really... She, she didn't understand that a meta study is not any better and in fact can be worse sometimes than a single study uh, for if you if you go down there to, to where her comments right. would let, be let, I, let, I let, let's just uh for people that are going to be on the uh audio podcast uh i should have made that okay. um uh, comment but anyway we also have an audio podcast where uh, some people will be listening to that so let's just okay. read uh this the statement right so ava glassrud uh she defines herself here as extreme moderate and blogger at the happy talent.com um, and the question is, are TERFs actually right? For those of you that are not online, TERF uh, means um, uh, uh, transsexual, exclusionary, radical feminist, right? So there is some su sub subsection of feminism, right, which are kind of called like gender critical uh, uh, feminists that either reject uh, transsexuality as a concept outright. Some of them believe that, um, you know, this is kind of like an encroachment on women's rights. And there's just like a, a mixture of beliefs. Some of them are benign. Some of them are actually like truly bigoted. Like I've seen threads, you know, uh, on the old subreddit that was banned, um, where, you know, uh, a bunch of, you know, women basically were getting together saying that they would never offer, you know, housing to trans people because they don't deserve it, essentially. So there, there's like a, a whole mix of things. So the question is, are TERFs actually right? And Ava writes, if by TERFs, you mean gender critical feminists, then yes, they are actually right. Femaleness is not a social construct femaleness is a biological reality. I absolutely agree with that, right? So far, there's, there's no issue there. Women's oppression is sex-based, not identity-based, of course. That is why women's rights and protections need to be sex-based, not identity-based. Again, this is true. Moreover, feminists actually have science on their side, whereas trans activists just have woo-woo. One particularly amusing claim by TRAs um, is that there is such a thing as a, quote, female brain. A comprehensive metasynthesis of decades of neuroscience research debunked this. Almost all differences between male and female brains disappear when you control for size. Um, I'm not sure if you want to now, jump just, in. Just, just so you know, if, if you click on that link and then Google it, uh, 
there, there are, there are I have a number it here. Yeah, there are a number of issues with with that that people have been very critical of this uh, meta study. And the point, the, my point wasn't wasn't to argue. I, I agree with probably ninety five percent of what this Eva Glasswood says about uh, about uh, uh, trans issues. Uh, uh, but uh, she got into an argument with another fellow on there where they were going back and forth, and both of them were making points that. Uh, the, the the fellow points to a study, a singular study, I think from the, was it the? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have it here. Let's, um, we, we yeah. can read it. So this guy, Doug, Doug Hensley, Doug Hensley. Yeah. again, we're assuming he's male. Yeah. So Doug Hensley, uh, so responding to this, I didn't read her entire post, but for yeah. the purposes of this video, uh, I read sufficiently. So it is scientifically wrong to say that controlling for brain size makes it hard to guess better than random which sex the brain belonged to. There are statistical differences that allow scientists to guess a lot better than random given an individual brain. And to be sure which is which, given a large batch of brains, one batch all female and one batch all male. Scientific American even had an article about all this a while back. The main drift of it was that the differences were not sufficient to say of a given brain which sex it belonged to, but being a periodical with a reputation to defend, it didn't go ahead to assert that there weren't even statistical differences. And there is a link here to, yes. I guess, that uh, article. Um, so, yeah. And it should be said. Uh, if you Google both her meta study and the link that he makes to his one singular study, uh, I, one of the things that struck me is there's not, they're not really saying things that are that different. And if you go down to my comment to, to both of them, they go back and forth five or six times arguing uh, the, the Hensley character and uh, the Glasswood, uh, Eva Glasswood. If you go down, if you scroll down a little bit, because, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I come in several points here, you know, I, I basically try to, yeah, said one, a meta study is not anything different nor more reliable than a study. It's a type of study and no more or less reliable than any other study. Say that it can be wrong in two ways. A single study can't be wrong. It can favor well-conducted studies within its bounds more than better conducted studies. And it can contain all well-conducted studies yet itself be uh, ill-conducted. Not, and I didn't say that, and then I go, both your and Eva's studies are not opposing and in fact could be congruent, i.e. could both be right. I, and I talk about an Asian guy, I, an Asian supremacist I once argued with. Uh, Ava claims that controlling for size wipes out most differences and you point out that there are known and obvious differences. You are likely both correct because homo sapiens brains are not scalable. Sometimes because I, I can't see, I, I type these answers in word. I meant scalable here on the average but not to the individual. If you can measure all the female and male brains, but a few people will ever hit the nose. So anyway, so size difference overlap. Anyway, it, and I talk about dwarf brain. Um, the point isn't ne necessarily about the brain, but that this Ava was using a term like control for size that she doesn't seem to really understand. And she doesn't understand a basic thing uh, a, that a meta-analysis is just a type of analysis or a meta-study is a type of study. It's not something that because we took 87 studies and then averaged out, out what they said is, is, is correct. So she, she's taking things, and, and this was the latest thing. She uses the term control for size in probably a dozen, uh, dozen threads that I've seen, and she probably has more because I I, I'm not you know, looking at all of her threads. So she, she is using basic terminology in a wrong way and doing it over and over again. And then there, there are what I would consider a bit more uh, poorly 
uh, thought out threads uh, where the one where that I showed you or sent you about the argument about uh, uh, black kids and and, and yeah. talk. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's just stick to this for a second. So, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, when so when Doug Hensley comes in and he gives this objection, her response is uh, basically yes. Hence, the finding that almost all of the so-called sex differences disappear when you control for size. A small male's brain and a large female's brain are going to look the same because there aren't actually differences between our brains. The study I linked to is a comprehensive metasynthesis, a study of studies. This is one of the most powerful methodologies that we have. Uh, and I mean, th this part um, uh, jumped out at me, right? I'm not some sort of a, a researcher, but I am you know, familiar with these terms. I know what a meta study is. I also know their drawbacks, right? <laughs> like, so one of the, like, um, so saying this is one of the most powerful methodologies that we have is both true and misleading to the extent that this very this potentially very powerful methodology could also be incredibly wrong right in unique ways one of the ways that this happens is you know when you conduct a meta study it is really up to the researchers to determine what goes in and what doesn't get in uh you could simply omit things that you would that you would rather not be in the meta study Right? right, simply because it doesn't fit your hypothesis, simply because it doesn't fit what you'd like it to fit. So there's plenty of cases of meta studies where researchers have done exactly that. Right, this is you know um, uh, this this is just a fact. Right. Um, uh, another problem is if this is a meta study that let's say in this case goes back a decades in time, and uh, you know just like latches on to uh, all these things, saying the same thing over and over again. It's not going to matter if the thing that you're trying to measure is not actually what's relevant, right? Like this is another way that you could trick yourself. You could say they're all saying the same thing, same thing, same thing. But again, what if that thing is not appropriate, which I think is what you were getting at, you know, uh, at the bottom, right? Like yeah. you said, that you, so um, uh, it can contain all well-conducted studies, yet itself be ill-conducted. Okay, so one of the ways that it could be ill-conducted is... You have a bunch of conclusions or saying the same thing, and you, from that point, decide to, you know, uh, draw conclusions that are completely unwarranted, right? Even though, even though, like, yes, you know, they are valid in the sense that they are saying what you wanted to say, but having that kind of logical val validity is not the same thing as, as it being, you know, uh, scientifically correct in terms of, well, is this the relevant metric that we ought to be looking at? And personally, based on what I know about uh, sex-based differences, uh, I read this like one, like huge book. It was a, I forget who it was a female researcher. It's close to like a thousand pages where she, you know, she starts with a hypothesis that before she started researching the book, that there actually aren't uh, real and reliable differences between male and female brains. And, uh, you know, some, similar to this, like if you control for size, blah, 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 it's not really going to matter. And through the course of doing the research, she came to the opposite conclusion. And now the book is exactly the opposite of what she intended to be. And yet it's one of the most comprehensive ones, maybe in the show notes, once I remember what, what the title is and what the name is, I'll, I'll put it in. But anyway, um, uh, based on my understanding, this seems to, this just seems to be wrong. And it's interesting because like, so, but, but again, Alex, the the reason that's not she being wrong does not make one a stylist. 
Yes. What she was doing here, the two things that, that she her stylistic transgressions here were one, not understanding the value or, or the basis of meta studies be, you know, being better or worse than a, just a regular study. And then the second one where uh, she, she uses the term controlling for size. Uh, and uh, here it is, is one of the better uses where she makes of it. I'll give her that. But she does this in a lot of things, talking about all other subjects from race to other things. And uh, it's this constant going back to, to one or two points or, or terms like controlling for size, uh, or my CTMU, or you know a few of Jordan Peterson's handling is is where people fall into these stylistic traps. And uh, and I just want to say because we're going to go to someone far far worse than, than her. She I say is a benign stylist. I believe she is trying to do good. You know I, I don't doubt that she's trying to do good. She's just tripping up and falling into some bad habits here. And mm -hmm. we and we can see we can see when we go to the next one up where we talk about, what I, that I sent you about uh, race and the talk with black people where she tries to apply the same things with trans problems to black people and it, it she's totally out of her element and I and I do upgrade her a little bit here and I do think that both I and what was his name Doug Hensley I think a couple I, there might have mm -hmm. been a post I I might have had one of my posts deleted I don't think by I don't know if it was Eva or the Doug Hensley or, or whatnot. I think Hensley had one or two posts deleted and he might've had Eva's point. So there's probably about three to five posts that are missing here that were deleted because someone reported someone for this thing. But the I think my, my, my reply here uh, about the several points, hence uh, is, 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 that's the important point, point here because it's pointing out the silism and that these two pe people are arguing for no real reason, because there's not a lot that they're they're uh, digressing on or, or missing each other with. You know, they are they can be congruent. It's just how you look at the person, the, the 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 studies and and brain stuff. Um. Yeah. So uh, let let let's get into uh, this uh, part, right? So this is um uh, this is something that I'm personally a little more uh, interested in as well. Uh, so, uh, Ava is all, now she's answering another question about, uh, turfs and transphobes. So like the question is, how do you stay confident in a society full of transphobes slash turfs? Right. And her answer is as follows. The problem isn't that people hate you. They don't. No one cares about your gender identity except you. The problem is that, well, I'm not sure if that's totally true, right? There's plenty of people that that, that would care, right? Like there's plenty of like forum threads about the degenerate transsexuals, right? A lot of people moralize, both liberals and conservatives, they moralize all the time about personal like sexual choices. So, um, so the problem is that you've got some kind of persecution complex, also true. You think everyone hates you when reality, when in reality, no one really notices what you're wearing or doing. You think everyone hates you when if they hate something, it's specific behaviors like invading women's female-only spaces or erasing and excluding women from their own sports. So, I, I mean, I sort of agree with this. I'm sure you agree right, with this Right, and as, I agree well. with some things like when I first, the first thread that she had on trans, I was talking about uh, trans uh, trans women in women's sports. And I agreed 100% with Ava Glasswood that that it's it's ridiculous because you know I said someone could get killed with their boxing and she said that there was actually something a few years ago where, where a female boxer almost got killed by a trans boxer. 
Yeah. And I mean, you, you mentioned before, like it's going to take a fatality to change things. Yeah. Per- personally, I'm not so sure if even a fatality would uh, quickly change anything. I, you know, I think eventually, like you, if you get enough of a body count, you will, but people are going to start denying the obvious for, for a pretty long time. Right. I, I think uh, we're really seeing some of that now. Um, and, and also like, you know, to the extent that uh, uh, like, e- even if you want to make the argument that it's perfectly valid for, you know, trans women to share bathrooms with other, you know, like kind of, you know, born biological women or whatever, like, you know, for a fact that America is a big fucking place and there's plenty of people that if you just approach them with that idea overnight, they're not going to get on board. They're going to need tons of coaxing. A lot of time is going to pass and to force that upon uh, people that, you know, are just like, imagine like a hick town somewhere, right. With like, you know, some, you know, like mostly white girls and white boys. And suddenly, you know, there's like a, a, a trans woman that wants to like shower w- with the girls, like tons of parents are going to have issues. And I don't think that's surprising. Right. Um, so this is, you know, like if, if this has any kind of resolution, it's not going to be anytime soon, but I think this is what people mean when they say there's a lot of, uh, uh you know, uh, there's, there's a, a lot of backlash against trans, uh, activist, right? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you're expecting these changes to happen when, first of all, we haven't even had a, a proper conversation about, you know, it seems very relevant things like, should you be, you know, uh, uh, fighting a biological woman if you had, you know, an entire life's worth of male skeletal structure, right? It's not, uh, it's not so easy to just say, yes, go ahead, right? So anyway, uh, this she gets into this part. You have to learn not to take things personally. A lot of people aren't going to want to date you because a lot of people are opposite, same sex attracted, not opposite, same gender attracted, meaning they're not going to find you attractive. This doesn't mean they're going to hate you. It just means they're exercising the right not to date you. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Dan, but there is actually, it's still kind of under wraps, but I think this is going to become more and more mainstream in the next few years. There's this kind of like sub-movement uh, among you know the kind of the gay population more broadly, where lesbians feel very much under attack by the presence of uh, male to female transsexuals, especially when there's oftentimes an expectation that lesbian women that want absolutely nothing to do with penis, that want absolutely nothing to do with like you know anyone that even like I guess somewhat resembles a man, sometimes they're under pressure to date and even have sex with a transsexual. Sometimes they go through surgery, sometimes not. But the point is like, it is kind of crazy that this is occurring, right? Like I feel like lesbians and and gay men have spent a long time trying to acquire a set of, you know, inviolable rights. And now there's this like expectation of, you know, kind of like going back, right? Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be some kind of fracture in the next few years, right? I, I've seen enough threads and enough lesbians. Well, you know, to the extent that we could say that lesbians on the internet are in fact lesbians and not under some other identity. I think um, I, I, I saw a, a column in the San Francisco, I think it's the San Francisco Examiner from three or four months ago which was talking about, about about the death of lesbian bars because a lot of lesbians are being pressured, they're being told by a lot of psychiatrists that they're really uh, trans men and not lesbians. And th- there's a lot of th- there's a lot of the tension between lesbians and trans men because of that very thing. Like you said, 
that yeah. there are there are there are lesbians, and there was an article talking how something like ninety eight percent of lesbian bars on the West Coast have closed down in the last 15, 20 years because lesbians are being told they're not really lesbians; they're trans men, and and yeah. should should transition. So I'm I'm well aware of that. Yeah, and, and I mean, some of those things might you know very well be like exaggerations. Uh, but the point is, like you 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 can understand very very simply why tons of lesbians you know, like in the world, don't want to have anything to do with, you know, any being with a penis. Like that's just not, it shouldn't surprise anyone is basically what I'm saying. But basically, so she, she gets into this, right? So, um, so after saying a bunch of stuff that you and I both agree with, uh, there's this part, right, where she starts like wading into territory that I don't really think she knows much about. So it's probably not even your fault if you feel this way. A lot of progressive activists want marginalized people like trans children and black children to feel like they're growing up in a war zone and they're in danger of being murdered just for existing every time they leave the house. Um, you're not in danger. No one hates you. Okay. So basically this is a, this is where you and I start taking issue, especially by bringing, you know, like black kids into this. Right. So um, let's just uh, go down to my, my, go I, down I, to, to I'll your uh, answer. Right. So, here, I'm sorry if you're yeah. So, okay. uh, and Dan, and Dan, I know that you've already written this, but if you read it, just read it okay. slowly because so, some people okay. are not watching the video. So, yeah. So I said, Black people and Native Americans would be dumb as shit to not talk to the kids about the way a large percentage of whites, especially those in uniform, hump them like baby seals simply for existing. Great Facebook channel that documents the way cops harass citizens, especially blacks. And then I, I link to uh, this uh, audit, the or these First Amendment auditors, and most of the probably 60% of the cases that are on dash cams uh, involve black or minority people. And then she says, uh, I disagree. It's good for all parents to talk to the kids about whoops, about how to talk to different kinds of strangers and authority figures. However, I think the reason a lot of kids end up getting hurt or arrested is because they've been trained to be so terrified because they think they are literally about to be murdered that they go into flight or fight or flight and start acting crazy. Best case, the cops sees their behavior suspicious. Worst case, the kid starts fighting for what they think is their life, forcing the cops to respond in a way that protects themselves and the public. So then I wrote back, uh, Eva, black kids are not trained to be terrified. They are terrified by the actions of racists and cops who literally can break down their doors and shoot a black person because they are black, then get away with it. It would be irresponsible to not have the talk with their children. And even then in this racist BS society, they still have a higher chance to get killed by mere virtue of their skin than a young, attractive, pale-skinned woman as yourself. If you are pulled over by a cop, all you have to do is smile and flirt a little and you'll be on your way. Darken your skin and well, again, look at that Facebook channel I linked to. Then she she writes back, if you want me to read the whole thing here, there's two or three more thing here. Uh, Eva says, <coughs> uh, Eva, however she pronounces it, they are, so are women, so are trans kids, meaning they are being taught to be terrified. The amount that they are told to be afraid just does not square with reality and it often backfires. And I think there was someone, one of her, her fans or her had linked somewhere in another post 
the, the dubious statistic that more whites are killed by cops than, than blacks in any given year. It doesn't take into account the, uh, the percentage and it doesn't take into account that uh, most of the people who are white who are killed uh, have to do something so outrageous to, to be even shot at, whereas blacks are shot simply for being black. But anyway, uh, their irrational fear makes them miss out on opportunities. It makes them go into fight or flight during a routine traffic stop. It makes them go literally catatonic with fear when a man tries to kiss them. Obviously, not every cop is perfect. Obviously, there are people who don't like trans people. Obviously, there are many rapists, but the amount of fear we tell people to have is not proportional to actual risk. It is not good to make children feel like they're growing up in a war zone. It is psychologically damaging, puts them in an increased risk of getting hurt. So I then write back, I quote her, her thing where she says, it's not good to make children feel like they're growing up in a war zone. And I say, unless they are. I grew up in a, grew up in a slum. Did you? Lots of inner city black kids do too, as well as Latinos and poor whites. And if you are darker skinned, you have way more to fear from a cop than a pedophile or rapist. I mean, seriously, from Karen's reporting blacks was existing to 911, to cops literally shooting first and asking questions later, to trogs that simply decide, gee, Becky, let's go out and fuck up, fuck some darkies up. It is a life and death daily struggle for the vast majority of blacks. And don't even get me started on Native Americans and the bullshit they go through. Then she goes here. And, and here's where she starts revealing her own, what we could call white privilege here. Uh, uh, maybe the inner city is like a war zone, but I thought we were talking about police violence, not gang violence. You're 100% wrong. Cops versus pedophiles. Your odds of being hurt or killed by cops are exceedingly small, regardless of your skin color. Uh, however, uh, women of color often experience increased risk of violence. Now, I think I had another comment, and I, I don't know if she, del- I think I, th- I think I had a comment here like, talked about her white privilege and whatnot, and it was removed for being, uh, for, for my supposedly slandering a group, meaning white people or something. But clearly, you can see, you can see how out of touch with reality she is right here. So in the first instance, she's just te- technically making a few mistakes, and, and, and not when we're talking about the mind and, and, and the meta study and stuff. Here, she's totally out of her depth. She may be right to a certain extent, as, as you have pointed out with the trans stuff. But here, she has no concept of the way Blacks live in ev- every day. So yeah, I, I mean, like, the, so she has this like other thing, right? Like, uh, one never hears about police shootings of white people. Is this because such shootings never occur? Right? So she has that statistic, right? Thousand people are killed by cops every year, about 25% are black, 50% are white. Um, uh, at the time, at the bottom, like she, po- she quote, she actually references Sam Harris, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, which uh, I mean, like, it's, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a sort of thing where you think of yourself as not a normie as heterodox, but you know, you, it, it's very kind of revealing anyway. So I, I'm going to do this, like for, for the sake of argument, let us concede that, you know, these statistics are true. There's only about 250 or 200 black people that are killed by cops in the majority of circumstances. Let's also concede that the majority of circumstances are also legitimate uses of force by the cops. Just for the sake of our argument, let's make that concession. To me, uh, the idea of her white privilege comes out from the fact that she's not able to even look beyond what can in fact be captured by these statistics. I've said this before in other shows and other videos that I did, other writing that I had, but when I was growing up, um, you know, I had all kinds of friends. I had white friends, I had black friends, uh, I had, you know, Asian friends. And it was always very obvious to me that in my day-to-day existence, I was treated very differently by cops 
than my black friends. I saw this all the time. I had friends that would, you know, like at the time, uh, Williamsburg was uh, a, a much worse neighborhood than it is now. Now it's like, you know, mostly white artists or whatever uh, that's mo moving in there. But back in the day, you know, uh, I, I knew like a kid who was between, um, uh, 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 what is it? Um, uh, 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 Williamsburg and I forget the, the the neighborhood that's just like a little bit north right where all the kind of like you know Hispanic kids were being pushed out into where they didn't want to go and he would tell me stories every single week he would say I'm either getting chased by like gang members right which is why he carried a knife or I'm being harassed and patted down and being bothered by cops every single week he had a story like this I have never been harassed by a cop even once in my life. You, Dan, have, but you also grew up in a very different time, right? Like policing was objectively different in the 60s, 70s, and 80s than it is now. I think those things have improved over time. But then I look at some of my black friends. Uh, I knew one kid who was on the train and a cop, as the doors were closing, decided to punch him through the door into the face. And as a response, what did he do? He spat at the cop. And what was the result? Nothing happened to the cop, but he spent like two or three months in Rikers Island. That's the reality. There's a case study that was done a few years ago on uh, New York City uh, cops that were off duty. These were all black cops. It was a case study granted with only 25 people, but still, like, there is some level of reality here. 25 off duty officers, all of them are black. And they were asked the following, go through your day-to-day -day life as an off-duty officer for a year and answer the following questions. Five out of 25 of these off-duty officers that were ostensibly doing nothing illegal, that were not doing anything to rise to the occasion of being confronted by cops, five out of 25 reported that they had guns pulled on them by other cops, right? Again, these were people that were not doing anything that would cause this kind of escalation, but literally 25% of them over the course of one year were in a near death situation. Now, I wonder how many lifetimes would Ava Glassrud have to live through for a cop to pull a gun on her even once? Not yeah. to mention, you know, like, well, not to mention over the course of a single year, okay? So that means as an that means as an average, if one of these cops lives for four years, he's going to be sure to have an altercation where a cop pulls a gun on him after four years, statistically speaking. That is an insane statistic, okay? And you know, it, it's it's kind of odd because like, okay, so like we have all these kids that it, you know, it's true that there, it, it's true that if you're a black kid in America. You have to be exceedingly, exceedingly unlucky to be murdered by a cop. I agree with that premise 100%. But you would also have to be exceedingly lucky to not, on a very much routine basis, be stopped and harassed, be patted down, be cursed at, be you know uh, told all kinds of slurs. And what really gets me about this is, you know, she has like some blog posts, like when I was like researching her for uh, uh, this show, she has a blog post where she says something like, 
you know, sometimes before I go on a date with a guy, because one thing that she's very clear about, and I think this is a good thing, right? Like one of the things that uh, I commend her for is, you know, she's very big uh, on, you know, setting boundaries, especially sexual boundaries between herself and potential partners or people that she's not interested at all, right? She's saying that women need to be very vocal. I 100% agree about this, right? You cannot, if you want equality as a woman, you cannot simply, you know, cry to a man uh, because you feel like you're in danger all the time. You're going to have to deal with men in a masculine way, which means striking them, screaming at them, trying to get it away and, you know, uh, put, you know, instilling fear in them to the extent that you can. I think all that is fine. So she says like being very conscious of her position in society as a woman who's liable to be sexually assaulted. She says the following, sometimes before I go on a date with a man, I send the following text. If you touch me in any way without my consent, I'm going to kill you, right? So this is someone that she has chosen to go on a date with. So let's not even let, let's not even like assess whether or not it's a good idea to like prejudge like a random man that you've chosen to go on a date with in this way and kind of like test him in this way. Let's 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 put aside that for a moment. Let's concede that it's perfectly valid and that she is entitled to send this kind of text to protect herself, right? What then? is a young black boy entitled to do in the face of a cop? Is he allowed at a minimum to walk around in some kind of fear or at least be wary or at least be suspicious? Because it seems like she's saying, no, that's not appropriate. And this, you know, thing about like, you know, the city is like a war zone. You know, I'm surprised that I even have to say that. Keep keep it there. I want to show you something. Yeah. 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 Like I'm surprised that I even have to say this, but yeah, the inner city is a war zone. I'm not sure if people wear the statistics, but if you go to specific cities in the United States, the homicide rate is as bad as the murder rate in like Colombia or Belize or Kingston, Jamaica or Cape or Cape Town, South Africa, right? Or Caracas, Venezuela. Some of these places are developing nations and they ha- and with much wider inequality. And because they're dealing with the same issue, meaning the state has no penetration in some of these neighborhoods, we have that kind of murder rate. Cops that go into these neighborhoods, they are very jumpy. They are very scared. They know that they could be killed. They know they're resentful of the fact that, you know, instead of doing some sort of like easy shit, like spending the morning at a park somewhere, which I often see cops doing, like in some of the parks that I walk in, just spending fucking hours in a car, just kind of like watching, uh, they have to go into these neighborhoods and actually do some serious work. They're going to be resentful. I'm not surprised that cops behave in this kind of way. But again, if she believes that she's entitled to tell a random man do not touch me or I'm going to kill you before he's even done anything wrong at all. What is a black boy entitled to think or say or do in the face of week after week after week, like clockwork harassment from these people that he's told to respect, to look up to? She's essentially saying, don't resist, give into it, go with the flow, you'll be yeah. okay. Right. So she's very, very conscious about her boundaries. She's very conscious about her vulnerabilities as a woman, but she's not willing to extend the same point of view and the same empathy to someone else 
probably because I mean, honestly, like, are most people even aware of the stories that I just shared? Like, do yeah. most people know that the average black person in New York City literally every single week has an altercation with a cop? Like, do people yeah. like even know this? I think the answer this, is this no. Is what, this is where I or I call her on the sex thing that the the numbers of sexual assaults pale compared to the, the number of racial slights from corporations, from cops, from people in authority. And if you don't think that you're, you're not living in the real world. Uh, but I, I, she even has a thread where she talks about it, where she, sh- she shows her gun and she knows how to use it. Yeah, so, with the well, boars. Yeah, where she shot the boars. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, right. And so she, she has that. But the thing, the, the point I want to make is in that final thing where she talks about the maybe the inner city is like a war. When, when I replied to her, she is again falling into that trope about gang violence that is black on black crime. That's the big, the biggest deal. Whereas black on black crime, uh, it certainly exists, but it, it's it's uh, it's made far worse by the way cops are policing it. And uh, and then when she ha- the other one you pointed to, to about the two hundred fifty thousand or two hundred fifty uh, uh, blacks killed versus five hundred out of a thousand. Um, this is a bit of stylism that's so obvious because blacks make up now, I think, just slightly over 10.1, 10 10.2% of the population. I think I think it's like 12 and a half or something. No, I think I think in the last census it actually went down. Now Latinos went up by about two percent black. Oh, maybe, down, maybe regardless. Yeah. Uh whites, ethnic whites or general whites are still something like 56 to 58. Maybe it's just under 60%. So there's about a five to six times a uh, different correlation. But even by using her statistics, it's there's only two times as many whites that, that are shot. So that means there's a two and a half to three times greater percent of, of, of black being killed uh, uh, by her own statistics that she doesn't take into account. For. But, 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 not, but, but, to mention, not to mention that you can see literally videos where a black person does nothing and they're harassed or shot. And you can yeah, see of course, of course. where white people come out with with literally a guy came out with a, a one of those samurai blades and the cops just backed off and gave him space for 20 minutes. So even if those 500 white people are being killed, I will tell you, and I've seen it as a child, that those people had to do something, something that would have got a black killed within two seconds if he pulled out a samurai sword rather than 20 minutes of dealing with some asshole. Yeah, this this is true. I I think, though, uh, the objection that is often made to what you just said is the highlighted part that that I have. So in looking at these statistics, they would say, if you have 13% of the population responsible for 50% of the murders, and in some cities committing two-thirds of all violent crime, what percent of police attention should it attract? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it's not just 13%. Okay, and here's the thing. Even if we were to concede that, and I do concede it, there's a couple of questions. First of all, why is it that in black neighborhoods, this is where all these murders are occurring? Don't you think there is something going on structurally for that to, in fact, be the case? And the second question is this. Even if you were to concede all of this, and then you also concede the structural element of all this, um, putting these kinds of like, I think the irresponsible thing that, a- that Ava is doing in the, uh, here in this thread is, She's just kind of like throwing out these statistics without any further elucidation. The proper context is as follows. If you have structural reasons why people are put in situations where again and again, they are the ones that, that have to be committing these murders. What about the fact that if you start flooding, you know, police in these areas, 
Yes, it's true that policing is important in such places to reduce the crime rate. But the fact is, policing as a whole, it is a de facto regressive tax. This kind of policing does not have to occur in Denmark. It does not have to occur in many places in Poland. It does not have to occur in Norway. Those people do not have to pay a regressive tax. And yet you have neighborhoods that have been forced to become the way that they've become. They've been forced to be this way where the only crimes available to these populations are drug sales, murders, rapes and all this stuff. Whereas in the white community, the crimes available to you are becoming a president and pretending the coronavirus isn't real and killing half a million Americans in the process or becoming a president, invading a country for no reason and killing half a million people in the process and making millions of refugees or becoming a CEO and flooding a, 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 a river with pollutants that kills thousands of people. And so, in, or, or, you know, uh, some, something like, you know, uh, becoming rich and uh, evading tax taxes and suddenly people that could have had millions of dollars worth of like healthcare now don't get to have it and they die, right? So these neighborhoods, these neighborhoods, neighborhoods have been made in such a way. These are the only crimes available to them. And if your only answer is, well, you have to go in here and you have to police them to control this, you are creating a regressive tax without considering at all what this means for the people there. Even if the population wants policing, I'm not even denying that. Of course, if I were to live in a terrible neighborhood with, with tons of murders, I would want there to be some kind of police presence so I would feel a bit safer. But I would know from the very beginning that even if I were to have that policing conversation, it needs to be in the context of what are you doing immediately so that this is not felt like an unfair, regressive tax upon people who live in neighborhoods that have been forced to become this way and this is never ever part of the conversation yeah uh, the whole defund the police movement was never about taking money and getting rid of police forces totally there would always have to be some kind of constabulary it was about directing funds more more productively into the areas that they need that within the system and also in the community but let's not get off on that so much the point is this is this second example example is where eva glasswood uh has gone just, she went just a little bit into to silism in that first that here she's totally out of her depths and there are things she's definitely wrong. But I still say she's a benign uh, silist because I think she she honestly has good intentions. And I think, oh, you know, yeah. uh, now if you want, want to get on to the, the, the malign narcissist, uh, I was going to say narcissist silist, uh, there's another so-called woman on here who's far worse. So yeah. I don't know if you want to... Yeah, I'll, I'll be j just a few more comments. Like, you know, like in preparation for the stuff, I read some of her blog posts. Like, she, she definitely is uh, better in terms of a writer and she has better ideas. And like, if you if you pull up like any like old like generic blogs, right, it's probably better than like 90, 95% of the time. Is this what she writes on Quora or does she have her own blog? I never, I don't know. No, yeah, she, she does have her own. Oh, uh, the happy talent or whatever it's called. Yeah, like. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Just like, just briefly, like, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So is you know it's, it's like it's like stuff like this and you know she she does have some like interesting stuff here, but um uh, again like you know it's 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 very easy like with you you know if you're if you're a smart woman as she is it's very easy to like think that you know things that, you know like honestly like if, if, unless you're able to 
you know, and this gets overstated, right? When people say like, oh, you know, it's, it's all like, you know, like different perspectives, diversity point of views, like it's oftentimes a cover for like other things. But like, if you've never been, like if you cannot actually share the kind of stories that I've just shared, if you don't, if you're not privy to the kind of day-to-day existence that I've just explained, because I've seen it all the fucking time, just being almost my entire life in New York City and being in all kinds of neighborhoods and you know, still now like living in, in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, if you're not privy to that, I don't really understand like what is it within you that makes you want to like go out and comment on. It's just really weird, you know? But again, you know, if you're if, if you're a smart person, like I I often, yeah, I understand that pull, right? I, I often myself feel like it's not just her, right? I often myself feel like I'm pulled in a thousand different directions. Like, oh, Alex, you're smart. Why don't you comment on this, comment on that? And I just feel like, no, I'm spreading myself too thin. I'm going to eventually say shit that's not accurate because this is not where my true understanding, where my true passion is. So let's leave that alone. So my recommendation to, to A, is you know either collect actual perspectives on this that tell you way more than these statistics these statistics even if you were to concede them right or just don't comment at all because like what's the point like like just do just do what you're good at don't don't go into territory that that uh, essentially you're just you know slumming it in as as it were you know the um, thing that i when when you showed that photo of her uh, she said she's six feet tall i think um i said she's a tall athletic attractive young white woman who's blonde and i think she's blue-eyed uh and you know she's always has these photos of her in action you know surfing and and, and hiking and, and doing this and i i thought boy she would be perfect in that video that we saw earlier of jordan P- peterson yeah she's a jo- she's a jordan peterson kind of uh fantasy girl and when we go to this uh uh malign stylist it's funny because this malign Silas is a great fan of Jordan Peterson. She thinks yeah. he's he's the bee's knees. Yeah, we're gonna and uh, we're gonna get to like that. Yeah, that post where she's praising Jordan Peterson. Um, but I mean, okay. this is the this is the first thing that I found. Right, this is a different post. So Athena Walker, why don't you like introduce so who, she, who so, she is? As I said, about two and a half years ago. Let me just get my little cat here, so she doesn't do any. About two and a half years ago, and this is this is Kabiria. Kabiria Schneider, my baby girl. Um, about we, two and we, a half we, we, we can't we can't see her. Oh, <laughs> two and a half years. Here's my girl. Hey, here's Kabiria. <laughs> uh, uh, about two and a half years ago, when I first got on Quora, I started finding out that there were a number of people who claimed to be sociopaths or narcissists or uh, or uh, 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 psychopaths. Jessica years ago followed this guy who was a narcissist. I forget what his name was. He was a, a but anyway, um, the most successful of them online, or at least on the Quora site, is this woman who calls herself Athena Walker. It's it's an alias. She says it's an alias. Um, I, as I said to you, I'm not certain if she's really a woman because I, having read probably a couple of hundred of her posts over the last couple of years, uh, there have been a few chinks in the uh, in the armor. That is this really a woman? I don't know. But it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a woman or not. It's not. It's not I, like I picked her as an op as opposing force to the Eva Glassford. Uh, but uh, you know, there are a lot of things that she gives such blatant disinformation, and she also has her own Substack. And I should I should say when I first had the idea, and we won't name the name of the person, a person that I had interviewed, uh, I showed you uh, this person. Uh, uh, had a YouTube channel where they were doing some very, they had a, a 
piece against someone they were once involved with where they went crazy on them. And that reminded me of Peterson and Langan. And that and and that was the reason that uh, we did this uh, whole uh, thing on uh, sciolism. But anyway, this Athena Walker claims that that she and I'll say she because that's the identity she's using. She claims that she is a uh, what what term does she use? But that she's a certified psychopath, basically uh, that has been through a battery of tests, through a battery of doctors over the years, sometime in the past. And that she is a psychopath, and her, her, she is trying to normalize psychopathy as though it 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 doesn't actually uh, mean that someone that someone who's diagnosed as a psychopath uh, has antisocial tendencies. Now, there's a number of things that she claims, and I'll just list four or five of them that she claims over and over and over again. And she has developed a following well beyond that of this Eva Glasswood. I, I guess if you went to their pages, she probably I would. I would guess she has probably 10 to 50 times as many followers. 66 million content views. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. And that's Published Rider. Yeah. Yeah. Published Rider, Huffington Post, Medical Daily, HuffPost, UK. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, anyway, so one of the things that she'll claim is that uh, a psychopath is just a different type of, of way to approach the world. She uses the term neurotypical to describe non-psychopaths or non, I guess I've heard the term for autistic people that they're neurologically divergent. So she's trying to put psychopathy in the same spectrum as some of these lesser things. Um, uh, uh, And yet she will act as if the only way to determine a psychopath is if they ha- lack oxytocin in the brain and can't process. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said that her, her exact quote was something like, "Us psychopaths do not process oxytocin," which is like it's 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 bullshit to begin with. That's not even true, right? There's no you, you, there's no way that you you don't have oxytocin in your body. Like is like there's but, probably there's probably some condition like that. But I you know I, right. I but 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 the point is she is going against. 90 plus percent of, uh, of established uh, ideas about this. And I think there's a lot of things wrong with, with med- the medical uh, taking of this, uh, uh, comments on this. Uh, but uh, what she's saying is just absolute bullshit in a couple of ways. So, for example, uh, there, there is no, there are, there are, I'd say probably 50 to 60 percent of uh, psychiatrists and psycho- psychologists would say that psychopathy doesn't exist. There are people that lump that with sociopathy and some forms of narcissism under APD or anti-social, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, anti-social uh, uh, personality, uh, personality disorder. disorder. Yeah. APD rather than MPD, multiple personality disorder. Uh, some look at it as a spectrum. They'll look at narcissism as the gateway to sociopathy, which is your boss who's an asshole who rags on his, his employees. And then psychopathy, Psychopathy being the Ted Bundys, the the John Gottis, the Adolf Hitlers, the people who who, who act, you know do the real violent crimes. So that that's one thing that she she tries to to do. That there are there are also there are also psychologists who will make a distinction. And again, this may be only ten or fifteen that say sociopaths are made by circ by 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 nurture. Uh, and, and society where psychopaths are born. Again, this this is 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 neither here nor there with her. But it show, show, shows that the definitions of sociopath or psychopaths are often different. She also says, and then also there are there are as I said 
people who the 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 psychologists who believe in APD uh, put that say that that wipes out the former definitions. They lump sociopaths and psychopaths and some narcissists in with with those personality uh, traits. Psychos also uh, uh, that oh uh, that psychos uh, don't have emotions uh, the way normal people do. That 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 they don't feel things. This is blatantly untrue. And I've been on enough Hitler versus Stalin threads on Quora and elsewhere to say that both Hitler and Stalin were classic psychopaths. The only difference between them was Hitler in his last years, whether he was being poisoned or not, definitely had a psychotic break that Stalin didn't. And for example, uh, Richard Kuklinski, the, the Iceman, and I've written about him in a couple of my novels. Richard Kuklinski, a guy who is known to have killed at least a few dozen, claims to have killed a few hundred people, was both a hitman for the mafia, 100% he, he's been guilty of, of mass murder, and also claimed to have killed pe people for his own psychological needs, whether it was sexual sadism or not. Kuklinski was someone who loved his wife greatly. The, the, the One of the mistakes that people uh, make when they're talking about psychopathy is is that uh, this person didn't feel any emotion in any area. Hitler famously loved his dog. That didn't make him less of a psychopath. This is something that is absolutely 100% wrong, is that a psychopath is someone who can turn off their emotions to commit a violent act uh, uh, and then turn them back on and can go home to their wife and pretend like, oh, I just killed two people for my for my mob boss, but I didn't. But and then go back and, and take his kid to you know ballet lessons. Uh, uh, and then also uh, another another way that psychologists define uh, psychopaths. And I should say at this point, uh, you know that I once worked as a file clerk in a court, and one of the things that I had to do was uh, uh, destroy uh, uh, documents uh, that were over seven years old for for children who who. Once they got to 21, once they hit 28, you're supposed to destroy all the documents. And I even wrote a poem called Faith about a girl who was sent to the grind of the 1970s Minneapolis uh, uh, judicial system for, for stealing a Target sweater, who then became a drug addict and ended up committing suicide. Uh, but I bring that up to say, I have seen, literally, I have seen hundreds of documents and, and case studies because I had to read them. I couldn't just rip things up. There were certain things that I could destroy and other things that had to go to the records for, for someone if they committed crimes uh, uh, as an adult. And I can tell you, reading all that stuff about psychopaths only reinforced my own uh, streetwise knowledge uh, that a psychopath is someone who is committing violent acts, whether they are criminal or not. A psychopath isn't just a way of looking on life as this Athena Walk would have you believe. To be when you are diagnosed as a psychopath, it is because you have been ordered by a court, ordered by a judge to go to a forensic psychologist. And there is a it, but, but is, 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 is that always the case? Though? I mean, like based on what I was able to find. Well, first of all, what do you mean by, you know, what do we mean by is there such a thing as a diagnosed psychopath or is the diagnosis like antisocial personality disorder? Is that what it is? Because I think right, right well, now, like the, the, the diagnosis would be APD, right? More than likely, 90%. I, I think the trend, whether it's right or wrong, I can't say. But I think the trend in the psychological field is that uh, sociopathy and, and psychopathy are, are similar, if not the same thing. 
And they use, it's basically, you know, calling an orange, you know, a tangerine in some ways. Uh, uh, and and wow, what's the difference between a tangerine and an orange? But, but in ter- terms of- I think there legally, are differences though. In ter- right? Yeah. In, in terms of legally speaking though, in order to be a diagnosed psychopath, you first have to be sent to a forensic psychologist who is different between the, who is a different than a psychologist. If you and your wife were having issues, there's a difference because they have, like, like I said, they have- a whole body of years of studying this particularly. And that forensic psychologist, his report is going to have a lot more weight going to a judge than ju- just someone who's uh, hired by someone in, in, in but, the but, defense. But, but, but before we even get yeah. to like, you know, a, a judge, like, I mean, why does it have to e- even get there, right? Let's say, let's say that you are, you know, um, uh, let's say that you're just if, like, I don't want to like do the, you know, cliche stereotyping of like what a psychopath would be like, but let's just say that you're someone who feels right away that, hey, I am able to turn off my emotions. If I ever feel like I want to hurt someone, I could turn off my emotions and I could hurt that person. I could kill someone and not feel guilty at all. Right. And if you feel that within yourself, Right. There's a difference between acting on those things uh, versus uh, understanding them and sort of trying to find, you know, maybe like some way out because may- maybe it-, it scares you in some way. Um, uh, maybe, or maybe you just feel like, you know what, like if I continue feeling this way, I could potentially, uh, uh, end up in a situation where I do harm someone and I am, and I end up like being sent to prison. So let, let me try to avoid that. Let me get ahead of this. Let me go to a, a more typical psychiatrist. Let me explain the situation. Let me say that, you know, I am non-offending. I've never murdered anyone, but I could, uh, but I can see myself easily doing so and not feeling anything about it. So let's find a way to resolve these issues within me. Like I, I, I get the feeling that at least, you know, I'm not sure what the percentage would be, but I'm sure some fraction of psychopaths would be in this latter category of non-offending in the same way that you have plenty of pedophiles who have, you know, those feelings of pedophilia, but they don't actually go out and abuse kids because, you know, they recognize it's wrong. But, but she, but her claim is that she went through a, a study, a battery of doctors diagnosed or whatnot. When, 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 when there is a court, you have to be a a court, a a judge, a magistrate, whatever you want to call it, has to, at least in, in, in uh, the, the places I live, has to order someone in, in to see a forensic psychologist. And when, when they're going to do studies of of them like that, uh, it, it it has to be uh, managed by a forensic psychologist. Otherwise, otherwise, you could have people like uh, these true crime writers just calling anyone a psycho. But one yeah. fur- further point I wanted to make, too, is one of the things that, that uh, this Athena Walker person says that is 100% wrong and is against every psychologist. I said how fractured the opinions about psychology are. She states on multiple threads that you cannot tell a psychopath before the age of 15 and sometimes 25 because the human brain isn't fully developed. That is 180 degrees against everything that that psychology knows now, because uh, when you have these uh, when you have these juvenile offenders and they have been uh, uh, clinically diagnosed uh, uh, as as a psychopath by a forensic psychologist. And I, and again, I, I'd seen many of these. There is a long history, you know, the, 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 yeah, you need to have an incident, a uh, present from your like adolescence or something like there's like, some right. specific and, and, requirement and, and, there, yeah. and I can tell you, I mentioned this girl who was driven to commit suicide. I, I, you could see, uh, Johnny, Johnny, so-and-so at six, 
had an incident where he, he was torturing his dog. Uh, at seven, uh, he, he, he was setting fires to mailboxes. At eight, you have a whole, the idea that you cannot tell a psychopath uh, from uh, before the age of 15 is, 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 is against all of what uh, current uh, uh, psychological, you have, the, you have this long history. That's one of the things that defines a psychopath. It's the actions, not the supposed processing of oxytocin that defines a psychopath. Um, well, well, again, do do you mean, okay. So, uh, again, like, but, but you could theoretically have a non-offending psychopath, right? Oh, sure. Sure. You know, so so what do you, so what do you mean by defines by actions? Like what? Like if you, if, if, if you're non-offending, you you have actions, right? You have a bad boss, you have a bad boss and he's, 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 uh, he's, uh, uh, making life hell for all the employees. And, and, you know, maybe he's a narcissist, maybe he's this, what, what not. You could, now he may be a psychopath, but you, you're generally going to call that person a sociopath. This way it gets on the spectrum that a sociopath is someone who, who's malign and, and makes people's lives misery. Well, the psychopath, if you take the spectrum model, which may or may not be so, maybe the APD model is so. But if you go on that, that, that spectrum model of narcissist, sociopath, psychopath, with the psychopath being the worst, uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get more and more violent things because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have someone who may be a rapist, a serial rapist. You may be someone who has spent you know uh, seven uh, s- seven times in jail before they're age thirty for for some violent crime, for assault, for battery. If not up to murder, multiple murder, serial murder, uh, uh, you know, murder for contract, uh, murder for hire. Um, so there. Her whole thing is, is is trying to to to, to bring legal precedent, but to, to, she's basically wants to throw out everything known about the legal definitions of psychopathy, everything known about the psychological definition about psychopathy and APD into her own little definition that she's made up willy nilly about about uh, a psychopathy being just simple oxytocin non-processing as if that's going to explain everything about it. Legally speaking, someone who isn't, who who is just maybe a miserable person at home, even maybe abusing a wife is not going to be considered a psychopath in any legal sense because there are legal things in each and they may, they, they probably do differ in jurisdictions and states. But there's going to be a long list that's going to go, uh, and and someone isn't going to be necessarily sent to be be uh, uh, but to a forensic psychologist just because they committed some crime. Uh, so her, my, my, the point is, her whole style is unlike unlike Eva Glasswood, who's making some mistakes, but I think is trying to 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 you know enlighten people. This Athena Walker, it's a vortex. It's all around her. And the very fact that you and I are talking about this, she's, she, she supposedly appeared on some British uh, radio program and a, a, a number of other programs where, where she's, she's, she's doing this. So, so she makes money on this Substack Reddit on, on here. A lot of her posts are now behind paywalls. I don't know if she, she has monetized them or, or because she's popular, maybe Quora has monetized them, but, but she is definitely. There is a definite motive for, for her sialism, uh, aside from, say, just honestly being wrong, like Eva Glasser might have been on a few accounts. Yeah, I, I was looking at some of these uh, threads that she's in. And, you know, one thing that, um, well, first of all, uh, to the extent that she says stuff like, you know, uh, uh, we psychopaths, uh, you know, do not process emotions at all. 
right? Yeah. Which she, she makes those kinds of exaggerations. Um, and she, she makes re- definitions up willy nilly that are yeah. not scientific. But, 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 but like, like, first of all, like when you read her threads, she clearly has a huge level of narcissism, like wanting to like appear a certain way. So she has a lot of like very classically sort of Sibian self-puffery, which, you know, it is very like emotionally driven. Right. Um, so there is like some of that going on. Like, okay, so like, first of all, like in this question that she's asked, what makes gaslighting a weak manipulation? And like one of the interesting like sub 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 uh, subjects here is how so many of the questions that she answers are just like dumb, like totally dumb fucking questions. Like who are these people? Like who who's asking a question? Like what makes gaslighting a weak manipulation? A lot I of would, people on Quora they ask the yeah. dumbest shit. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised also if she has like a sock puppet account and she asks this like dumbass question and then starts answering it under her own account um and then like under her like bio this is the bio that she has psychopathy is present from the first breath one takes to the last like yes like like, it's against what she says about you can't diagnose psychopathy so even even there you're seeing right there and i've seen that i've seen that before uh are you born as a psychopath or not uh, like I said, how would you even answer that question? How would even someone begin yeah. to answer such a question? But she's not even that's the point is she's not even goddamn consistent. She, you can find you can find threads of hers where she is saying that that before the age of 15, you know, uh, uh, a few teenagers have said, am I Athena? Am I a, am I a psychopath? And she says before the age of 15, you, you can't be diagnosed as a psychopath because your brain isn't functioning. Uh, it's only at. And yet right here, she's saying she's at odds with herself. Yeah. And, 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 and like notice how she's like, you know, you mentioned the Substack. She clearly knows she has an audience and she tries to play up to it. She knows there's plenty of people that are like, for whatever reason, fascinated by these kinds of personalities. So uh, in answering this question, she's like, gaslighting is an irritating subject for me because it is all too frequently associated with psychopathy, right? Which to her is like her identity. So like, yeah. don't fucking encroach on my territory. I find it weak technique because it's lazy. Uh, this is like, this is exactly what an audience, like a person in the audience would want to hear. She's playing up to this. Gaslighting is too easily seen through. It is boring and there's little payoff from it for us. Right. Like, I just like, it's just, you know, it's very like, I don't want to say it's creepy because um, it's not, it, it doesn't sound like something like a, a psychopath would write. It sounds lo- very much like someone who is playing the part of a psychopath would yeah. write for the sake of some sort of financial gain. Right. It is emotional manipulation and a crude one at that. Like, like she's trying to make herself into like a fucking artist. Right. There's an artfulness to her style of psychopathy, whereas these generic ass gaslighters, they're only weak manipulators. Right. Um, and and she, she does take pride in being a top notch uh, psychopath. Now, I, I would say when, when she uses terms, she used the terms like a diagnosed psychopath. And a couple of other terms, which are legal terms, which I don't think she she realizes are legal. I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of them. But that would say that would say to me that she has committed a crime. Yet she claims she's never committed crimes. So there's there's always this thing. She, she the things that she says, whether she recognizes them or not, are often at odds with themselves. And there, there again is that cognitive dissonance that that Peterson has. And, and like I said, she loves 
Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's also interesting because like she sort of like uh, starts this out uh, by saying things that people that are like really into these kinds of personalities that want to like, you know, read more and more of what they have to say, you know, she's playing up to them with these kinds of comments. Like I find a weak technique because it's lazy. There's a little payoff uh, from it for us, so on and so forth. But then she does this like 180, right? Where she starts with this kind of like, you know, almost this kind of like set of threatening gestures. Like I'm going to play a, a cat and mouse cat and mouse games with these people and they won't know what hit them. But then she does this 180 where she wants people to sort of like not, you know, completely keep her arms length. Like they want her to get, you know, they want, they, like she wants them to give her money and so on and so forth. So she says stuff like, you know, uh, excellent manipulation by contrast means that not only is the person intact and unaware that they have been manipulated, but they are happy to have met and created whatever relationship they have with me. They're not isolated, broken, fractured from reality. They don't need years of recovery. So now she's basically saying essentially that she's doing a, a favor for all these uh, uh, people that she gets to know and that she manipulates, not for any like, you know, bad reasons, but, you know, kind of like a little bit for their own good. You know, you could very much see how she's building up you know a kind of a, a character here um she's yeah and she's 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 basically saying i'm a better type of psychopath i can manipulate better yeah. uh, but yet this whole post is a form of gaslighting because yeah. she clearly here demonstrate uh, that 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 uh, uh there isn't i mean this isn't psychopathy as 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 what we might say is she had this is uh, more sociopathic if we go up take the spectrum model that I mentioned. Um, but the, the, there's so many things that are wrong with There's one post even, I don't know if you saw it, because uh, I didn't send it to you, where she invites her boyfriend on to tell about what it's like being the boyfriend of a psychopath. And the boyfriend, I think, if I remember, because there are some other sociopaths out there who claim to have other sociopaths as lovers or whatnot. I don't think she claimed that her boyfriend was a sociopath or a psychopath, but he bas he basically again he tries to normalize it and the fact that that a psycho's boyfriend is coming on to, to, to answer these questions i think he might have even been interviewed by that english the british mm -hmm. guy uh, on a british uh blog uh it, it's trying to say that uh, she wants to have the, the 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 sexiness of being a psychopath but none of the, the negative stuff yeah that exactly is, that is legally that is legally a part of the definition of psychopathy, and like I said, you have that AP, uh, you have that APD spectrum. That's not a legal. That's not a legal thing. There's a difference between the legal definition of, or the le being legally said uh, you can't stay in trial because you're or something you're, you're psychotic or you or you are a psychopath or what. That there's a difference between having a forensic psychologist appointed by the court declaring you such and having someone like her claim that she is such. Yeah, like at the it's end, like different. at the end, gaslighting is the hack job of manipulation. As real skill in the matter is like an incision by a cosmetic surgeon, it is direct and effective. It leaves little to no scar, and the person, so long as you're good at what you do, is grateful that you cut them. They even pay you for the privilege. Like, is she talking about her sub her sub stack anyway? Um, yeah, and then she even has a, a thread that one I sent you. I don't think you have with uh, from something called. Uh, medicine net. What is the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? So one of the things she has done uh, too is 
she goes, you know, there's like WebMD and there's these sites uh, that will be, you know, where uh, health, healthwise.org or something. And what they are is basically blogs that are dedicated to mental health or something. So she has, has gotten, for some reason, I guess because Quora or these other places gives her some kind of credibility, that now she's branched out from these sites to some medical sites, writing as if she knows what the fuck she is talking about, where she's mm-hmm. even farther detached from reality than Eva Glasswood was about race. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Jordan Peterson thing. Like, uh, so like, here's her like uh, statement. So I don't know what video they're referring to. Oh, when okay. I when I clicked on the video, like it didn't exist. So the question is, what's a, taken down, but, what's yeah. a psychopath's reaction to Jordan Peterson's comments? On and psych- most of the, and here's the thing. Here's, here's one. Of, she she answered. I'd say probably more than fifty percent of her questions. You know, what's a psychopath's reaction to Donald Duck? Yeah. <laughs> what's a psychopath's reaction to uh uh phlebitis you know yeah yeah um so so she she's a- a- answering this question about peterson right uh so this is going to be and she like she she veers off in so many fucking places that she has no business being in right that she's doing again only because she has an audience oh, and so- here, here she talks to the guy uh hair uh hair is the guy who who i think first standardized uh in the 80s the the apd kind of thing uh and I, I think I think that's the name of the guy. When she talks about hair, she's talking about the guy who first standardized, I think, uh, the the spectrum that I mentioned: narcissist, sociopath, uh, mm-hmm. psychopath. But anyway, go ahead. So anyway, she says uh, it's going to be a long answer. There is no way to cover anything Peterson uh, lectures on in brief notes and do it justice. So go on and on and do we need to do all wait? Okay. Similarly to how I think of most things Professor Peterson has to say, it's freaking brilliant. So Peterson is approaching psychopathy in this talk from the clinical point of view, not a neurological one. This makes sense as he is a clinical psychologist. He may well have read the neurology aspects, but he's speaking about the person, not the brain. The clinical presentation of psychopathy is considered to be what Hare demonstrates, criminally minded and antisocial. This is going to be a fair amount of a psychopathy literature that Professor Peterson will have dealt with, and he's challenging the construct. Taking psychopathy beyond a clinical construct into the spiritual realm is a complex notion, which is a very, very weird uh, thing to even attempt. And while I follow, uh, while I'm a follower of Peterson's work, I am not familiar enough with his definition of what a soul is. Uh, again, like just bringing in all this stuff that like, again, no definitions, like no, like no, even like inkling, like, what do you mean by bringing the clinical construct into a spiritual realm? Like, like, no, like, there's just nothing about this at all. It's just kind of given like, okay, I said it. So it's real. What a soul is made up of can vary based on their understanding and interpretation of religious texts. As this is a biblical lecture, it is something that would need defining in Peterson's terms. I will do my best based on my conjecture. So a psychopath as a soul in the clinical construct would necessitate damnation for the sheer fact of existence. That is something that makes little sense in the idea of the Christian faith. Why create something for the sake of damning them? This argument has been had in the realm of homosexuality as well. Professor Peterson is acknowledging that there is something to the concept of psychopathy, that the personalities he is choosing to address it through seems to be innate, but is lacking in the defining parameters, reasoning for the same, for some of the assumptions surrounding it. One such thing is cruelty for the sake of it. 
Um, my argument why we're considered cruel, not criminal psychopaths, I'm not trying to give a pass to criminals for their crimes, is communication differences between us and NTs. What is NT? Neurotypical. Uh, oh, neurotypicals. Yeah. So she uses neurotypicals as a, as a pejorative, right? It's bad to be socially adjusted. What uh, neurotypicals need, we do not. We find the requirement of some things ridiculous. Right, yeah, I'm above. She's doing the Langan thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So it's 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 like the same kind of idea. With and, and what she's need, do, what she's do doing here too is we do not. She's trying to mitigate her own narcissism by using the collective pronoun. Yeah, um, we find the requirement of some things ridiculous and respond as such. It hurts feelings. We don't get why, and we are considered cruel. Um, I mean, honestly, like this, this, this applies to me as well. I'm sure that you've been accused of similar things. Right. I'm definitely, I'm definitely uh, not a psychopath, but you know, I find, you know, lots of things boring. I don't necessarily go out of my way to like see people like, you know, I've been accused of being like cold. I don't think I'm cold at all, but you know, um, there's not, there's nothing really special about that though. There's, there's plenty of people that are sort of like that. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's not, I, I wouldn't even call it personality aberration. It's just, you know, uh, another thing, another difference among many differences between all kinds of personality types. I mean, there's nothing special about this, right. But here's, you know, the highfalutin language and here's, you know, the, this, you know, going into the spiritual realm. Um, it hurts feelings. We don't get why we're considered cruel. Personally, I find a lot of the things that people assume about psychopaths to be unbalanced, refusal to reflect on the workings of the neurotypical mind and scapegoating us as well. But that's another story. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if, uh, do you want to like just keep yeah, reading there, There's one point. Oh, go back up yeah. again. So the, yeah. the, so Remember when we talk, talked uh, and Langan was, was trying to, to make this metaphysical hoodoo nonsense about evil and evil being uh, something uh, mm -hmm. out there? You know, what? She does, she's doing a very similar thing here when she goes, um, uh, go, go bring it up a little again, back to cruelty, go bring that up. Uh, oh, the cruelty is... Uh, so here, when she says here, so back to cruelty, why do I say the arguments? Because uh, okay, so here, he's right to question it. The conclusion that we are cruel for the sake of malevolence is ridiculous. The sake of malevolence, as if malevolence is not something within her, as if it's some kind of mm -hmm. force out of us there. She's yeah. actually a little bit better than Langan in, term, in, in terms of, because, you know, I'll give her her due. She's a better writer than Christopher Langan. Uh, yeah. Not that she's a great writer by any means, but she's more coherent. Uh, mm -hmm. Here, malevolence is something outside there. Cruel for the sake of malevolence, not that the malevolence would reside within. Now, someone, uh, someone who uh, is claiming to be a psychopath uh, would not distance themselves that way. What she, so, so here we have by by making malevolence some kind of outside thing, some avatar for, for what's supposedly in her as a psychopath. She is she she's putting distance between herself and it. And someone who's a psych, I mean, you know, I've mentioned a number of psych, I told you about the the, the serial killer who, uh, uh, or the, the pedophile who I believe was a serial killer, I had to testify, and his brother was a cop, got him off with just a, a, a psychologist note. Someone like him, or someone like some of these other people I knew, my, my old gang member, pal Paco, these are people who would embrace that. If you're really, a, you're not out distance. This is this is one of the things that that really gives away the game that she doesn't know what a fucking psychopath is, and likely has never met a psychopath, a true psychopath, because a true psychopath is going to own that. You know, I, I think of that 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 uh, was the oh, I think it was maybe 
Godfather Three, where where Al Al Pacino as as Michael Corleone is going. You know, I, when they pull me back in, you know, just when I got out, and he he said he does something like I think it's Al Pacino. He goes, you know, power. I, I want the power. Michael Corleone is a great example of an on-screen psychopath because he's someone who's very calm and collected, yet he also feels and loves. Uh, uh, and and what she's trying to do by distancing herself, she's again with like what she, what she writes on the top of her post about being born by psychopathy is here from day one is she doesn't even realize that when she's writing this, she's making that distance. She, she, so she, I don't even think she, now, like I said, she's a better writer than Langan, but there's a part of her that doesn't even know how to cohere, uh, uh, have a coherent view of herself here because she's letting these little things slip in in her own fucking writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, th this is a, a, an interesting kind of, um, you know, like the personality to know that, you know, it exists. Right. Uh, but and also, like you know, play, again, like playing to this crowd that is just always going to be unaware because again they're they're taken by the charisma like as most people are right this is uh this is uh no different in some fundamental senses compared to like you know what what peterson does right yeah, and, and, and many of the things that she ascribes to being a psychopath are things that have have nothing to do with psychopath i a few of the people that, that and she has probably about a half a dozen to a dozen people who are critics her, her main adversaries that she gets into arguments with <laughs> I, I don't remember their name, but most of them say that she's she's either uh, just autistic and 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 preening, and they they do analyses of her. You know, you know, <laughs> they'll have they'll have things on core. You know, why do, is Athena Walker really a, a psychopath or is she a or whatever it might be? And you'll have yeah. have her detractors going on doing these long analyses that are kind of funny themselves and are probably probably just as clueless as she is. But yeah. the main point that I made you aware of her is in contrast to Eva Glazard. Whatever you want to say about Eva Glazard, uh, and she has she is certainly a child of privilege by her own by her own admission. Uh, uh, this Walker, whether it's a woman, whether or not, is is in a sense irrelevant. Is, is definitely out there, and she's a malign narcissist, and she's trying to. Like Peterson, she's trying to create narratives around herself and around th things that she claims are somehow different, but really aren't different. Uh, uh, you know, her, her definition of psychopath, you know, uh, uh, there's probably less than 1% of, uh, I would say, 1% or 2% of psychologists that would agree with that. Most of them agree with that APD scale. And I think Hare is the doctor that she, she goes on and on about who created that scale. Mm -hmm. There are the legal definitions, as I said, and a, a number of other ones. So there, there, there's something wrong with that woman, but it's, it's more than likely not psychopathy because she doesn't even know the fundamentals of, about how someone could get legally class as a psychopath if they were doing that uh, and like I, I said you're only gonna you you can't go to a forensic psychologist unless you're caught on it you 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 know if, if you and your wife were gonna split up and say boy alex you and she said alex you're really mean to me and one we need to we need to see someone who's a specialist in that you can't go to a forensic psychologist because they specialize in criminal cases that's the very nature of that and psychopathy whether she likes it or not is is something that is a term that came out of uh, the legal system. Uh, it's not a legal term in, in sense in the sense that you can be brand legally a psychopath, but it came as a, a need for the courts to put definitions to, uh, to different types of crimes.
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very fascinating that you have like all these like uh, mini subcultures and these niches where, you know, people come in, they, they, they preen, they show off, they, they, they act out. You see like all their, you know, various malignancies like put in front of the camera. Um, and I, I wasn't even aware of this, uh, of this world really uh, until, you know, I guess like somewhat recently, I, I blame uh, Keith Jackowicz. I remember back in 2016, he sent me a video of Ben Shapiro and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, I, I've had like since that time, like I've regretted ever since like learning anything about these fucking people, right? Yeah, um, I, mean, the, I mean, the Ben Shapiro's, the Sam, I mean, he's a good style. We met, we mentioned what's his face, uh, the guy who Langan, uh, not Langan, uh, Peterson was taught, was Peter, who, who, uh, Dave Rubin. Yeah, uh, Dave was, Rubin. Yeah, Dave, Dave Rubin is not is not even a stylist. I think he's too dumb to be in that cat. And even his own audience thinks that he's fucking dumb, right? You so know, you, you recently posted that thing from an earlier thing about Stephen Pinker. I think Pinker is starting to veer into silence, but I would put him more in the Eva Glassroad and and Langan category. Is that he's going beyond his bound? You're not going to see me ever talking about uh, post-Soviet Bulgarian politics. I don't know about it. You know. Uh, uh, there's, there's people uh, we mentioned we don't have time to do, but I recently did a show on the monolith and Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell was a Silas par excellence. Harold Bloom, a Silas par excellence. Um, you know, the school we mentioned, you know, one of these times we have to do, uh, maybe it's just you and me again, do the school of life versus Prager U, a left wing and right wing uh, websites that are so de detached from reality. Uh, but they're stylists in their own way. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's... I, I mean, I, I definitely uh, uh, understand and empathize with uh, that that tendency, right? I mean, uh, I know that you don't really care about the Enneagram, but me being a type five, I, oh, you yeah. know, I, I'm always, you know, like, I like, like there's so many like topics that could possibly pull me in and it's not a positive thing. Like it's a negative, right? But, but, you but ought to have a purpose. Some, some, Something like that Enneagram that Jessica is into, my wife Jessica, uh, or, or why not? No, I'm into it as well. Actually, a lot of people in your life are into it, and you're slowly becoming the only one that's on the outside. Yes, well, that says something positive, I think, about me. But if you Jessica say so, first said, she said she said I was a four, then she said I was a five, then she says I'm an eight, and I said I. No, you're an eight. You're I, an eight. At, at various times, I'm I'm all of those things. Um, and so that's why I find those kinds of things uh, ki kind of uh, uh, silly. But uh, Jessica re recently just had me <laughs> read. Well, I, I skimmed through some of the stuff, 40 or 50 pages, just like the book she showed me is as poorly written as Langan's CTMU, if not, well, maybe a little bit better than his writing. He's a terrible writer. Like I said, someone like, like this Walker person, woman yeah. or not, uh, is yeah. a little bit better writer than Langan. But I mean, the thing is, you look at all the... These kinds of silos get held up. You know, I mentioned at the opening here, Cliff Clavin from Cheers. He was a comic character. The the know-it-all, the sports know-it-all at a bar who, who was what we thought of a Silas for many decades has now been replaced by Silas in so many avenues uh, online, whether it's a, a pseudoscience espoused by this Walker whether it's the pseudo-philosophy espoused by Langan, whether it's the pseudo-socioeconomic political views of Peterson, or whether it's, you know, just someone like this Eva Glassford who doesn't have any particular specialty that, that I can tell. Yeah. Uh, they, just, they just go on and on. And 
I, for most of them, I think it's being driven. Uh, certainly, Langan and, and Athena Walker and Peterson, especially, are driven by they, they're making money off this stuff, mm-hmm. and they don't mm-hmm. they don't care if they sell out their intellectual bona fides, whatever they may have, or their souls. If you want to go spiritual, like Langan might, uh, they just don't care. And I know when I started Cosmoetica twenty plus years ago. Uh, you know, I, I I will never delve into that kind of bullshit. You know, I could I can be wrong. You know, I was wrong uh, four or five years ago with the, what was the Monty Hall uh, thing, and I did a, a video where I retracted my thing on that. Oh, oh, you um, did? Yeah, the yeah, the, 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 Mon- the Monty the Mon- Hall problem. Yeah, Monty yeah. Hall thing, yeah. Uh, uh, you're never going to see that with a Jordan Peterson, yeah. unless unless it's it's to his advantage to promote some further sialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, like this uh, silism stuff. It's it is obviously cross cultural because, like, it's a very kind of like simian thing, right? All people have at least a little bit of this tendency. I, I remember uh, a few years ago, I was walking through some uh, Chinatown projects, and there were like a bunch of black guys there. There were uh, like you know, like uh, like a, a five percenters or something, and they were like like one guy was like walking through and he was screaming. Bitch, do you really want to fuck with me? You know what I study? I study theology, right? And that's supposed to be like a stand-in for like the weird fucking like you know. Uh, you know, uh, I don't yeah. know so this, what, what is five a five percent? It's it's it's, it's like one it's like one of those like uh, I guess you could call it you know a nation of Islam offshoots, oh, okay, okay. right? Maybe it's not so uh, maybe it's not so accurate to say it, but it's like one of those like you know um you know it's 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 like uh it's a black nationalism with very much like that spiritual streak that okay. gets into like you know all kinds of like esoterica um but you know the pl- plenty of people like you definitely see that in rap right there's tons of stylism in rap especially like people that can't you know put together something clever right they're going to instead string together big words or they're going to mm-hmm. string together concepts that they think are deep but are not deep at all right so Anyway, I, I guess uh, we could end uh, the show right. here. I should have said this at the beginning, but if you made it all the way through the end, um, we're actually also uh, an audio podcast, right? You could find the Artifact Podcast on Spotify, on Apple, on Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we have you covered. Um, if you haven't hit like, please do so. If you haven't hit, hit subscribe, please do so. Joe and I are going to uh, next month start like a, a multi-month series on Nietzsche. It's going to be the gay science. Nietzsche, gonna... Nietzsche, pronounce it right, yeah. Nietzsche. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like I, 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 I've, you know, like here's the thing. Like since it's I not Rilke, it's Rilke. Well, since I rarely speak uh, with people, since I rarely leave the house, like I only get to like read these words, so I never pronounce things well. So I have like um, you know an emotional attachment to all my ancient uh, pronunciations. Okay, pronunciation. Yeah. Say goodbye, Kabiria. Mm, goodbye. Um, anyway, yeah, so we're, we're going to come back with uh, uh, like a, a multi-month series on that. Uh, me and Ethan Pinch are going to do something on Kurt Vonnegut's novel, uh, Bluebeard, in the middle of February. So there should be two shows next month. Anyway, yeah, guys. Ethan, uh, Ethan and I will be doing a show on my latest novel probably within a week or two once he finishes reading it. So that's on Cosmoetica uh, web, uh, YouTube. All right. Hopefully, eventually, uh, you will be bullied into switching over to Zoom. Thank you guys for watching. We will uh, see you guys soon. Okay.
Oh my god. Oh my god.